Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. And howdy y'all, welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your showrunner for this episode once again, Cody Stoffer. And if you haven't been here before, here is a quick rundown before we jump into things. We have the recaps 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A that each one of us as a part of the show, Gino, Gideon, Simon, and myself are each responsible for. So we will deliver those recaps. And then in between those prior to the one that revolves around the classification will be in-person recaps that we did attend. We had a few games of the week that we did miss out on due to various circumstances, but we still have plenty of good content coming your way. I will talk about Glenwood Springs and the rifle game. We had Gino who went to Legend versus Castleview. We had Gideon who checked out Mountain View versus Green Mountain and Simon who had checked out Doherty versus Coronado this week. And then on top of that, we also have our power rankings and playmakers of the week. So just stay tuned. Now to kick off the 1A, there was only one contest on Thursday. Clear Creek had a big win over the Pinnacle. This defense poured on 13 tackles for loss and seven sacks while sophomore quarterback Jacob Young finished with four passing touchdowns. Burlington pulled out a close one over Goodland from Kansas, 42-32. Gunnison versus Monte Vista was a big in-state matchup here, and the Gunnison defense forced five turnovers in their big win over Monte Vista, Gunnison faring very well in our overall power rankings. Ray will really not be punished too much for their loss to Scott out of Nebraska as they lose 22-54, the margin... I don't believe is as good as last year. However, it is encouraging to see the Eagles score points in this bout. Holyoke won their out-of-state game against Colby, Nebraska, 43-7. Lyman rode a 21-point third quarter to victory as Logan Botyard notched another 100 yards en route to them beating Strasburg, 49-21. Eli Schucknecht and Caleb Camp helped the Demons return to form and edge out a close win over Centauri 14-12 and earn a conversation back in our power rankings. I also just want to shout out Amon Wingo's fumble recovery and 17 total tackles, three of those being for loss, putting into perspective how much every single play mattered in this two-point win. Despite an iffy performance under center, Tailback Will Moore notched 171 yards and three touchdowns in another CSCSW. And then I also want to shout out junior Silas Ashiel or Akel, who had two interceptions and a recovered fumble in this win over Denver Christian. Banning Lewis Academy feels like they got a major bump beating Yuma and got over a major hump, beating them 14-0 behind a simple chase reel performance of 19 carries for 131 yards and a score. 
The Stallion defense held the Yuma rushing attack to just 95 yards on 40 carries in a dominant showing, spearheaded by Ben Early here. 17 tackles, 3 for loss. Jordan Jones, 11 tackles, 1 for loss. Riley Dotson's 10 total tackles. And Braden Skinner, who had 3 tackles for loss. As the Stallions continue to try and get over this idea that they cannot win big games. And they are. this is a great place to prove that first and foremost. Hop on over to Meeker here, where the Cowboys took turns rushing for over 100 yards when Wyatt Powers, Clay Crawford, and Cade Blunt all, a camp, all accomplished this feat in Meeker's dominant showing up front over Aspen 42-21. to Flatirons Academy 50-burger Jefferson. Ignacio got their first win of the season with a 46-0 win over Wingate of New Mexico. Middle Park does not ride momentum here and loses to Steamboat 21-6. I see two different quarterbacks had at least five-plus pass attempts, which makes me think that Salyards might be hurt. Cedar Ridge tops Del Norte in a 40-plus point win. Rye loses to Salida despite its 22 points all coming in the second half. Dylan Hearn of the Thunderbolts still manages 157 yards on 25 carries for all three scores. Peyton beats center 26-14. Want to shout out a newcomer here, freshman Liam McEnroy, who notched two and a half sacks and five tackles for loss in a monster defensive performance. But also, on the flip side of things, senior Landon Hadley of Peyton had an 89-yard kickoff return for a score and a pick in the W. Wiggins 50-burgered Rocky Ford. And then for North Fork versus Grand Valley, the Moreno Bros combined for four touchdowns, Hayden catching and running one, and Hunter throwing one to someone else not named Hayden and running for one as well in their big win over Grand Valley. Highland loses this week to fall to 0-3 after losing to Ken Denver, who is 2A. And then Sam Patterson's 145 yards and six scores will be more than enough for Platte Canyon to beat Sheridan. Now, there's going to be more talk on the 1A power rankings, obviously, but I think that the most notable wins here from this week are Lyman over Strasburg, Banning Lewis Academy beating Yuma, and then I would have to say probably Buena Vista's win over Centauri are the major wins of this week three in 1A Colorado football. How is it going, everybody? Gino here, and it is time for the week three 2A recaps. And this week we had a lot of great games with some blowouts, some close games, some upsets, and everything in between. So let's not waste any more time and get right into the Thursday games. Starting off our Thursday games, we got Timnath, who dominated Prospect Ridge by a score of 49-7. It was an underclassman masterclass for Timnath. They were led by a freshman duo, Jackson Craig, and wide receiver Jackson Barker. Craig put up 11 for 13, 203 yards, and two touchdowns, with both those touchdowns going to Barker, who also added four receptions and 150 yards receiving. Let's not forget the rushing duo of Makai Major and Mitchell DeAngelis, who both had big days on the ground for Timnath, with DeAngelis adding two touchdowns on the ground. On defense for Timnath, it was a five-sack effort for them, with Cade Geis getting two of those, Tanner Mock getting one, Alexander Wood getting half a sack, and Aiden Rizzo rounding it out with one and a half sacks of his own. And then Yvonne Hochalter got another interception this week, and Kate Geis forced a fumble, and Hochalter recovered. 
And then you had Alex Koltzak get seven kickoffs, four touchbacks, and then seven for seven on PATs. So another big week for him. In our next Thursday game, we got Alameda, who falls to 3A Littleton by a score of 46 to 14. There were no stats for Alameda in that one. Rounding out our Thursday games, we get Denver West, who destroys 3A Lincoln by a score of 46 to 0. For Denver West, it looks like Ahmad Hussein got eight carries and 186 yards, a monster game for him. And then two touchdowns from Roman Balea and another one from Angelo Sandoval. On defense, you had 13 tackles for loss with three of those going to Sandoval and another three and a half going to Alexander Ramon and two going to Damian Montanez. For sacks, you had Bear Yeatman get one and Alexander Ramon get one and a half for himself. And then Khalil Chase caught an interception. Now moving on to our Friday games where we start off with a great one where the number 10 in our power rankings, Englewood, falls to Arvada by a score of 48 to 36 as Arvada gets another win in yet another shootout. For Arvada, they continue to roll and they will actually enter my top 10 this week in my personal power rankings, just an FYI. And you have Trevor Lucero who added a huge stat-stuffing game yet again, going 20 for 25, 276 yards, and four touchdowns through the air. He also had two interceptions. Then we had 60 yards on the ground and another touchdown. Gabriel Mongoya added 89 yards rushing on offense. He also had 57 yards receiving with one touchdown rushing and another receiving. Christian Lake continues to be a top two-way player in the States with three sacks on defense and 48 yards receiving on offense. P.J. Sierra caught yet another touchdown this week. And speaking of touchdowns, Jariah Ariano now has eight receiving touchdowns on the year as he has another big game for Arvada. Four catches, 68 yards, and two touchdowns on the day. And then, oh yeah, he also returned a kick 65 yards to the house to ice the game while Arvada was only up four with four minutes left in the game. Unbelievable. For Englewood, it was another huge night for Dion Robinson and Carson Campbell. Robinson had a 164-yard effort on 23 carries and two touchdowns on the ground. For Campbell, he had three touchdowns through the air, going 15 for 27 and 257 yards. Dominic Dever had a huge night receiving, getting eight catches, 182 yards, and he also caught all three of those passing touchdowns from Campbell. In our next Friday game, we get Montezuma Cortez getting their first win on the year with a win over Kirtland Central, 54 to 40. Kirtland Central is a 4A out of New Mexico for those that don't know them. There were no stats for Montezuma Cortez in that game. In our next game, we got number eight, La Junta, who takes down 3A Pueblo West in a very nice win, 26-17, as they continue to rise in our power rankings. There were no stats for La Junta in this one, unfortunately. And then we got Wellington, who dominated Sterling, 36-14, as they stay undefeated. For Wellington, Cash Altswager and Tanner Gray led the way on offense, with Cash getting two rushing touchdowns and 81 yards on 14 carries. 
Gray also added 14 carries and another 128 yards with three touchdowns of his own. Gray then added four tackles and two tackles for loss on defense as well. And then also on defense, Canyon Breed and Julius Olivo both had multiple tackles for loss. There were no stats for Sterling in this one. In our next game, we got a really good one with number four in our power rankings, Rifle, getting the big win over the number nine in our 3A power rankings, Glenwood Springs, by a score of 22-20. to 20. For Rifle, it was a big game on offense for Logan Gross, as he had 283 yards through the air and a touchdown, and then he showed his dual-threat ability, adding 107 yards on the ground with another two touchdowns. Isaac Valencia got 61 yards of his own in rushing, 80 yards receiving, and a receiving touchdown. And then Sterling Cook caught nine passes for 157 yards. On defense for Rifle, it was a five-sack effort with two of those going to Troy Matea, one going to Gabe McGregor, one going to Efren Bustios, and another one going to Elijah Davidson. In our next game, we have Fort Lupton, who falls to Weld Central by a score of 28-23. This was a slow game with the score 6-0 Weld Central at the end of the first half, but then all hell broke loose in the second as Fort Lupton put up a 23 spot in the third and even had a 23-14 lead going into the fourth, but then they failed to score again. For Fort Lupton, you had Royce Guerrero, who had the usual average passing day, going 9-for-18, 121 yards, and one touchdown and two interceptions. But he also had the usual dominant game rushing the ball, getting 136 yards and two touchdowns on 22 carries. Caden Taylor had a good all-around game with 17 tackles and two and a half tackles for loss on defense. And then to go with that on offense, he had 70 yards on seven carries. On defense, you also had Jesse Soretto getting 10 tackles and three tackles for loss. We had another big-time matchup with number three in our 2A power rankings, Berthid, as they beat number six in our 3A power rankings, Thompson Valley, by a score of 16-14. to 14. On offense, Berthid was led by Alex Larson and Colby Bialik. Larson got 123 yards on 26 carries, and Bialik added 121 yards of his own on 10 carries. The touchdowns on offense were a passing touchdown with Darren Davidson hitting Jaden McCallis for a 52-yard touchdown, and the other one was a rushing touchdown also from Davidson. There were no stats for Berthid's defense, but they continue to be one of the top units in 2A. Next, we have Florence, who pulls out the win over Pagosa Springs in a close one, 35-32. to Lucas Nuss, sorry if I mispronounced that, put together four rushing touchdowns on only 30 yards rushing. Um, I could be wrong here for Florence, but um, from the looks of it, they switched to sophomore QB Noah Howard at some point after Tanner Rest got taken out going 6 for 14, 66 yards and two picks. I don't know if there's an injury there or something, but... That's just what it looks like. And um, Howard started the game with 34 yards receiving, but then when he was switched to QB, he went 2 for 6, 19 yards, and a touchdown through the air. There were no stats for Pagosa Springs in this one. In our next game, we got Devlin, who loses to Forge Christian 17-7 as Forge, Forge Christian moves on to 2-0 on the year. 
Trayson I used his legs to get both touchdowns for Forge Christian, and he also goes 10 for 16, 98 yards passing. Dante Vigil follows up his big game last week with 92 yards rushing, 15 yards receiving, and he also completed a 38-yard pass to Sullivan Strange, who had 79 yards receiving on five catches and an interception on defense. We didn't get any stats for Devlin in that game. We have a close game in our next one as, as number 7 TCA beats Alamosa by a score of 21-20. to For TCA, it was another solid game for Andrew Brown as he goes 11 for 15, 109 yards and a touchdown and no turnovers and also 40 yards rushing as well. The Wright brothers, I don't know if they are actually brothers, but I'm going with that nickname. Uh, led the defense with 14 tackles and a tackle and a tackle for loss for Gabriel, and nine tackles and a sack for Elijah. Jaron Texer had an interception, two pass deflections on defense, and then 41 yards and a touchdown receiving on offense. For Alan Mosa, you had Dyson Woodward having another big game, going 16 for 29. 308 yards and a touchdown, but he also had a pick and a lost fumble. Two receivers for Alamosa actually had over 100 yards. Michael Motts got four catches, 126 yards for himself, and then Brant Jackson was all over the field today, but as far as receiving goes, he got three receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown. But on defense, he got four tackles for loss, and also added 20 yards rushing on offense as well, and a 44-yard pass completion. Going on to our next game, we got Steamboat Springs, who gets the win over 1A Middle Park, 21-6. This was a big game for Thomas Krupp, who got 15 carries, 167 yards, and two touchdowns. And then punter Charlie Reisman got two punts inside the 20 in that one. Next, we got the number one in our power rankings, Delta, staying undefeated, beating Palisade, who is a 3A team, 35-10. The rushing duo of Giovanni Romero and Talon Hewlett continue to roll through teams, with Romero getting 121 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. Hewlett, he got 137 yards on only 9 carries and a touchdown for him, as he continues his streak of games with a touchdown. On defense, there were four players with over 10 tackles for Delta. Caleb Richmond led the way with 18 for himself. And then from there, it was Xavier Martinez who got 12 and two tackles for loss. And then Tucker Johnson stuffed the stat sheet, getting 11 tackles. Two of those were tackles for loss. He also had a forced fumble, and he recovered that fumble. And then Talon Hewlett, mentioned earlier on offense, got 11 tackles on defense. In our second-to-last Friday game, we got Salida, who gets the nice win over number 7 in our 1A power rankings, Rye, by a score of 39-22. to There were no stats for Salida in that one. Then in our last Friday game, it is Aspen who falls to Meeker, a very good 1A team, 35-21. to There were no stats for Aspen in that one. Now let's get into these Saturday games. Starting off our Saturday games, we got Grand Valley, who loses badly to a very solid 1A squad in North Fork, 42-16. Andrew Horner looked better this week for Grand Valley, 
He went 7 for 12 with a touchdown passing, and then he added another touchdown rushing as well. And then he lost a fumble, but there were no picks this week, so we're taking that as an improvement. Mason Schopner got four catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown for Grand Valley. And then on defense, it was Gabriel Mendoza leading the way with 11 tackles and a tackle for loss. And then on offense, he got 33 yards rushing, and he lost a fumble. In our next Saturday game, Bayfield falls to Moffat County in a high-scoring game, 42-33. to There were no stats in this one. Then Kent Denver destroys 1A Highland in a game they should have won, 59-8. to Very nice win for Kent Denver, but there were no stats for them on max preps. Next, we have the number two in our 2A power rankings, Elizabeth, who stays unbeaten with a win over the Academy, who continues to slide 41-7. Rounding out our Saturday games for 2A here in week three, we have the number nine in our power rankings, Eaton, getting back on track with a big win over Platte Valley, 48-12. There were no stats for Eaton in this one, but... Good for them getting that win, getting that monkey off their back. Now, hopefully, they will start to get a roll here and start to put together some more wins. All right, beautiful people, and welcome to my game recap of the week. This time, we're going to go through Mountain View and Green Mountain. So, after some uh, after those car troubles I mentioned earlier, that or well, I guess I'll I'll be mentioning them later. But I had some car troubles on Thursday, so I wasn't able to make it to Denver South versus Longmont. But I was very happy to be able to go down to Loveland. Uh, this was my first time at Ray Patterson Stadium, and I was able to watch the Mountain View Mountain Lions take on the Green Mountain Rams. Now, a little mini game for you. If you take a drink of water every time I say mountain during this recap, <laughs> or uh, take a shot, I guess, you wouldn't wake up for two days. Uh, in any case, this was a uh, the choice to watch this game was driven by two factors. First, Mountain View doesn't publish statistics on Max Prep, so I wanted to know if there was anybody that we were missing. And then I also wanted to see how good Green Mountain is in person. We all know that there's a difference between how dominant a team is on paper and how dominant they are when you actually see them. And so you'll soon hear how that went. But we are going to start this off with the Mountain View Mountain Lions. Two drinks right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, we started it off when uh, Colden Lucero, he recovered the kickoff for about 20 yards. And after a fumble on a bad snap, we had a three and out. Then Derek Parker punted for 40 but a false start got called. Green Mountain declined it, so we went on defense. After Cooper Lubiani made a tackle, Tyson Mears-Benz, he managed to save a touchdown. Trevor Poole got a tackle, and then the Mountain Lions allowed a 20-yard score on 3rd and 7 to go down 0-8 with 9.21 in the 1st. Lucero made it another 15 yards on the kickoff return, and then Tony Schnee ran for three. After an intentional grounding call, Parker punted for 45, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, and after a holding call, uh, Lubiani and Casey Mendoza got another tackle. 
before another touchdown was allowed, and then it was 0-15 with 6 minutes 30 seconds. After another 3 and out, Bodie Hupfner got a tackle, and then the Mountain Lions really showed a lot of fight on a few group tackles. It felt like the momentum, well, it wasn't swinging, but it was starting to become a little bit more even. Uh, they managed to force a longer fourth down. I think it was like fourth and six, fourth and seven, but they did allow a first down to be converted in that situation, and then a touchdown. They did manage to keep out the conversion attempt. They stopped it a couple of yards short to make it 0-21 with 2.41 in the first. Uh, Tyler Klusman, he got 10 yards on the kickoff return, and then Keegan Amans ran for three ran for about five, and after another punt, uh, Anthony Herrera got a tackle where his helmet came off to end the first quarter. To start the second, Thane Sparks lit up the energy when he forced a fumble. He, so he was, uh, he managed to beat his lineman, and he got behind the running back, and he just reached in and ripped it out of uh, out of the running back's arms. And I thought, okay, this is, for about like half a second, this game's going to start, like, the momentum's going to start to swing, Mountain View's going to get back on offense, take a little bit of control. But it was quickly recovered by Green Mountain. And by that, I mean, it didn't even touch the ground, really. It was, rec- it was recovered while it was still in the air. It was really weird. Uh, but then... J.R. Ryan, he got in, he got a tackle, and then Mountain View allowed another touchdown, 10.38 to go in the second. Uh, they were down 0-28 uh, here. Not great, but it's still salvageable. Uh, Amans ran for another five, and then the Mountain Lions, they got called for holding on what would end up being a pick six, putting them down... 0-35 with 10-10 left on the clock. Uh, Lucero got another 10-yard return on the kickoff, and then Amans ran for 11. After a chop block personal foul called back a, a, a longer run by Amans, Birkenroth tried to run but only got it about 2-3 to three yards, which resulted in a turnover on downs, I believe. Uh, Lubiani got another tackle, and with the help of Klusman forced a punt, uh, after a fumbled snap, Amon's lost his helmet, and the Mountain Lions had one of their best drives, where they ended up luring the Rams' D-line off sides, and then Schnee ran for four, and it really felt like it was going somewhere. However, it was soon it was soon in a situation where Parker had to punt again, once more for about 45 yards, before Diego Sirio got a tackle. The Mountain Lions allowed another touchdown to end the half to go down 0-42. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys about the second half. I mostly watched in the second half. When a team gets up or down by 42, I really only start marking the plays that stick out to me and the players that I that really made an impression for me. And there honestly wasn't much in the third quarter. At that point, it was running clock. But... Mountain View did shut out the Rams and kept it from hitting 50, which it very, which it felt like it was going to. Uh, but at this point, it was a, it, it was Mountain View just doing their absolute darndest to keep it from hitting 50, which they did. 
Uh, Sparks got another tackle, along with Mendoza, and then uh, Maddox Schmidt got in on the action. Uh, Klusman got one, and then Hupfner did the same. And the Mountain Lions really played uh, solid defense. Like, heading into the fourth quarter, they just were able to keep Green Mountain back a lot more than they were in the first half. Um, now, they did allow a touchdown with 3.36 left to go, to go down 0-49, to but it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, and then the Mountain Lions really did pretty well to stop the bleeding in the second half, and ended the game, I, I feel at least, with their, head, with their heads held high. They, I mean, everyone that I saw, it's not like they had smiles on their faces, but it's certainly better than I've seen for some losses that ended up like that. So... I know that was quick, but we have found ourselves at the defensive playmaker of the game, Tyler Klusman. Uh, and now, since Mountain View doesn't publish stats, I'm going off of memory here, and honestly kind of vibes. But Klusman is the man that really impressed me most on defense for the Mountain Lions. Uh, him and a... Uh, him and another fella that I that I noticed during the during the game, yeah. So I I noticed uh, Spencer Baranovich, uh, Trevor Poole, also saw a uh, also, yeah. Felt like those guys all did a pretty good job defensively. But I feel like uh, I, I feel like Klusman, he was providing really good energy and honestly just doing his job really well for the purple and white, and against overwhelming odds it felt like like looking at the sidelines he was the guy that was pushing making sure that his guys were staying energized and ready for the game ahead and so here's what uh, here's what Klusman had to say about staying strong against really overwhelming odds Tyler when we're looking at the defensive effort for the Mountain Lions tonight you were one of the major one of the major playmakers but also one of the main major energetic like making sure that everybody's staying at the right energy level to be able to compete with a top five three eighteen. So when you're looking at trying to keep your squad energized in in a game like this, what is your mental approach? Um, I just want to lift them up, really. Just make sure their mentality stays the same, even if we are down forty nine to zero. Just that ment mentality stays the same, and we keep fighting no matter what. All right. And when you're when you're going against a team like this, and your legs are tired, you want to go home, but you know that you got to be able to make that next play. What what goes through your head when you're making those crucial plays to make sure this game goes longer? Um, just the fact that my whole team and my whole school has my back, and I know that they will want and they expect the best for me, so no matter what, I just do my best and go give 100%. All right. Thank you very much, Tyler. And, I mean, seeing how, how you played, I... I mean, it sounds weird to say, but that's kind of the answer I expected. You put in 100% effort, you were going for every play, no matter the circumstance, and you were given the, the, uh, you were given the Green Mountain Rams the toughest time that you could. And so, other guys that I feel like put in that same amount of effort, uh, Keegan Amans uh, and Derek Parker. Now, I chose these two as co-playmakers of the game. Because both of them, I mean, they both serve different capacities, but I feel like they had similar similar impact on the game. 
So with Keegan, I feel like on offense, he's the guy that that Mountain View could really rely on the most and who was getting the most consistent production against one of the most one of the best defenses in not only in 3A but in the entire state. Like it felt like if you give him the ball, he's going to get you 5 yards. Um even like even if he's got two of the best linemen in the state like directly in front of him, he's going to find a way to power through. And so having that consistency really felt like it gave Green Mountain a little bit of room. And so he, here's Amon's... Uh, by the way, Keegan, I hope I'm saying your right name right, but or your last name right, but here he is for comment. You were up against one of the top defenses in 3A tonight, and you're going to be going up against another top three 3A defense next week. And so when you're looking at providing consistency on offense when the air game's not working your way, what is your approach to making sure that you're getting those consistent ground plays? Uh, I'm just giving my all. I'm going 100%, even though my team might – I mean, we're going to miss blocks. We're going to miss all that. But if I just need to know that I'm giving my best, trying to get those runs to help our team get the first down and farther in the touchdown. All right. And so when you're looking back on what you remember from last year or the pieces that you're going to have to be covering – what is what do you remember from last year that you're looking to continue into next week? Um, well, they're they're a strong team. I mean, we know that we we're gonna get a good practice. We're gonna work hard. I mean, we know that they're like I said, they're a strong team, and we just need to come out better. It's not how bigger they are; it's a skill, and who wants it more? So we need to make sure that our team stays ready, and we want it more, and just fix the little things that we messed up last year to and get them right this year to keep the score closer and hopefully pull out a win. Thank you very much, Keegan. And, uh, I mean, hopefully you guys are able to pull out that win against Holy Family. Uh, or at least hopefully it'll be a pretty good game. Because last year it was a bit of a shootout. But Holy Family has got some really good pieces this year. So it, it'll be very interesting to see how that matchup ends up going. And then finally, we have Derek Parker. Who I feel like was the discovery of the night. And... This is the thing about coaches not inputting stats, because if I hadn't gone to this game, I wouldn't have known that Derek Parker is one of the better punchers in the state. He, His form reminds me so much of Gavin Helm over at Windsor, and like, I don't know how, <laughs> how he did this, but like, it felt like, like about 70% of the time he was getting a perfect spiral on his punt like it was it was insane to watch like the first time i was like okay well i've done that once or twice but then he did it like the next three times and i'm like okay this isn't an accident this is this is his form this is his technique and the thing about uh derek is that he usually plays wide receiver and corner but right now he has a broken pinky so he's relegated to playing special teams and parker actually was kind of Surprising when I asked him about it. So here's Parker uh, commenting on his new role with the Mountain Lions. Well, not to provide any spoilers, but I'm going to make the executive decision to add you to our punters watch list right now. Because you were getting those things like 40 yards consistently. And so when it comes to what is your approach to the technique of punting? Because a lot of people, like, it seems like you either get it 50 yards or you get it like 10. Um, well, to be honest, I was I just started punting last week. Um, we had a new punter, but it's like 
when they're coming at you, it's like, you can't be scared. It's like, you can't have really a technique. You just got to, like, have the mentality. You can't be, like, scared or anything. And just, like, give it your all, like, punt it. You don't have to have, like, strength or anything. You just got to do what you got to do. And obviously you're in a bit of a tough spot injury-wise right now, but what what are you doing from the sidelines offensively and defensively to keep your team in high spirits? I'm trying to keep their mentality up. Like, don't get down on yourself because we can't go into, like, a quarter or a half or a play with, like, a down mentality because then, like, the whole team gets down because they're relying on a bunch of people. Like, the sidelines are relying on, like, defense when they're out there. Sidelines are relying on offense and our team and our crowd and everything. They're relying on all of us to, like, keep our heads up because they're always there for us. Also, uh, Simon, Cody, Gino, I will say, I know you're listening. I I am going to make that one of my few executive decisions, uh, adding adding Derek to the punter's watch list because watching him, watching it was just beautiful. And, I mean, what I saw there was that he was able to consistently get the ball as far away from the end zone as possible, which I know is the point of punting, but, like, he was getting it, like, 45 yards, like, between 35 and 45 yards, consistently. And I, I, I recommended to him after the game, if you if you are someone who's interested in kicking or punting, go to the Coles Combine and just see what happens. Because, I mean, for, I, I, I've heard this before, but for every kicker that shows up at a Combine, uh, for, for every 20 kickers, that is, uh, there's one punter that shows up. And punters are a really important part of the game. And so, yeah, really, really high on Derek Parker. Uh, have a feeling he could he could go far. But on to Green Mountain, who I think we have them number four in 3A right now. And I, I'll talk about that a little bit more later when I talk about it in my rankings. But here we go. So, Green Mountain started this game electing to defer, and on the kickoff, Brady Wilder kicked for 55 yards. Blake Wesling got a tackle, followed by Austin Beeson getting a pass deflection, which ultimately helped to force a punt. After a pitch was dropped, Dalton Polinio ran for two, Max Chabon ran for six, and then Noel Dackers ran for three. Um, then Weslin passed... Then Westland passed Polignon for a 20-yard score, and Beeson got the conversion to go up 8-0 with 9-21 in the first. Reed Elliott started off defense with a tackle on Wilder's 55-yard kickoff, and then Westland and Landon Hides shared a tackle for loss. Hines then got a hurry to help get possession back, and once they were back on offense, uh, Dackers caught for four and then ran for eight. Polignot ran for eight himself, and then Westland got a running touchdown. After a false start on the conversion attempt, Wilder hit the PAT to go up 15-0 with 6.37 in the first frame. The kickoff went out, and then Dacker got a pass deflection. Shaban ran for three, and then Westland passed to Polignot for 14, who then ran in the touchdown. Polignot, that is. But illegal for May... Illegal formation kept the Rams from converting, making it only 21-0 with 2.41 left in the frame. Isaiah Osai got a tackle, and then Westland got one for loss. Westland then got a hurry, which was inches away from getting a sack, or more seconds, because he ended up... Uh, the intentional grounding earlier, that's uh, 
that was on this play, and that ultimately helped to force a punt. Uh, Polignol ran for six, and then George Soapy ran for a first down to end the first quarter. Also, I know that it's spelled uh, S-O-P-P-E, but that's the that's the positive part about sitting near the parents is that they say the names right, <laughs> so you get to you get to know how, how names are said. In any case, uh, to start the second, Dacker recovered a fumble, and then Shaban ran for eight. Westland threw to Dax Gomez for an 18-yard touchdown, and then Wilder hit a PAT to go up 28-0 with 10.38 left in the quarter. Then, after a timeout with 10.22 on the clock, Soapy caught an interception and took it to the house for 36 yards to widen the gap to 35-0 with 10.10 left. Also, I know that it works, and but the whole thing where everyone lines up on one side and you're making it look like you're going for a conversion, and then you spread out, and it ends up being a PAT, that only works like three times before it gets really predictable, <laughs> and it got really, and like, you could tell they were going to do it every, every time after this, and so... Mini side rant aside. In any case, uh, Soapy and Jacob Parisi got a tackle together, and then Shaban got a tackle for loss. Westland then got two tackles in a row, followed by Elliott. And then once back on offense, Green Mountain had some really, really quick plays. Uh, but they ended up punting after trying to punch through with runs. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it more later, but Green Mountain, it felt like they were just able to switch speeds really really quickly so one moment it felt like uh, so one moment it felt like they could go like slow if they really wanted to and then the next moment like they kind of lull you into a sense of security where you're like okay they're gonna take a couple of minutes have some motion in the backfield and then all of a sudden Blake like before you can even think Blake, Blake Weslin is uh, is tossing it downfield to Shabon or uh or Polinio is all of a sudden just like dashing, dashing down the middle, and you're like, "Holy crap! Like that, that was quick!" And so they're really good at switching speeds and catching teams off guard, or catching this team off guard at the very least. But I have a feeling it works. And so once back on offense, Green Mountain had some, had uh, yeah. So they ended up punting, but after an offsides, they played with some really, really good defense, and everyone felt united in movement, resulting in a quick return to offense. Uh, Soapy ran for 15 through contact, and by through contact, I mean he was dragging his defender for about 10 yards before another defender joined. <laughs> and then uh, Demetrius Padilla, he ended up getting a short touchdown on the within the next couple of plays, which Wilder converted the PAT on to make it 42-0 to zero to close the half. Now, in the second half, uh, Soapy got another pass deflection in the third, and that was basically it that happened in the third. That was notable enough for me to write down. Again, it was a lot of really short back-and-forth action, and it there wasn't really too much happening. Um, Alan Johnston? Uh, well, no. Okay. Moving back a little bit. Uh, Max Babel, he ended up running for eight in the fourth. And then Drew Contreras, he ran for about 20 yards, which really, like, I was like, okay, okay, they got some players here. Um, and after a false start, uh, Max Babel, he ended up punching in a touchdown to make it a 49-0 game with about 336 left. 
Then uh, Alan Johnston, he got a tackle with Matthew Rickett. And then Johnston got a pass deflection to close out the game. So, I mean, for the entire second half, it was a running clock. So it went by really, really quickly, but still felt like there were a couple of uh, couple of players, Max Babel in particular, who I feel is going to be a much bigger part on this team in the coming years. Now onto our playmakers of the game. So we're going to start with our defensive playmaker of the game. We got George Soapy, who he ended up having a couple of pass deflections uh, on offense. Even he had 36 rushing yards and. Uh, well, it felt like he had a couple of receiving yards, but yeah, he was just all around really solid here. I feel good about having George Soapy here. Uh, okay, he, here's something kind of funny. When all of the Green Mountain players that I requested to talk to, when they all walked over, I said to them, damn, there isn't one of you under 6'4", is there? And he was like, ah, sorry, man, I'm 6'3", and I'm like, Okay, well, that's close enough. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> and the thing is, like, having somebody... Like, ha having a 6'3 guy who can get you just, like, 75 yards between both sides of the ball, who's able to play DB and be a running back and get, like, all this production, it's... It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> so... You're looking at the situation. He, he's not taking on the same workload as he did last year in terms of offense, uh, but it feels like he's like he's still keeping his rhythm on defense. And so he got a pick six, and he was just really patrolling the air, and he made it really hard for the Mountain Lions to find a consistent offensive rhythm in the air. And so ultimately, here's what, uh, here's what Soapy had to say about controlling the game even when you're up big. So, George, I had the I had the pleasantry of uh, sitting right next to your family most oh. of tonight, and and they were they were really excited for the opportunity to see you get that pick six and see you continue to have an impact on the game. And so, when you're looking forward, 3A has some of the best quarterbacks in the state. You played against Jaden. You played against the Hoffman brothers last week. And so, when you're looking at those def at those offensive schemes, what are you looking at defensively to be able to make plays like that? I mean. Just like uh, Blake said earlier, we watch a ton of film, really analyze. We got the best coaches in the state. They get us more prepared than we could possibly be. Come out ready. We know what the plays are before. I mean, we're ready to play. We all come together as a team, and our defense just dominates. And uh, how many more of those do you think you're going to get by the end of the season? <laughs> Hopefully a few more. I don't know. We'll see. Thank you, George. Uh, now, it is always good to, to hear votes of confidence, but something that I heard in there really made me feel good about Green Mountain's chances to make it to the Final Four, at the very least. And it's what he said about knowing the offense's plays. Um, now, I know that sounds like a really stock answer, but I mean, th think about it. What it, It's like when the Nuggets were facing the Timberwolves in the first round of the uh, of the playoffs this year, or last year, I guess now. And I think it was the Timberwolves coach, Chris Finch, and he, was, he, he ended up coming out and saying they knew everything we were going to do. And then Contavious Caldwell Pope, he, like he said to Anthony Edwards, I think, like, I know, I, I got exactly what's in your brain right now. And so when you're thinking about that, like that is, 
like having a coaching staff that's able to make it so you know exactly what that team is going to do. It gives you so much. And especially on the defensive side of the ball, you're able to make those right moves to get in the position to make big plays. And so making big plays offensively, though, uh, at least helping to, is the job of our offensive playmakers of the game, who are David Ives and Colton Patterson, the offensive and defensive linemen. And so one of the other main things that I learned about Green Mountain during this game is that when they want, like they're, I mean, I already mentioned it earlier, but they can adjust speeds. And so it felt like the time between plays was only two to three seconds. And a large part of what made that possible was these all-state quality linemen in David Ives and Colted Patterson. And so these are both guys who are big. Now they're not they're not like Ethan Thomason or Noah Atherton big. They are Desmond Bain big, if you get what I mean. They're they're a little bit on the smaller side, but they are strong. They are built. Like they are they're built like defensive linemen, more than offensive linemen, if that makes sense. But these are really fast guys, and it felt like they were, like they are perfect for this offense. And so we're going to go with Ives first. He's one of the team captains. And here's what he had to say. Oh, and Soapy is one of the team captain, captains as well. But Ives, he, here's what he had to say about tonight, about that night's win. So you are one of the top linemen in 3A, and Green Mountain is renowned across the state for having one of the best offensive and defensive lines. So when, you, so when you're looking at being able to anchor what is really the foundation of having a good team, what's your approach as a captain? Uh, my approach is just uh, have everybody on the same page and just try to be a team. You know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and uh, yeah, pretty much that. And how do you keep the energy going full steam ahead? Because even in a game like this, when you're up like 21-28-0, that's a game that teams can still come back from. So what do you do as a, as a captain to make sure that everybody is staying and dialed in to make sure that a comeback doesn't happen? Uh, you know, score is always 0-0, we say, and uh, just trying to keep everybody focused on the sideline. Uh, we had a few mistakes today where people didn't know what they were on, uh, special teams-wise, and, you know, that shouldn't happen. But... Uh, we just need to keep stay on their stay on their butts and yeah, that's, sorry. I'm not very I'm not very good at this media stuff. Okay, you're all good, man. David, thank you again for letting me ask you a couple of questions there. And you are good at the media stuff. I feel like you explained what you were talking about, especially with the making sure you have the right assignment on special teams there pretty well. Um, and I also had a chance to talk to Colton Patterson, who was another one of our All-PMC guys last year. Uh, but Patterson is someone that I feel is still really underrated. I feel like Patterson really has the energy of the strong, silent type of, I'm going to smash you in the mouth, I'm not going to say a word to you, but if you're my teammate, I'm going to make sure that you get back up and do what you need to do, and I'm going to make sure that... Uh, that you feel good about yourself tomorrow. And so here's what I talk, here's uh, here's Patterson with what we talked about when it comes to the outlook for the rest of the season. You are one of the anchors on both sides of the ball for what is hoping to be one of the state con title contenders in 3A. 
And so when you're looking to trying to make it back to the state championship, what are you doing to make sure that this team stays on that path? Uh, as coach, the coaches, they're just getting us prepared every week for a dogfight. Even doesn't matter who we're playing. We come out with the same mentality that it's a 0-0 game all the time. And it could be the best team in the state or the worst team in the state, but we come out with the same mentality of just dominating them on both sides of the ball. And uh, today, you like you got the, the line was just crushing the crushing the quarterback, getting all types of pressure. And so, when you're looking forward in next week's matchup, do you feel you'll be able to get the same kind of looks defensively, or do you think you're gonna have to adjust your approach like pretty drastically? Uh, we'll have to watch the film for Pueblo South next week, and we'll come up with a game plan of how we'll block it and how we'll defend it. And then we'll come out on Friday next week with a with a solid game plan and try to execute that game plan. And our coaches will get us coaches will get us ready to play for next week. And finally, what type of hardware do you think this team is going to rack up by the end of the season? Well, it just depends on how we come out every week. If we come out flat, we could lose to anyone, but we come out with the same mentality of dominating. We'll come out and we can win any game. But we just got to be focused every week, watch film, come ready to play. We can't, can't let, off, let off the gas now. Thank you very, very much, Colton. And I do like what he said there about coming out with that mentality of dominating. Because it, just having that 0-0 game mindset, like all, all the teams have that, it feels like nowadays. But having that mentality of, I don't care who's on the other side of that ball. It could be Peyton Manning. Or it could be a five-year-old. I'm going to destroy them. Like, like having that mindset, I feel like, is going to be the mindset of of whoever wins the 3A championship this year. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that Roosevelt or Lutheran or Holy Family doesn't have that mindset as well. But I feel like of those four teams, whoever most consistently applies that ideology is going to be who wins. And finally, we have the playmaker of the game for the Rams. Um, we have Blake Weslin. Now, Blake did it all for Green Mountain in this game. He was playing. He was being really consistent on offense. He uh, he could have played the second half, but he chose. But he ended up not. But he was consistent in the air. He was consistent on the ground. He was making the right reads, giving it to the right, giving it to the right guys. On defense, he was consistently getting tackles, consistently getting through to the quarterback, getting that pressure, getting, well, what should have been a sack. Like, really just doing all that is possible to do on a field. And so I feel like if Blake Weslin stays healthy, then this is really not going to be a team to be trifled with. And so, ultimately, here's Weslin with what he thought about this night's game. When we're looking at a performance against any team, but especially a team that was sing singling in on you as hard as they did tonight, what was your perspective and what was your focus when trying to take about this this Martin View defense? Um, I think we're just coming out here to win and everyone do their job and just do their job to the best of their ability and get out here and get the dub. And when you're looking forward to next week's matchup here, 
we're starting to get to the point where we're getting into the league games. And uh, when you're trying to dial in, get ready for those league matchups, what are you continuing to try to fix heading into your more familiar games? Um, after every game, we, we go in and we watch film and really just correcting every mistake that we're making on the field on Fridays and putting that into practice and just getting better. And what was your favorite moment from tonight? Mm, favorite moment for tonight was seeing my, my boy Max Babel score a touchdown at the end of the game. It, there is always something special about seeing the future start to manifest itself. And I mean, like looking at looking at Max, I, I think he was only a freshman. And so thinking about the future for Green Mountain, I mean, you've got a lot of good players graduating after this year. And so knowing that you have a couple of players who give you a bright future is really, really good for this team. And so, ultimately, let's move on to the overall game summary. So, thinking about this game holistically and what it means for both teams, this is one of the most thorough dismantlings that I have seen. Um, I respect Mountain View for playing two top five teams two weeks in a row. Uh, I mean, hell, for playing three top five teams, uh, one in 4A and two and three a uh three weeks in a row but i mean holy family is gonna be tough man the, the, this is a team where if the chips fall as perfectly as they can i i see winning like two maybe three games if they keep playing like they did and i mean the mountain lions already are in one of the toughest leagues in the state they have five teams that can make the playoffs in this league uh and there are top, there are two top five three A teams and two four A teams on the non league schedule, one of which was the state runner up last year. Now uh, the only winnable games on the schedule are Centaurus, Northridge, and Severance, and even and and even then it's pretty iffy. And I mean honestly, in order to improve this team, and I know this sounds counterintuitive, but hear me out. This is a team that needs some easy games. You need to schedule like a Pueblo Centennial or a Lincoln or something to get your guys in a good momentum swing. And then and then like up it a bit when you're getting like closer to your league schedule with like a Discovery Canyon or a Woodland Park. And you'll have a couple of good tests, ratchet up the uh, the intensity heading into league. And I mean right now this isn't a team that's going to win a championship. But it feels like they're being scheduled like they're Roosevelt. <laughs> and, I mean, hell, they, they they have a tougher schedule proportionally to where they're at than some teams in 5A um, that are supposed top five teams. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and if I'm, if I'm a middle schooler that's going to school in Loveland... And you have your choice between Thompson Valley, Loveland High, and Mountain View, and I want to play football, and I want to play winning football, and I want to have a chance to play in college, where are you going to go? Seeing the win totals and seeing the types of teams that you're playing, you're not making it easier. You're not making it easier for yourself. And I will say that your student section was amazing. The vast majority stayed all the way through, and they were really, like, cheering and chanting and just going at it the whole game. The band was great. The energy was good. I, 
I felt good in that stadium, even when you guys were down 42-0 to zero at half. You're just not making it easy on yourselves. And this is a team that needs to catch a break. This is a team that I like. And I want you guys to succeed. And I think taking it easy on yourselves for a year or two is the way to do that. And working your way back up may be... may help you. Um, On the other hand, though, we have a team that's ready to win now. We have Green Mountain, who... I explain it a little bit in my rankings, but they are 1D. Um, By that, I mean there are four teams that I think could feasibly be the number one team in 3A. Uh, They're just in that mix. Uh, They have proven to me that they have a top five O and D line that rivals teams like Lyman, Fountain Fort Carson, and Rock Canyon. This is a great team. And it sucks thinking about that I that only one of Roosevelt, Lutheran, Holy Family, and Green Mountain can win a championship. Four of the top ten teams in the state are 3A. Think about it like that. Because what I thought about while I was writing this is that Loveland played against played against Mountain View, and Loveland only won 28-7. Green Mountain scored 42 in the first half. They probably could have made it 50 if they really wanted to. And didn't allow anything. The same Loveland team that scored that was 28-7 against Mountain View beat Fossil Ridge. Beat the beat the supposed best player in the state, Engage Ginther. Take, what, take from that what you will, but Green Mountain dismantled the team that had only that was only three scores away from Loveland last week. Um, now, I do have plans to watch three of the top four teams in 3A this season. Uh, I am planning on going to see Holy Family at Conifer, and then I'm planning on watching Roosevelt and Severance play each other. And if Lutheran uh, plays any games near me in the playoffs, I'm definitely going to try to make it to one of those. But this is just insane. Uh, Speaking of Holy Family, Mountain View, as previously mentioned, will be playing them next week, and Green Mountain will be playing the Pueblo South Colts, who will be making the long drive up to Lakewood. And ultimately, that is all for today. Hope you all are having a good one. Stay safe. Don't die. Don't get captured. And go out and support Colorado football. See you next week, and peace. Thank you, Gideon, for that 3A recap. And I got another 2A slash 3A recap for you guys here. And this one was a pretty significant one as it took place between our number four ranked 2A team, the Rifle Bears, and our number nine tied team in 3A, the Glenwood Springs Demons. So a high-end 2A team and then a very competitive 3A team here. I actually drove out to Glenwood for this game. Beautiful drive and one of the most beautiful sights from a stadium or field in the entire state. I still can't wait till we find time to do a stadium analysis of all the stadiums here in Colorado and assess which one is the best one. But that will have to wait for another day because today we're going to talk about this game between the Glenwood Springs Demons 
and the rifle bears that took place on Friday, September 8th, 2023. And this one is one to remember here because, man, both these teams just competed so hard. And let's get into what made them compete so hard. And it started off with a huge return all the way past midfield, thanks to Mason Markovich here, who, like I said, took it to the other 49-yard line. Despite the really good return on this drive, the Demons would not really make anything of it, as eventually they end up in third and 13, and a couple of rifle bears by the name of Efren Bastios and Troy Mataya or Mataya get there and sack the quarterback and finalize the drive, forcing Glenwood to punt with fourth and a 14er to go. Get it? Because we're in the mountains. But anyways, Glenwood gets a very friendly bounce, which means Rifle will have to start the game on their own 10-yard line. But that doesn't matter because the Bears will fool even me, the cameraman here, and route to picking up a first down and getting to the 31-yard line. But the Glenwood Springs defense would make some plays on this drive as number 50 Oliver Walls and number 11 Max Bullock account for the cutback for the QB on the next play. And then following that, Jake Croissant gets a tackle for loss. And on third and 11, Logan Gross gets really close diving for the first, but it's just inches short. And on fourth and short, number 80 for the Demons stands up the ball carrier. And after that, they pull the chains out here. And that will be ruled short. Mason Markovich finishing off that play. And number 80 not available on my thing here. But turnover on downs, Glenwood ball around the 40 going in. There's no one open here. And so Sandoval will just keep. And that'll lead to two short runs and an incompletion where that will set up fourth and seven. Sandoval doesn't see any pass downfield, and then the defense has a chance to recover and contest a catch that Sandoval throws up there, and it's a turnover on down. So lots of great defensive stops to start this game. Rifle, they would get a triple option here to number 21, who is Isaac Valencia. That would pick up eight yards, but Aussie Hilgeford for Glenwood on the next play would have a sweet swim move that causes a pause on a quarterback keeper and force third and short. Number five, Zach Bullock fires off the line, but Valencia twists ahead and extends for a first. Now on the 50-yard line, Mason Markovich will meet the ball carrier at the handoff and force a loss for three. And after an overthrow, it is third and 13 for Rifle, and they will not convert, and they will have to punt on this next drive. Glenwood lines up as if they're doing a screen with a bunch formation, a trips bunch formation, I should say, split out wide. But Sandoval keeps left and kicks up 16 to their own 40-yard line. Now, on this next play, Troy Mataya continues his dominance. He's killing this Demon's O-line, and he gets another sack on Sandoval. And on the very next play, his running mate, number 58, gets a short tackle, and the Demons will eventually punt on this drive. Now, Rifle, on their own 26-yard line, they're going to do a jet sweep right that is picked up very quick by number 50, Glenwood. Now, on this next play, the quarterback, Logan Gross, rolls left and ticks, takes off for a first down. Now, they run a keeper right for two yards, and that'll be the end of the first quarter, 0-0. Zero to zero. 
on their opening play of the second quarter. Rifle has a Chatfield level of misdirection, and 10 ends up going up the gut and getting a first. Number 10 being Logan Gross, by the way. So they got a first down here. They then try to go outside here, and Sandoval, number 7 for Glenwood, makes the QB pay by meeting him on the line. After a deep incompletion, it is third and 10, and Rifle tries to air it out, but the pass is too deep inside, and Joaquin Sandoval gets the interception, giving Glenwood Springs the ball on their own 13-yard line, and this is the first of many big plays from both teams. Now, they have some of the same penetration up the middle to start this drive, Rifle, that is, but Sandoval eludes the pass rush and picks up seven. Now, after a trip up by number five, Kevin R. Vizo of Rifle, Glenwood here has to readjust, and on third and two, they call a quarterback keeper. Joaquin Sandoval picks up the first. Now, with 55 leading the way for Glenwood here on this next run play, that'll open up an opportunity for Mason Markovich, who picks up about five. They call a screen left for about four, and that'll set up third and one. They hand off to Mason Markovich, who avoids a tackle, cuts left, freezing the defender, and is off to the races with a 63-yard touchdown run, Mason Markovich. Off of the Joaquin Sandoval interception, Glenwood capitalizes, and Mason Markovich punctuates it with a 63-yard play. That would be the longest play of this entire game. Now, I know according to Max Preps, it says 66. I was going off of what the announcer said of 63, but either way, it is the biggest play of this game and a massive one for Glenwood to go up early 6-0 with 7 minutes and 45 seconds left in the first half. Now... Rifle on their own 20-yard line. They hand off to Valencia, who goes right for about five yards. And after an incompletion, it is third and five. The Bears finally complete a pass and get out to the 40. But Zach Bollock, the sophomore, the former Roaring Fork sophomore and playing for Glenwood Springs this year for the Demons, punches out the ball that the receiver is running with and then also dives on it to give Glenwood the ball right back. So back-to-back drives for Rifle and in turnovers here, and Glenwood is smelling blood in the water, but not as much as Troy is for Rifle. Number 59 gets another sack to start off this Glenwood drive, and it makes me wonder if Glenwood will be able to capitalize off of this drive. The Demons line just doesn't hold up well against the pass, but Sandoval escapes for a few, and on third and 13, Sandoval sets, but is then flushed outright while he accelerates, cuts right, takes one defender's ankles, and keeps going across the field, making two defenders run into each other, and they get a piece of him, but he recovers from the stubble and walks in for the score to finish off a bizarre 47-yard touchdown run. Glenwood is up 12 to nothing with 6.42. They score both of these touchdowns basically within a minute of each other, both of those coming off of great opportunities from the defense. They ride that momentum both times, and I mean... This touchdown is literally an improvised play by Joaquin Sandoval here, who's just trying to escape the pass rush and ends up taking off up the left sideline and cuts all the way right across the field. Like I said, making two defenders literally run into each other and then stumbling in for the score. Glenwood up 12 to nothing. Now Rifle here, feeling a little bit of the pressure, they want to answer the call. 
They mess up the return and unfortunately start on the eight yard line. And after just two plays, it is third and 11 and it is not looking good for the Bears. But that's all before Logan Gross sets and fires deep to number 17 to the 40 yard line for a big first down. Now on the next play, Gross runs and cuts inside and number 76 bracket Enelwold barely wraps up Logan here and drags him down for the sack. Now 56 sees through the fake on this very next play. That's Aussie once again. He sees through the fake and drags down the ball carrier for loss and they have third and 13 again and it's like deja vu because Gross on this third down shows off his cannon and connects deep left this time to number seven, Joel Valencia. Number 17 on the former catch, by the way, is Sterling Cook. But he connects to Joel Valencia for a 36-yard pickup to the Demons 28 and keeps the drive alive with just under two and a half minutes. There is an unsportsmanlike conduct called on the Glenwood bench. I believe it's the same coach that told me not to speak to his players after the game. So shout out that guy for keeping his cool and being a great role model for the kiddos. But anyways, there's a penalty on the Glenwood bench that gives another 15 yards to Rifle. And on the next play, they roll out right and Gross finds Valencia. That is Isaac Valencia in the flats with nothing but green in front of him. And he scores six points. Touchdown, Rifle. The two point is no good, but now they are only trailing by one score with two minutes to go in the second quarter. Now the Demons, on their own 42 minutes to go, they unfortunately have an incompletion before a run for six sets up a third and manageable, but number five and 59 for Rifle are like a hot knife through butter and swallow the third down run for a loss and Rifle will take a timeout with one minute and 12 seconds left in the half as Glenwood stares down a fourth and seven. Once again, Kevin, Arvizo, and Troy Mattia on the tackle here forcing that punt. Now Rifle, with just a minute to go in the half, wants to try and tie this game up or potentially take a lead. They have a pass left to Sterling Cook for a first down, and then a deep pass right to Sterling Cook all the way to the 19-yard line, and he gets out of bounds with 33 seconds left in the half. Gross rolls left and keeps for about 7 yards, and there's 26 seconds left when he gets out of bounds. Now there's a timeout here, and this allows Glenwood to regroup on defense and force an incomplete pass in a throwback and forces third and three with 20 seconds left in the half. After a pass right falls incomplete, it is now fourth and three with 16 seconds left on the 12-yard line there on the left hash. Rifled, they run a misdirection, and Valencia goes right and is hit, but the ball is popped out by number five and scooped up by number 11. Those are the Bullock brothers at work here, sending the Bears into halftime empty. Glenwood will kneel and is up 12-6 to to start the second half. Rifle comes out in the second half. And they start off with a running back screen left that goes all the way, except a block in the back at the Demon 44 puts Rifle on their own 46. On the next play, Gross rolls right and gets just on the other side of midfield. And after a short run, that sets up third and four. They run a jet sweep read option left for a first down thanks to Gross's decisive running. And then another completion right to 17 for a catch, but a flag on Rifle negates the game and pushes them back. They are just shooting themselves in the foot over and over again on this drive. Now, they can't find the 
Gross rolls left on this next play and evades the sack and finds his top target, 17 for a gain of 12. But on second and eight, there's a deep shot left that is forced out of bounds. Great coverage by Joaquin Sandoval on the play. And after third and eight, they take a timeout here with 8.38 left in the third quarter, feeling lots of pressure on this drive, it seems like. And they throw a quick strike to 17 for a first down. Now, the, they are on the Demons 24, and the Red Sea is swallowing up this run game forcing not only a short gain on the first one, but then number 11, Max Bullock, gets a tackle for loss, and now it's third and 11. Quarterback Gross rolls out right and picks up five before on fourth and six, there's a throw out of bounds, and the Demons force a turnover on downs. Now, from their own 20-yard line, Sandoval drops back, and then number 77 for Rifle, who is listed as Gabe McGregor, is going to be the one making the play this time, and swallowing up with a sack. Now the Demons sell the fake on this next play, and Sandoval wiggles ahead for 10 on the right sideline, but on third and five, number 77, five and 58 for Rifle, swallow up a run and force a punt. Now the Bears are on their own 32 after a penalty moves them up, and they will have a roll right and an incompletion with 447 left in the third quarter. And then another holding penalty pushes them back, and it's first and 20. You'd think that penalties are going to shoot the Bears in the foot again on this drive, but they will, you know, maintain here going for 14 and then a speed option left that goes nowhere with Max Bullock stepping up to get down here, the ball carrier. But he goes down and is slow to get up. There are two starters for the Demons that get banged up on this drive, and it seems like they are all cramps. It was kind of crazy because there was eventually four Demons that ended up cramping up on this drive. Kind of weird to see, especially when it wasn't super hot out, but they must have just been a little underhydrated. And Rifle kind of capitalizes on this with a pass interference call that moves them all the way up on the 26. And... You know, they continue to just run the ball very effectively here and just kind of nickel and dime their way into the red zone here. Now, they are set up here with a first and goal on the four-yard line, and the Bears here will call a quarterback blast that breaks the plane just barely. And then Logan Gross is also going to find number 22, Ryland Lane, the sophomore for the two-point conversion, and claim the lead 14-12 to with a minute 21 in the third. Now, Glenwood here on their own 36 for the first time not leading this game and not finding a whole lot of luck on this opening drive here because they eventually find themselves in a third and 11 hole. But luckily, Rifle bails them out here and sets them up on third and one. And, you know, with everyone expecting a run, the Demons throw a screen right and number five, Zach Bullock catches the ball and screams up the right sideline, picking up a ton of yards, getting to the opposing 30 to end the third quarter here. To start the fourth quarter here, Sandoval will go right for a first down all the way to the 16-yard line before a short run goes to the 10-yard line. They do throw a screen right for a first down, and now it's first and goal from the five-yard line. They hand it off to number 11, Max Bullock, who bursts through the wide open lane created by the offensive line and scores. Sandoval then finds a wide open Hunter Knoll 
for the two-point conversion, and they reclaimed the lead 20-14 to with 10 and a half minutes in the fourth. Now, Glenwood here, they kick off and rifle starts, but Glenwood will have to burn a timeout here as they only have 10 players on the field. Rifle here, they're going to go ahead and do back-to-back -back runs that sets up third and one, where they give it to Logan Gross again, who keeps and sheds like three tackles for a 25-yard gain. The Bears are in Glenwood territory now, and they do a dump off to number 21, Isaac Valencia, who has plenty of field ahead of him, and he gets all the way to the 10-yard line before getting pushed out of bounds. Now, Rifle's on Glenwood's 10-yard line with eight minutes left. They run a jet sweep left. There's not really a ton of action going on there, but number 58 for Rifle does block a Glenwood Demon all the way to the end zone. There's then a quick pass to number eight, who is Tristan Sheets, I want to say, and he gets all the way to the one-yard line. On the next play, Logan Gross keeps and he scores, and then he also gets shoved ahead on the next play for the two-point conversion that puts Rifle ahead 22-20 to with seven minutes left in the game. Glenwood here trying to respond again, especially with these back-to-back -back drives going back and forth. This game is just such a dogfight between two teams that are having explosive offensive plays. They're getting it done through both the air and the ground. The defensive line is making plays. The linebackers are making plays. The secondary is making plays. It's just going ballistic. Both sides are going crazy in this rivalry game here. Now, there's unfortunately a really bad snap to start this drive, and it makes it second and 18 before the Demons can even really run a play. They throw a quick pass left to Jarek Sorensen, who picks up 18 yards and, you know, makes this very interesting getting a first down. There's two short runs before third down. There's a deep moon ball left that just unfortunately is out of reach of the Glenwood receiver. And on fourth down, Sandoval is surveying and rolls out right, but there's a bunch of rifle bears waiting there, and they drag him down and force the turnover on downs. Rifle now is on the Glenwood 49, but more importantly, there's 4 minutes and 49 seconds to go. Glenwood here obviously wants to force Rifle to punt or turnover on downs and give themselves one last chance to get back in this game. Now, on first down, they do have a run for five yards, second up, second and five, and that clock is ticking. Bears, they're going to play it safe here, and they are going to run again for three yards, setting up third and three. But a false start makes it third and eight, and Glenwood has me feeling pretty good about their chances here now. They, The Bears, that is, run for five yards and is fourth and three. And with the crowd getting very loud, with the defense dialed in, with the Bears' offensive line looking determined, who else is this ball going to go to with the game on the line other than Logan Gross, who gets the direct snap on fourth and three, and he powers ahead for the first down with two minutes and five seconds to go here. Rifle, they're just trying to run this game out. Glenwood takes their last timeouts and eventually forces Rifle into a third and four with a minute 18 to go. If they can force one more stop here, then they can get the ball with about 20 seconds left and they still have a chance to pull off a miracle. But on third and four here, they run a triple option and Logan Gross pitches out to Isaac Valencia who picks up the first down and we will see Rifle here in victory formation. 
as they secure a crazy, technically comeback win, being down 12 to 6 at half and ride a 16 point fourth quarter to a 22 to 20 victory. Before I talk about the rifle team here, I do want to just highlight Joaquin Sandoval. 10 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. And then on the defensive side of the ball, led the Demons with 13 tackles, a tackle for loss, and an interception. Just going absolutely ballistic. Also having two touchbacks, putting on a great performance. I got to talk to him after the game. PMC fam, we've been following him since about his freshman year in Glenwood. And, uh, you know, thanks to the Sandovals for being able to update us on anything with the Glenwood team. They're such a fun team to follow, and we do hope that they'll be able to bounce back from this. Mason Markovich as well, having an awesome game, going for 77 yards and a touchdown, while also on the defensive side of the ball, notching five tackles and one for loss. As mentioned before, Ossie Hilgeford, the sophomore, had two tackles for loss, so he had himself a pretty sound game. And then Max Bollock, the senior, as well as Shea Bellow, both had a sack recorded in this game. And then the brothers of Zach and Max both impressed me. They both came from Roaring Fork, Max finding the end zone, Zach having that long screen pass for about a 25-yard gain. Both of those guys had a phenomenal game this night, and Glenwood really left it all out there on the field. They show me on the high end that they can definitely be a 3A playoff team, but they really have to play very diligently down the stretch as looking forward to the rest of their season. They have another very strong 2A opponent in Basalt coming up before Grand Junction Central. I would even say Grand Junction Central is a must-win game here because once they go into league play against Durango, Summit, Eagle Valley, and Palisade, I feel like they absolutely have to go 3-1 and one to make the postseason here. They're looking like a team that at worst, could get into the postseason at 7-3, and three, but being 8-2 and two would go a very long way if they can go ahead and beat Basalt this coming week. Now, on the rifle side, I did... Oh, by the way, I did get to talk to Mason and the Bullocks, by the way, and wish them luck heading forward in the season. Mason, obviously, you know, being able to contribute also from a younger or an underclassman level and then translate that to this game here. It was fun to watch all those guys make plays that I've been covering for a few years. Now, Rifle, I actually did their season preview as well. And man, this defensive line is one of the scariest units in all of 2A here. Efren Bustios is a monster. You got Gabe McGregor, who's a beast. Troy Mattia, Mattia, who's a beast. Kevin Arvizo, all of those guys made plays. Kevin Arvizo actually leading the Bears in tackles and Troy being second with nine and seven respectively. And then if you flip the order, Troy led with tackles for loss with three and Kevin had two tackles for loss. This Bears squad racked together five total sacks, one from Davison and then one from Efren, two from Troy and one from Gabe McGregor. Just putting on an absolute clinic on this Demons offensive line. And then on the flip side, this Bears offense was pretty balanced. I know that it was 24 pass to 35 run, but considering that they passed for 283 yards and ran for 177 is really crazy. Sterling Cook, the senior receiver for the Bears, really putting a stamp on his game and on this game with nine catches for 157 yards, averaging 17 yards per catch on very high volume. Logan Gross showing off his arm, but just showing his, you know, value to this team, throwing for 283, rushing for 107, totaling for 390 yards and three total touchdowns. 
what a game he had and you know that i he's tall as heck by the way he's like six foot four or maybe even six foot six honestly he's very tall it allows him to see the field very very well and then he translates that into physicality as well with his rushing ability here isaac valencia is also a very complimentary back for this team and they do a good job getting creative using their different ball carriers here but you know they did get a little sloppy with the football at points, you know, as Zach Bullock caused two fumbles and the Bullocks recovered those two fumbles. But I really think that this rifle team is capable of making a deep run in two way. Looking ahead to the rest of their season, they already have a big win against Montezuma Cortez, but their biggest game of the entire season comes against Delta at home this next week. That'll be huge to determine our power rankings. And then later in the season, they do have Basalt, who they are probably playing for the league title. But that'll do it for my recap on the Rifle Bears versus the Glenwood Springs Demons. Once again, Rifle coming out with the 22-20 win to keep their season unblemished. And before Gideon talks about the rest of the 3A recap, we do have a word from our sponsor. Obviously, you want a trainer who can make you stronger and faster with the work you put in but what about a trainer who can help you rehab and recover like the pros? Look no further than Junkyard Training that not only offers specific strength and speed training, but also offers a plethora of recovery and rehab techniques like cryo, cupping, recovery boots, and so much more. Learn more today by visiting junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594. Once again, visit junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594 and get started today. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another 3A recap here at Playmakers Corner. I'm Gideon Agener, and today I'm going to be going through the 3A games and the 4A games, but that's later. But right now, the 3A games that happened in the Colorado High School Activities Association. So, we are going to start things off with Bear Creek versus Kennedy on Thursday night. Uh, Bear Creek ended up taking down Kennedy 45-6. to No stats have been entered for Kennedy so far, but if I'm being completely honest, and this is unfortunate, but that's about what I expected to happen in that matchup. Next up, we have Conifer versus Summit. Summit ends up taking down the Lobos uh, 24 to 10 here. So looking at it, uh, Summit hasn't put in stats yet, but Conifer has. Uh, Wyatt Nichols, the senior, 6 for 9 for 51 yards and a touchdown. Uh, rushing, uh, well that's passing for Wyatt Nichols. Rushing, we see that Nichols also had 10 rushing yards. So Wolanski had 67, Carson Payer had 45, Jackson Kosar had 20. Nichols there with 10. No rushing touchdowns. Receiving-wise, you have Jackson Kassar, uh, three receptions for 40 yards and a touchdown, and Grady Forsythe, 12 yards, two receptions. Uh, in terms of total all-purpose yards, that is, uh, Cam Sadowski, 27 kick return yards. Then tackles-wise, Volansky uh, actually up here, he had 14 tackles, and then Cam Sadowski, he had 12 
Uh, eight of those were assists. Nine of Volansky's were assists as well. Grady Forsyth with four. Mason Murphy and Jacob Bryan with with six. Uh, Forsyth with six, sorry, and Murphy with seven. Uh, Carson Payer and Tristan Swanson with five. Uh, Mortensen with, uh, with four. And then Ben Metzger with three tackles. Defensively, Grady Forsyth with a forced fumble. Jacob Ryan with a fumble recovery and a pass deflection. Jackson Kosar with two pass deflections. And then Carson Payer with one. You have Damian Simpson, the junior, with 80 kickoff yards on three kicks. So not amazing, but not terrible either. Colton Hogsett, three punts for 131 yards. Uh, 43, uh, but just about 40 uh 44 yards on average, though he did have a 72-yard punt, which is pretty incredible. Then when we're looking at it, uh, Jared Dixon, uh, he went uh, one of one on PATs and one of one on field goal attempts from 31 yards. So all around pretty solid from the Lobos, but not enough to top the Tigers. Uh, next up, we have Sierra taking down Liberty 22-3. Uh, Sierra has put in their stats here. So starting off, Ryan Stankowitz, uh, 285 pass yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Again, Ryan Stankowitz, 285 passing yards. That is Playmaker of the Week material right there, and I'm going to note that in our document for Playmakers of the Week. So, pretty good job there, Ryan. Then we have Jaquel Howard, who on the ground had 104 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, Malik Bean with 49 rushing yards as well. Those were the main guys on the ground. Uh, in the air when it comes to receiving, uh, well, first we have Christopher Williams with 167 receiving yards, two touchdowns, long of 75 there. Jaquel Howard, on top of his production on the ground, he had 41 receiving yards. Deshaun Wilson with 37 receiving yards, and Malachi Brown, uh, Malachi, sorry, with 34. Uh, when it comes to all-purpose yards, uh, Malachi Brown did have six interception yards. Uh, which uh, came off of two interceptions and two pass deflections. Deshaun Wilson with one interception, and then Chance Zamora with three pass deflections. Outside of that, on defense, you have Jaquel Howard with a sack and a hurry, Malik Bean with a sack and two hurries, Jerome Barnes with two hurries, and Nathan Sweet with a hurry. On tackles, we have uh, Ryan... Uh, we have Jaquel Howard with six tackles and a tackle for loss. We have Ruben Valenzuela with six tackles, one for loss. Uh, Williams again with five, Malik Bean five, Chance Samore with four, Jerome Barnes and Anderson with three apiece. Uh, in terms of conversions, Jaquel Howard got the one there. So, all around solid effort by Sierra to beat the Liberty Lancers. Next up, we have Littleton versus Alameda. There are no official stats for this one yet, but Chase Pruitt, he had. Uh, we have heard that uh, that he had over 300 yards and three touchdowns in that blow blowout win over that two-way school in Alameda. So that is uh, th those types of numbers are really hard to ignore. So that is a playmaker that we contender right there. Uh, next up, we have Durango taking on. Aztec out of 
out of uh, out of New Mexico. Yeah, sorry, I was checking if they were New Mexico or Utah. Uh, you have Tyler Harms with 194 pass yards, two touchdowns, uh, 12 for 18 passing. Rushing, you have Jackson Fancher, 135 yards for two touchdowns. Harms as well uh, there. He had 59 rush yards and two touchdowns. That is well over... Yeah, that, that's over 250 yards total in four tutties. So that that very well may be Playmaker of the Week conversation right there with Tyler Harms. Receiving for the Demons, you have Seb Tripp, the sophomore, with 89 receiving yards leading this team and a touchdown. You have uh, Loudon Grimes for 60 yards, Peyton Dyke with 30 and then you have Julian Rodriguez with 15 receiving yards and one touchdown. Kick return-wise, uh, Fancher he had, 50, he had 55 punt return yards, and Cully Feeney had 38. Uh, with tackles, we have very very spread out here. Uh, Cully Feeney, though, with 9. Uh, Ryan Duggan with 7. Braxton Waddle uh, with 5. One tackle for loss. Uh, Gage Voiles. Voiles? Um, Hubertus and then Brett Hamer all have uh, four tackles. Hamer had two tackles for loss. And then from there, you got a bunch of different guys getting uh, getting in on the action. In terms of sacks, uh, Gage Voiles with one hurry. Uh, Mason Palmer with an interception. Ryan Duggan with an interception. Uh, Hubertus with a fumble recovery that was forced by Jacob Newbert. Uh, in terms of PATs, Dylan Burns, five for six, about what you'd expect from the sophomore. Um, yeah, all around pretty solid job by Durango. Was this in New Mexico? Okay, no. No, this was in Durango, but a good job to defend the home court there. Next, we have Pueblo Central taking on Heritage. Uh, Pueblo Central would lose this one 19-55, but the curious thing is that they do appear to be missing their best offensive player, their best offensive player here. Uh, I believe it's Amari Brown. So yeah, without Amari Brown, the Wildcats actually did really, really well against what I consider to be one of the top teams in 4A. So looking at it, uh, and I'll cover uh, what happened for the Eagles later, but for the Wildcats, uh, we have Josiah Barella, uh, two for six passing for 12 yards. Um, rushing, we have uh, Michael Montoya picking up the slack. 129 yards for two touchdowns. Uh, Josiah Barella, uh, he had 59 yards and a touchdown. Joseph Castro, uh, 17 yards, and then Pino uh, with 12 yards. Receiving-wise, uh, you have David Sanchez, 13 yards, uh, Barella with 10. Uh, yeah, honestly, not too much there. Uh, kick return yards, Caden Clay with 106, and then... Uh, I'm just going to double-check on your first name here. Uh, Ethan Martinez-Ratliff, he had 62 kick return yards as well. So pretty solid there. Uh, Michael Montoya, 10 tackles. Uh, Martinez-Ratliff with 7. Xavier Davis with and uh, Josiah Varela with 5. Varela had a tackle for loss there. Hugo Sanchez and Nicklaus Mar with 4 tackles. Hernandez and then Chris Barroquez with, with, uh, and then also Gage Escayada and David Sanchez with three tackles each. 
Sack-wise, we have uh, Hugo Sanchez and Niklaus Marr with a hurry each. Ernest Matson and Nick and Nikolaus Marr again with a pass deflection. Montoya, uh, Michael Montoya had a, a blocked punt. And then uh, Xavier Davis, uh, he had a fumble recovery for five yards. Jaden Valerio, the sophomore, had a fumble recovery as well. Um, on PATs, Gage Ascayada, one for one on PATs. And yeah, all around pretty solid job by the Wildcats to keep it in control against a really tough Heritage team. Next up, we have Lincoln against Denver West. Lincoln would fall to Denver West 0-46, to but they have input stats, so let's take a look at those. Uh, Eric Garcia is the leading passer, uh, went 1-6 uh, for six for 6 yards and an interception. Okay. Uh, then we have uh, rushing Josiah Grant for 12 yards, Eric Garcia for 7, Eric Silva for 4. Uh, receiving uh, Josiah Grant, two, uh, 6 receiving yards. Um, on defense, Anthony Nava and King Stansill are the leading tacklers with 6 each. Uh, Nava had 1 tackle for loss. Orlando Reyes and Eric Silva with 3 tackles. And then Preston Herbert with 2 tackles and a tackle for loss. Eric Garcia and Karan Rosalie. And then also Rodriguez Ramirez and Martinez. Uh, they all had 2 tackles as well. So, honestly, this is a really, really young team. This is mostly sophomores. Uh, King Stansill. I think probably moving forward is going to be the best player on the Lancers here. He had a pass deflection as well in this game, along with two kickoff returns for 44 yards. King Stansill may be the way to go and the guy to build around if you are Liberty in this situation. So there's Thursday's games. Uh, now we're going to move on to the games in 3A for Friday. So we're going to start off here with Skyview versus Niwot. Uh, I've been saying that very, very wrong. <laughs> uh, got a uh, got a DM from uh, from a feller over at uh, over at Niwot, thinking about head, heading out there. Uh, but yeah, so Niwot versus Skyview. So let's start off with that matchup. So Niwot has not entered stats yet, but Skyview has, and we start with Carlos Carrillo. Uh, 5 for 13 passing for 78 yards and a touchdown. Uh, then you also have rushing Curio with 46 rush yards. Uh, you also uh, you have Malachi Lambert with 2 rushing yards. And then, uh, then you have Billy Nakombo Masamba with 7. Uh, then we have receiving-wise, uh, Che Brown, 38 yards, Sam Cortez, 17 yards, and a touchdown there. Uh, Singleton with 13, and then Malachi Lambert with 13. Sam Cortez, 47 interception return yards. I'm going to go down and take a look, see who, see if that's where that other touchdown came. Because a very well, well, maybe. Yeah, Sam Cortez, uh, touchdown reception and an interception touchdown. And one for one on field goals and one for one on PAT. So all around, Sam Cortez was doing it for Skyview in this one. May, might be... Very well may be a playmaker of the week contender here. We'll see here in a moment. But yeah, he had all 16 points for 
the Skyview Wolverines in this game. So the rest of the defense, we're going to take a look here. He also had four tackles. Uh, che Brown with 11. You have uh, you have Ruben Pereza Talamentes, uh, 11 tackles there. Vincent Lopez with eight. Isaiah Prince with seven. Lambert and Jeremy Ball with six each. Singleton with five. Cortez, as previously mentioned, with four. And then uh, Gutierrez with three. Sackwise Ball with a sack. And then Ever Ant. Andrade, ever Andrade, with a sack as well. Sam Cortez, two interceptions, two pass deflections. And then uh, Gutierrez with a fumble recovery that was forced, presumably, by Vincent Lopez. Sam Cortez also, three kickoffs for 145 yards. So all around, Sam Cortez was the guy in this, in this Skyview game. So he's somebody to really look at for Playmaker of the Week. Next up, we have no the Northfield Nighthawks taking down the Riverdale Ridge Ravens 24-10. to uh, Northfield hasn't put in stats yet. Again, this is on about 3.30 on Sunday. Uh, Sunday, September 10th, that is. Uh, but for Riverdale Ridge, uh, Isaiah Mandina, 55 yards on 9 for 18 passing, one interception. Uh, rushing, you have Diego Galvan. Uh, 87 rush yards, uh, Amari Lucero, 19, Isaiah Medina, 10, and McKinley Jones with 5. Uh, receiving, uh, Abby Samuel, 14 receiving yards, Jay Antonez, 13, McKinley Jones with 12, and Amari Lucero with 9. Uh, and that is all. That is literally all. Um, there is uh, There is no... There's nothing about who scored in this game, no defense, so can't really say much about Riverdale Ridge or Northfield in this one. But next up, we have Palisade taking on Delta here. Palisade would lose this one uh, 10 to 35, but it was pretty close at half. Uh, looking at the box score here, uh, we see that Palisade was really, really hanging in there against the Panthers. And then looking at the box score, uh, yeah, so Caden Everett from Palisade, three for five passing for 18 yards and a touchdown rushing Caden Everett with 45 rush yards, Caleb Johnson with 30 rush yards, Caleb Wells with 12. Caden uh, Everett, that is, sorry. Uh, receiving Nathan Umberger, nine yards and a touchdown on that one reception that he has. Caleb Johnson, one reception for six yards, and Caleb Reed for three yards on one reception. Uh, on defense, you have Tristan Brinton with nine tackles, uh, Mullaney with eight and a tackle for loss, Dylan Larson with six, Caleb Reed and Marcus Royster both with five, Easton Embry and Jeremiah Walt. Woolery along with Sam Chacon and Caleb Johnson with four tackles each. And then uh, Jeremiah Woolery had half, had half a tackle for loss, which was likely shared with Julian Tuatua, uh, who had four tackles as well, but also two and a half tackles for loss. Caden Everett with four tackles, uh, Johnston with three and a tackle for loss. Caden Everett with a hurry as well, and then Easton Embry with an interception for 43 yards. Uh, Mullaney and Caleb Johnson both had a pass deflection. Carter Hayward, the freshman, uh, three kickoffs for 103 yards. Punting Wyatt Fleming, the freshman, six punts for 186 yards. And then Caleb Wells, five kickoff returns for 70 yards. Um, 
Yeah, Hayward, one for one on PATs and then one for one on field goal attempts from 25 yards. That field goal attempt was, and then Umberger was the only other person that scored in this game. So all around, solid effort by Palisade against the best, one of the two best teams in 2A. So all around, pretty, pretty solid. Next up, we have Resurrection Christian taking on a Wyoming squad in Buffalo. Uh, so no stats have been uploaded for that one yet, but Resurrection Christian did fall 20-0 to in that game. Next up, we have Pueblo Centennial versus Widefield. Pueblo Centennial would fall 8-52 to in this matchup. It's a pretty, pretty tough one for the Bulldogs, and Pueblo Centennial has not entered any stats as of yet. So another tough one for the Bulldogs. Been having a tough season. Next up, we have Canyon City taking on Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, a bit of a weird one here for Canyon City. They ended up losing this 26-48 to against the Red-Tailed Hawks, uh, who are without Bruce Archambault the third, the fourth, sorry, Bruce. Uh, okay, so looking at it for Canyon City, Marcus Lapari, the senior, 4 for 10 passing, 45 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And then Matt Harms as well, 2 for 5 passing for 45 yards and an interception. Rushing Lapari, 127 yards and a touchdown. Dylan Kerr, 63 yards. Uh, Jake Damich, the sophomore, 54 yards and a touchdown. Gavin Reddick with 47. Matt Harms with 21. And Thor Shelver with 10 on two carries. Receiving uh, Marcus Lapari with 39 yards. Tyler Karochi with 26 yards on one reception for a touchdown. Caden Benson, three receptions for 19 yards, and Jacob Damage with six yards on a single reception. Caden Benson, 13 kick return yards. And then looking at defense here, Dylan Kerr, the senior, uh, 11 tackles. Dustin Kletke, eight tackles, along with Jacob Smith, same figure there. Matt Harms with seven. Tyler Karochi with five to which is the same number as Matthew Gilbert, Gavin Reddick, Jacob Damage, and Omega Walker. Sorry, Omega Walker. That is such a cool name, dude. <laughs> uh, Noah Pavlicek and Jacob Ashton both had four tackles, and then Hunter Humphrey and Joe Slabaugh both had three tackles as well. Noah Pavlicek, Jacob Ashton, and Dylan Kerr each had a sack. Matt Harms, Jacob Smith, and, Shor and Thor Shelver each had a pass deflection, and, and then Dylan Kerr had a fumble recovery. In terms of kickoffs, uh, we have Colby Cohn with five kickoffs for 208 yards, uh, punting Dylan uh, Jaden Odell six punts for 176 yards, 29.3 yard average. Uh, you have uh, a Damich and Gavin Reddick, each with a conversion under their belt, and then uh, Colby Cohn again, one for one on PATs and one for two on field goal attempts. Uh, yeah, so all around, not not a great game by any means for Canyon City, but not bad, that's for sure, uh, especially compared to some of the other teams that uh, that you see around the state. Uh, so, you know, pretty pretty solid. So next up, we have Northridge take, taking down Greeley Central, 35-13. to 13. Uh, Yeah, Northridge, thankfully, has input their stats. Uh, you have Justin, Thr Justin Thill, 9 for 15 for 170 yards, two touchdowns, and a 
and one interception. Rushing, Raul Gallegos continues to impress. 157 rush yards and, and three touchdowns. Sage Olson, 17 yards. Chris Perez with 12 yards. Nobody else was in the positives. Receiving, Brandon Asmus with 134 yards and two touchdowns. Caden Brink with 22 yards. Raul Gallegos with 12. Uh, yeah, defensively, looking at this game, Sage Olsen with 11 tackles. Raul Gallegos, again, 10 and 1 for loss. Uh, A.J. Evans with 9 and a tackle for loss. Uh, Leo Arizmendez with 5 and a tackle for loss. Oh, I just realized I missed a guy. Alexander Arizari. Alexander Arizari. Uh, he had 5 tackles, 1 for uh, nine tackles, one for loss. Caden uh, Brink, five tackles, one for loss. Wyatt Hill, Isaac Bearden, De La Cruz, and Bursell, four tackles each. Uh, Sack-wise, Ariz Mendez, one sack. Uh, Wyatt Hill with an interception, and then uh, Leo Ariz Mendez with a fumble recovery. On special teams, we have Dylan Phipps, who went five for five on PATs. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really most of it. Uh, Raul Gallegos continuing to show that he is an absolute stud. Northridge should be a playoff team this year, I'm, I'm betting. So, all around feel pretty good about the Grizzlies in this one over the Wildcats. Uh, yeah. And then we have Lutheran taking on Discovery Canyon. Uh, Lutheran coming out on top in that one, actually. 45-14. to 14. I say that like it's a surprise, but it really isn't. Because uh, Lutheran, they continue to... Holy crap. Uh, so, so, so this is the sound of me seeing Riken Doggard's uh, stat line from this game for the first time. Uh, so Discovery Canyon, they were a playoff team last year. And uh, uh, Hayden Jones, he did have 119 pass yards and a touchdown. Uh, but uh, Riken Doggard, 24 for 43 passing, 363 yards, five touchdowns, an interception, I'll, yeah, uh, 18 rush yards and a touchdown. Um... I, I, I really don't know what to say to that. Um, Riken Riken Daggard is just really damn good. Um, okay. Uh, while while I'm mentally recovering from that, I'm gonna go through the rushing in this game. Uh, Hayden Jones. Any other week, he would be a playmaker of the week candidate, but since they were playing Lutheran. Uh, didn't really have uh, his 137 rush and 119 pass yard performance and two touchdown performance uh, will probably be overshadowed by Riken Daggard. But Hayden Jones, he did get 137 rush yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jacob Yusuf, 63 rush yards. Nobody else had over. Nobody else had double digits. Receiving, uh, Josh Gentry, 64 receiving yards. Jacob Yusuf, 35. Tyler Willard, 11. Josh Primavera, 9 receiving yards and a touchdown. Um, Tackles-wise, uh, the only people listed are, are uh, Devin Baker and Josh Primavera. 
with tackles, uh, one each for Discovery Canyon. I have a feeling that isn't right, but you know, I'm not gonna question it too much. Uh, and that's everything we've got for Discovery Canyon. I, I still can't believe the performance that Reckon Daggered had. Um, yeah, uh, that might just be Playmaker of the Week. Uh, I already said it, but again, 363 pass yards, five touchdowns, one interception, 18 rush yards, and a rushing touchdown. Uh, Sawyer Wald, 128 rush yards. Uh, Isaac uh, Nagao, 19 rush yards. Receiving uh, Ben Herbeck, 184 receiving yards, three touchdowns. Jace Wesolowski, 84 receiving yards. Sawyer Weld with 54. Uh, then the only defensive statistics they have, uh, Peyton Garrett with a fumble recovery. Uh, kickoffs, Samuel Smullen, eight kickoffs for 326 yards, 40.8 yard average, uh, three touchbacks and eight kickoffs. Punt-wise, Sam Smolin, again, 120 yards and three punts. Jeez, um, yeah. Uh, three for three for five on PATs, uh, Smolin was. I- I'm just kind of still taken aback by ha- by uh, Riken Doggard's stat line. So, yeah. Uh, wow. All right, so now we have the Mead Mavericks versus the Severance Silver Knights. Meade did win this one 35-31. And so we have full stats for both teams all around. Can't wait to get a look at both of these. But I'm going to start on defense here because the offensive stats for both of these, or special teams, the offensive stats are absolutely insane. So for Severance, uh, Brooke Tafoya, 1-for-2 on PATs. Um, no kick points for Meade. Uh, Tyler Haney for the Silver Knights, uh, four kickoffs for 144 yards, uh, 36-yard average. Tyler Haney and Logan Gutierrez both punted, but those weren't too great, uh, 23 and 29 yards, respectively. Defensively, Brett Varney, the sophomore, one interception, four severance, uh, and then no, uh, no tackles input yet, I guess, for either team, but... Now, we're going to go through the rush yards, because this should be a little bit more sane. Um, for the Mavericks of Meade, Christian Heiner, 53 yards uh, and one touchdown. Ryan St. Aubin, 45 yards. Angel Johnson, six, uh, 29 r- r- rushing yards and a touchdown. Edison Burke with 22 yards and Cole Michaelis with 20 uh, for the Silver Knights, you have 73 rush yards for Ian Pennock and a touchdown. And then uh, five yards on six carries for Jaden Hoffman uh, and a touchdown. Uh, Jeremiah Hoffman, he had a long of three, but zero yards on two carries. Passing, Jaden Hoffman, 21 for 37 for 365 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, for Meade, uh, Christian Heiner, 26 for 36, 235 yards for two touchdowns. And then Caleb Elmore, two for two, four, 18 yards and a touchdown. Sounds like a couple of trick plays in there. Receiving. I have a feeling I know who's going to be the receiving leader for Severance. It's Jeremiah Hoffman. 
with 167 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Ian Pennick with 99 receiving yards and a tutty. Reed Green with 44 yards. Brady Varney with 39. And Ethan Shears with 15. Receiving for the Mavericks, uh, you have Edison Burke with 62 yards. Ethan Scallon with 57 and a touchdown. Ryan St. Aubin with 51 yards. Bryson Gissel with 44 yards and a touchdown. Taya Olson, uh, 33 yards and a touchdown. And then Angel Johnson, 46 yards. Uh, in terms, yeah, all around really solid game, really close game. Uh, Meade propels themselves into my top 10 with that. Uh, Jaden, this is kind of... It, it sounds insane to say, but like 365 yards is what I have come to expect from Jaden from from Jaden Hoffman, um, and Christian Heiner like 235 yards. Yeah, it, it is really good. I'm just uh, that, and that is playmaker of the week uh, conversation material. So all around solid from the Mavericks. Uh, next up, we have Thompson Valley taking on Berthoud. Thompson Valley has not input stats yet, but they did lose this one 14-16, which is rough if you are a Thompson Valley fan. And another loss to a 2A team here in uh, in 3A. Pueblo East lost to La Junta 17-26. Now, La Junta is a pretty strong team, but Pueblo, Pueblo East is a team that I had higher hopes for here. Uh, there are no stats for uh, Pueblo East yet, uh, so we'll see how that game went for them on the box score. Then we have Frederick losing to Scotts Bluff out of Nebraska, 28-51. to Frederick, uh, gonna, they have not input stats yet, so unfortunately we can't see how they did, but it looks like most of the damage that was done was done on the ground, with Frederick allowing one, two, three, four, four different 50-yard rushers in this game. And, uh, yeah, that is not great from the Golden Eagles. So, gonna have to see them pick it up next week. Pueblo County, they defeated Harrison 42-6 here. So, gonna take a look at that. Uh, Pueblo County have input their stats. Cohen Glenn, 4 for 7 passing for 69 yards and a touchdown. Rushing, uh, we have Terrell Dillaha, 103 yards and a touchdown. Cohen Glenn, 49 yards, two touchdowns. Jonathan Gonzalez, 36 and a touchdown. Wyatt Ferris, 30 yards and a touchdown. Brody Kidd and Elijah Horton with 17 and 16 yards respect respectfully. Uh, respectively, sorry, and then Tegan Dillon, 60 receiving yards and a touchdown. In terms of defense, really big game here from Elijah Horton, who might, if he keeps playing like this, end up on one of our watch lists here uh, with, uh, yeah, all around pretty solid job from Horton. 17 tackles, 15 of which were solo, three tackles for loss. Uh, Dominic Morrow, eight tackles. Brock Roseman, seven, along with Alex Gillespie with seven, two for loss. Caden Peters and Jack Stranger, uh, Strangier, uh, six tackles. Fletcher Warner with five, and then uh, Terrell Dillaha and Tegan Dillon with four. And then uh, four different guys had three. J.P. Cafaso, Caf Luca Tucci, Ted Gomez and Jonathan Gonzalez each had three tackles. Sack-wise, uh, Caden Peters and Elijah Horton shared a sack. Peters with half, 
and then Elijah Wharton with one and a half sacks, uh, Alex Gillespie with a sack, uh, Tegan Dillon with two pass deflections, Dillaha with a forced fumble that was recovered by Alex Gillespie, and then Jonathan Gonzalez with a pass deflection. In terms of points, uh, no kick points to report all around. Really good game from the Hornets to to keep themselves in the win column here. Then we have Lewis Palmer versus Palmer Ridge. Honestly, I am glad that Lewis Palmer scored in this game. <laughs> um, but Lewis Palmer has not entered stats yet, so we'll see later how this one went for the Rangers. Uh, next up, we have Eagle Valley versus Evergreen. Eagle Valley winning this one 26-7. Let's take a look at the box score here, but Evergreen has input stats. Uh, Wiggins, uh, 9 for 21 for 113 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Not, not great. Uh, Only three positive rushers for Evergreen here. Uh, James Morrow, the freshman, with 54 rush yards, so potential newcomer of the year candidate there. Jace Jody, 27 rush yards, and then Wiggins with one rush yard. Receiving, Josh Bittner, 83 receiving yards, one touchdown. Jace Jody, 25 yards, and then Leo Southard with six. Um, going down, we, uh, yeah, Josh Bittner scored the only points for Evergreen in this, uh, that are recorded in Max Prep. Somebody obviously kicked a PAT, but this does not say who. So, next up, we have Roosevelt taking down Fort Morgan, doubling them up 42-21. Honestly, kind of the result that I was expecting from that matchup. Uh, we have... Roosevelt uh, is the only team here that has input their stats. Bronco Hartson, 15 for 24, 208 yards, two touchdowns. Xavier Ramirez, 175 rush yards, two touchdowns. Hartson, 123 yards. Luke V. Hill, 71 yards and a touchdown. And then Jace Guntzel, 19 yards. Receiving, uh, you have... Uh, you have Kara Bench with 65 receiving yards. Noel Lucero, the freshman, 62 receiving yards. Xavier Ramirez with 42. Joey Brake, 31 yards and a touchdown. Uh, in terms of kickoffs, uh, the, uh, still sharing duties between Jacob, uh, Wahaj, and Sean Balch, but Wahaj uh, has slightly better numbers. Four kickoffs for 197 yards. Um, and then Sean Balch, two kickoffs for 94 yards. PATs Balch, though, he he went 6-for-6 six six on PATs, 0-for-1 on field goals, though. Uh, no no defensive stats input for the Rough Riders yet, but solid game. Solid game against a team they should have won against to begin with. So, yeah, pretty pretty good there. Uh, Sand Creek, they would end up losing to Air Academy 41-8. to eight, So a little bit disappointing there. No stats for the Scorpions or the, or the Cadets there, so... We'll see how that goes. And then the last game of the weekend for 3A was Denver North versus Wheat Ridge. Denver North would come out on top 41-21, shut out in the first half. But Wheat Ridge, they did, uh, they did have a solid game, starting with Isaac McCune, who went 22 for 32 passing for 291 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. 
rushing. McCune had 21 yards. Uh, Trey Perkins had 65 yards and a touchdown. Uh, nobody else had double figures. Uh, receiving, you have Bennett Wilkes, 174 yards. Nick Dalton, 58 yards and a touchdown. Giles Ballinger, 38 yards and a touchdown. Uh, then, when we are looking at defense, Angel Bueno, 12 tackles. Frank Erickson with 10 and a tackle for loss. Devin Castillo, 8 tackles. Isaiah Flores with 7. Two players with 6. That's Charles Ballinger and Isaac McCune. Hudson Ritz with 5. Bennett Wilkes with Damian Powell and Ronnie Reynolds with 3. All around pretty solid. Damian Powell with a sack as well. Giles Ballinger and Angel Bueno both had a both both had a forced fumble. Nick Dalton had a pass deflection, and then and then Bueno he had a blocked field goal. Callum Gordon he had he went one for one on PATs. Braden Ware he the sophomore had a conversion. All around really really solid game for Wheat Ridge. Just Denver North was better. So, that gauntlet is the round of games that happened in 3A over this past weekend. Uh, I should You should hear me again here soon talking about what happened in the 4A scene, but for now, on to the next, and we'll talk to you soon. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the 1A part of today's recaps. I'm going to start with Thursday's games and work my way out to Saturday. So, here we go. First off, we're going to start with Bear Creek versus Kennedy. Touched on this earlier, but Bear Creek won over Kennedy 45-6. to And for some reason, Bear Creek only has defensive stats. So, that's interesting. Um... <laughs> Emilio Mendoza had nine tackles, Martinez had five, Ben Iannotti had four, along with Henry Romero and Jack Colbert. Colbert had a tackle for loss, as did Ezra Pacheco, who had three tackles. Uh, Hernandez had three tackles, Rasmussen had three tackles, and Ben Tafoya did as well. In terms of sacks, Ezra Pacheco had two hurries, Noah Romero had one, Damari Russell had two hurries, and then Vincent Young had two hurries as well. Interceptions, Jose Fuentes Jr. had an interception and five pass deflections. Damn. Um, ben Tafoya had an interception and a pass deflection. He brought that interception back for 29 yards. Rasmussen had a pass deflection. Pacheco had a pass deflection. And then Mason Rodriguez, he had four pass deflections himself. Next, on to Liberty versus Sierra. Liberty lost this one 3-20 and has not entered stats for this game as of yet. But if I remember correctly, yeah, they, they uh, got a field goal very early in the game. Jacob Mitchell with a 38-yarder, the only player for Liberty to score in this one. So, pretty solid for the Lancers. Well, not solid, but like, solid performance. Good to know that you have somebody that can do that. Next up, you have Heritage versus versus Pueblo Central. We already talked about Pueblo Central earlier, but here's Heritage's side of things. Uh, Kurt Rosner, 107 yards on seven on seven completions, uh, three touchdowns, a long of 28 on that. Uh, receiving, uh, Chris Kidd 
had 32 receiving yards, one of those receptions, two of them, was a, was a, a touchdown. Tanner Turch had three receptions for 29 yards. Camden Jensen, a sophomore, had 28 receiving yards and a touchdown. Uh, Montserrat, he had 15 receiving yards and a touchdown. And then Ben Peralt, he had 13 receiving yards. Rushing. We have Jet Balika, 82 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Mo Fennel, uh, sophomore, 58 rushing yards and a touchdown. Colin Hines, 50 rush yards. Micah Steiner, 45. Kurt Rosner, 38 and a touchdown. Luca Pizzola, 31 rush yards. And then Kylan Chaney, 15 rush yards. On defense, we have a very, very long list of guys who got tackles for the Eagles, starting with Turner Graham, who had nine. Reed Schisler and Gabe Martinez each had eight. Schisler had a tackle for loss. Sam Stevenson and Akil Muhammad each had five tackles. Nick Long had four. Anthony Lucero had four and two tackles for loss. Joseph Stab had three. Tanner Guthrie had two. And then, and then uh, C.J. Talkington, Lucas Madrid, Aiden Harrison... Armory Teasley, Thomas Ferris, Alex Smelker, Jace Winkler, and Cade Paquette each had two tackles themselves. In terms of sacks, uh, Scheisler had a sack, and then Madrid had a hurry. On defense, uh, Gabe Martinez blocked a field goal. Lucas Madrid, Anthony Lucero, and Tanner Guthrie all had interceptions. Ronan Colson had a pass deflection, but... On the, res- on the interceptions, Tanner Guthrie returned his sole receptor. Uh, interception for 26 yards. In terms of special teams, Jace Winkler doing it all here. Nine kickoffs for 510 yards, three touchbacks. Uh, Punting-wise, three punts for 67 yards. So not as good there, but still pretty solid. Uh, Winkler also seven for eight on PATs. All around, really, really good game here from the Eagles, showing that they are one of the top teams in 4A. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I mean, granted, you should have done better against Pueblo Central without their best offensive player, but because c- you're allowing 13 points in the first quarter, you enter the second quarter only up by one if you're Heritage, and again, Pueblo Central did not have Amari Brown, so that is actually kind of concerning for me looking at the Eagles, but we'll see how it goes. Now, for our next matchup, we have the Stanley Lake Gators taking on the Westminster Wolves. Boston Harris stepped in to play quarterback this week. It doesn't look like Braden Smith. He may have been sick now that I'm looking at it, but they still pulled out the win over Westminster 34-29. to uh, Boston Harris, 6 for 11 for 62 yards and a touchdown, passing that is, rushing. Harris did still have 45 yards. Uh, Satterfield, he had, uh, Dorsey Satterfield that is, he had 55 rush yards and a touchdown. Boston Harris with that 45 as previously mentioned. Brandon Corona with 16 and then Nathan Donovan with 11. But here we have a playmaker of the week candidate. I'm calling it now. Liam Graham with 287 rush yards and three touchdowns. And then going to look at this defensive stats. But yeah, looking at it, Graham, he also had three tackles. So Liam Graham trying to do it all on on this in this game. Yeah, really, really solid from Graham here. Uh, receiving... 
Uh, our main guy, if you are Stanley Lake, is Billy Aitchison, 25 yards. Dorsey Satterfield, he had 19 receiving yards and a touchdown. Graham, 11 receiving yards. Brandon Collier with 7. Then, on defense, uh, we already talked about uh, Graham having 3 tackles, but... Vincent Ruiz, 8 tackles. Cameron Logan with 5 along with uh, Dorsey Satterfield. He had five and a tackle for loss. Boston Harris had five. Uh, Middle Stotts, he had four. Bryce Richards, three tackles, one for loss. Elijah Sattler, three, one for loss. And Nico Blanco, three tackles. Cameron Logan and Bryce Richards each had hurries. Logan had one. Richards had two. Defensively, Boston Harris, two interceptions for 13 yards and a forced fumble. Uh, Vincent Ruiz with a pass deflection and a forced fumble. Uh, Bryce Richards and Nico Blanco each had a fumble recovery. So all around, Liam Graham came out as the as the main shining guy for Westminster, and or not for Westminster, but for Stanley Lake in this one against Westminster. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what these teams do next week. All right, next up we have Coronado and Doherty. Uh, Simon was at that matchup, so you can listen to his recap there. Uh, next we have Denver South facing Longmont. Denver South would come out on top in that game, 47-39. I, I do want to apologize. I would have been there. It's just that I real and, and Longmont, okay, I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute, but my car battery died. And by the time I was able to get it repaired, it was far too late to be able to get to the game. So, I, uh, I, yeah, I just wasn't able to make it. So, sorry about that. I'll try to make it down to a Longmont game this year. But in any case, uh, so it looks like entering the fourth quarter, um, I'm not sure why Longmont wasn't going for PATs, but... Longmont going into the fourth quarter, they were down 19 to, I want to say 39 here. And so they ended up going on a 20 to 8. They ended up scoring 20 points in the fourth quarter, uh, which would have tied it had Denver South not scored eight points there. So all around Denver, uh, Longmont, they, they keep putting themselves into situations where they have to battle back. But but they are really, really good at battling back, is what I'm finding here. So, we have two really strong performances performances here from both teams. I'm going to start with Denver South. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to start with Longmont. So, passing, we have Colby Holmes, the junior now, 17 for 39 passing for 304 yards, two touchdowns which is absolutely insane. Uh, the bad part is only a 40, uh, about a 44.37 completion percentage. Uh, rushing, we have Colby Holmes. He actually had 135 rushing yards as well and two touchdowns. Cole Gaddis, uh, who is arguably the best player on this team, 118 rush yards for two touchdowns. Pretty solid there. Uh, receiving the main target for uh, for Holmes is the sophomore Joey Foote, 218 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Levi Sheck with 47 receiving yards, and then Parker Mills with 37. Next up on defense, we find that Cole Gaddis he had 11 tackles, one for loss. Isaiah Prospero he had nine, and then uh, Enzo 
Dello DeVico. He had seven and one for loss. The same thing happened with Kobe Derrickson. Uh, Edgar Calderon, he had six tackles. Joey Foote had five. Ty Gaddis, the freshman, had four. Parker Mills, Hunter Knight, Levi Sheck, and Aiden Nunez each had three. In terms of defensive statistics further, Cole Gaddis had a pass deflection. Hunter Knight had a blocked field goal. Kobe Derrickson, he had a pass deflection, as did Aiden Nunez. And then Chris Pellet, he had a forced fumble. Uh, in terms of kickoffs, Joey Foote taking over for Ty Gaddis here. He uh, Six kickoffs for 293 yards, about 46 yards on average, one touchback. Punting, he had three punts for 122 yards, 40.7 yards on average. And then for returns, Colby Holmes was the main guy. 66 uh, kickoff return yards for 66 yards. Absolutely insane night from Colby Holmes here. Ty Gaddis, uh, 3 for 4 on PATs in this one as well. So all around really solid for Longmont. Uh, Colby Holmes, if they had won this game, would probably be a clear-cut finalist for Playmaker of the Week. He, he, he is still going to get a nod, but if... If they had won, he would have been much, much higher on my list. Um, but now let's go over to Denver South. So Junior Felipe, he had, he went 14 for 22 passing for 280 yards, three touchdowns, uh, 146.8 QBR, which is insane. Um, and his main target in this game, with 144 yards and a touchdown, Elijah Landrum Hamilton. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but the freshman, eight receptions for 144 yards is insane. Uh, Trevet, he had 87 receptions for two touchdowns. Antoine Glasby, 25 yards. And then Kidron McVeigh, 24 receiving yards. Rushing, as expected, it was Chevelle early leading the charge. 23 carries for 169 yards and three touchdowns. Orlando Guevara, 6 carries for 63 yards and a tutty. And then Junior Felipe, 21 rushing yards. On defense, we've got a lot to talk about with Jeremiah Emery leading things off. 9 tackles, 2 for loss. Andrew Shepard and Nagy Levy, they each had 8 tackles, but Shepard had 1 for loss. Orlando Guevara, he had 7 tackles, as did Alex Van Steel, but Van Steel had a tackle for loss. Daniel Lusado and Brooks Vitale each had six, and then nobody else had more than three. Sack-wise, though, Ewan Wallen, he had a sack, and then Chris Garcia had one as well. Um, Junior Felipe, he had he went three for three on PATs, and yeah, all around pretty, pretty solid game. Uh, Orlando Guevara, he also rushed for a conversion in the fourth quarter, so... I really hate that I wasn't at this game, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it happens where you just can't, it, car stuff is car stuff, and it's frustrating, but it is what it is, so pretty solid game, I think J Junior Felipe might, I don't he might be a Playmaker of the Week candidate, I, I have to decide about that, but we'll, we'll see how that goes, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But in any case, now we are going to move on to our next game, which is Grand Junction Central versus Grand Junction, which, if I am... Yeah, neither team has uh, has entered stats yet. So our final game of Thursday, 
was Loveland versus Pomona. I'm only going to cover Loveland here. Uh, so passing, Ryder Easton, uh, four for six for 31 yards and a touchdown. Uh, rushing, our main guy here was Trey Olson, 174 yards and a touchdown and two touchdowns. Easton had 39 yards. Caden Stansbury had 29 yards, and then Tucker Jones, the junior, 23 rush yards and a touchdown. Receiving wides, Trey Olson was also the leader there with 17 yards, and then Zane D'Souza, who uh, number 87 there, one reception for 14 yards and a touchdown. Uh, kick return, uh, Tyler Chadwick, the sophomore, 17 kick return yards. Uh, in terms of defense, Caden Stansbury leading the charge with 13 tackles, three of which were for loss. Uh, Kim Long, 11 tackles, one for loss. Cody Moore with nine. Jedrick Jurovich, uh, eight tackles, one for loss. Tyler Chadwick and Andrews Wallen with five tackles. Trey Olson with four tackles, one for loss. Cameron Hardman with four. And then uh, we got a bunch of guys with three here. So Carter Butler, Peyton Bundy, Tucker Jones, and Jake Jackson, all with three tackles. Uh, on... On pressuring the quarterback, Caden Stansbury and Cameron Hardman each had a hurry. And then Trey Olson, Carter Butler, and Chadwick all had pass deflections. In terms of special teams, Trey Olson was that guy. Two punts for 78 yards, 39 on average. Four kickoffs for 172 yards. Um, kickoff returns, I already talked about Chadwick. But in terms of points, Trey Olson went three for three on PATs as well. So just really solid game for Loveland statistically. The problem is that they almost lost to Pomona, which is a really young and rebuilding 5A squad. Uh, so I feel really iffy about Loveland. Uh, like, they're still a top 10 team right now for me, but l almost losing to a Pomona team like that doesn't make me feel too good about yet, if I'm being honest. So, on to our Friday games, starting with Widefield and Pueblo Centennial. Now for our wonderful, wonderful slate of Friday games. Okay, so, looking at Widefield versus Pueblo Centennial, Widefield did what we thought they would do. Paul Mitchell being efficient, as, we, as, uh, as you would think. Uh, six for seven. Uh, for 110 yards and two touchdowns. Rushing. Uh, actually, no rushing from Mitchell there, but we have one, two, three, four, five, six different guys with touchdowns. And the leading rusher didn't even uh, didn't even score. Uh, Carson Parks, he had 68 rushing yards. Deshaun James, 57 and one tutty. Quavon Bryant, 36 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Connor Hazlett, 35 yards and a touchdown. Carson Martin, 27 yards. Aiden Snap, 25 and a touchdown. Jalen Sankey, 22 yards and a touchdown. And then Angelo Thomas, 3 yards and a score. Receiving, we have, uh, well, our lead receiver scored. Uh, Jalen Sankey, again, 58 yards and a tutty. Aiden Snap, 16 yards. Deshaun James, 14. Corday Wade, 10. Uh, Angelo Thomas, 7 yards. And Davenport, one reception, 4 or 5 yards. And a touchdown. Uh, kick return yards. Jalen Sankey, 
just doing it all this night. He had 40 kick return yards, and then Carson Martin, he had five kick return yards. Uh, on kickoffs, uh, Haven Johnson, nine kickoffs for 157 yards. That's not great. Um, no defensive stuff. Uh, Johnson, Haven, that is uh, four PATs on uh, seven attempts. Uh, that is not wonderful uh, ratio, but, you know, as long as the job got done. Uh, but, yeah. Then we have Shine Mountain taking on Canyon City. Shine Mountain, again, as I mentioned earlier, without Bruce Archambault IV. Uh, but they do have Sam Hawker, Wyatt Boley, and Jimmy Hansen. Uh, Hansen 0 for 1. Sam Hawker 3 for 5, passing for 21 yards. And then Wyatt Boley, 1 for 3 for 17 yards. Uh, rushing, we have a lot of business here. So Troy Harold, uh, 244 rush yards and two touchdowns. Sam Hawker, 112 yards and a tutty. Jimmy Hansen, 56 yards and a touchdown. Levi Hoger, 12 yards. And then Roy Jones, a sophomore, 5 yards and a touchdown. Receiving. We have Will Weinstein with 19 receiving yards, Jackson Garrett with two receiving yards, and Oscar Waterhouse with fifth, with 17 receiving yards. Uh, you have Harold with 10 kick return yards. You have Nathaniel Lucas, 12 kick return yards. Tyler Chris, 26 kick return yards and 28 punt return yards. Uh, you have... A lot of production on defense from Troy Harold. Uh, 14 tackles, one for loss. Levi Hoger, nine tackles. Griffin LaRue, eight tackles, one for loss. Sam Hawker, seven with zero ta- with zero for loss. Waterhouse with six. Will Weinstein with five. Uh, you have Bradley Regain, Luke. Nathaniel Lucas and Darius Hughes with four tackles. Regain had two for loss, and Hughes had one for loss. And then Wyatt Boldy with three tackles. Uh, Regain, he had a sack for eight yards. Will Weinstein, he had two interceptions for 75 yards. And uh, I'm betting a touchdown on that as well. I'm going to take a look down there just to be safe. But, oh, no. No, he did not. But still a really solid return there for for Will Weinstein, two fumble recoveries as well for 69 yards and a forced fumble. Uh, Bailey, he also had a forced fumble, and Griffin LaRue blocked a punt. In terms of kickoffs, Jimmy Hansen, the senior, eight kickoffs for 471 yards. That's a 59-yard average and six touchbacks there. Punting, Sam Hawker, one punt for 44 yards. Uh... Already went over the returns, but Jimmy Hansen, 4 for 5 on PATs, 0 for 1 on field goals, and Hansen with one rushing conversion. So all around pretty solid here. I do have to say Troy Harold had a really, really good night. Playmaker of the week consideration quality uh, to help fill in for Bruce Archambault's absence. So going to put that in, and uh, yeah, and that'll be before we go over the next game, which is Greeley Central and Northridge. So we already talked about Northridge's, Northridge's side of this, uh, but Northridge did win this one 35-13 over Greeley Central. The only problem is that Greeley Central hasn't entered stats yet. So we're going to have to move on to Palmer Ridge versus Lewis Palmer. Now, Palmer Ridge, they won this one 56-14, 
Um, all around pretty solid from the Bears. They did allow 14 points in the first half, but they cleaned it up, shut out in the second half. Uh, when it comes to their statistics, Derek Hester, 123 yards on seven completions, three touchdowns to one interception. Rushing, Hester also had 180 yards and two touchdowns. And then uh, Javier Alvira, he had 150 yards and two touchdowns as well. Gabe Klein, 49 yards, and Holden Wright for 27 and a touchdown. Receiving, the only person whose stats are in are, uh, are Weir uh, with 85 yards and three touchdowns. James Weir, or Jimmer, that is. Uh, Jimmer Weir, but yeah, he's the only... He's the only one, and they're missing, like, 40 yards there, so I'm not sure what happened uh, with these stats. But next on, uh, we we don't really have any defensive stats, but Derek Hester, he did rush for a conversion. So, really good game for Palmer Ridge. It, it's a game they should have won, but just continuing to show dominance in 4A. Uh, Air Academy is up next. They won 41-8 to over Sand Creek. Air Academy, they did, uh, they they do not have stats yet, but this is another game that I was expecting them to win. Unlike this next matchup, where we have the biggest upset of the weekend, in my opinion, um, which is Ponderosa versus Golden. Ponderosa came out and they scored 14 unanswered points in the first quarter, but then Golden came out, shut them out in the second through fourth quarters, ultimately going on a going on a 25-point unanswered run, winning this 25-14, which, if you think about it, power scaling-wise, this is pretty insane, because, like, Green Mountain beat Golden very handily. Golden beats Ponderosa, and let's say Ponderosa beats Legend next week. <laughs> Technically, that means that Green Mountain could beat Legend. <laughs> I'm only half kidding on that. But in any case, uh, no stats yet, but all around really good to see that uh, that the guys over at, over at Golden are still putting together some solid performances. Next up, we have Skyline versus Fruta Monument. Uh, so, a little bit interesting here. So, we do have... I'm going to go with the Skyline first, because uh, Fruta Monument did beat Skyline 55-19. to um, but looking at it, uh, the Skyline had two guys step in at quarterback. So first we have Servando Morales, the sophomore. He went three for four for 50 yards. And then, uh, Gentry Swanson, uh, went 10 for 21 for 71 yards, two, two touchdowns to one interception, uh, rushing, uh, Rock Carson, 91 yards, Gentry Swanson, 13 yards, Logan Malt, 4 yards, and then uh, Morales, he had one touchdown on 0 yards, which is a very interesting statistic. <laughs> um, looking at the receiving core, though, uh, Jamal Gillum, he had 33 yards, uh, Star Starkovich, sorry, he had 37 yards. Rock Carson, he had 9 yards and a touchdown. Brian Hudson, 17 yards. Trent Howell, 17 yards and a touchdown. And Johnny McRae with 10 receiving yards. 
On defense, we see Trent Howell with eight tackles, Brody Wiltshire with six and a tackle for loss, uh, Justice Gaspard with five, Morales with four, Logan Maltz with three, Zach Farmer with three as well, Brian Hudson with two. Uh, on uh, on the air game, and uh, and I guess fumbles too, Grayson Gomez, he had a fumble recovery. Um... Andy Rico, he had 44 kickoff return yards. Brian Hudson with 29, and Morales with 10. Uh, Morales is looking like he's probably going to be the guy that uh, steps in as the uh, as the quarterback once Swanson uh, once Swanson graduates. In terms of PATs, Roderick Hobbs went one for one there. Yeah, all around uh, not a great game from Skyline, but. Good to good to see those guys continuing to put up uh, putting good work. Now for Fruit of Monument, you have Amari Wilson two for five passing for seventy yards and a touchdown. Uh, rushing, rushing is where you have a lot of big numbers. So Wyatt Sharp, hundred seventy yards for, and two touchdowns. Andre Palafox, one hundred twenty four yards and a tutty. Amari Wilson, eighty six yards and three touchdowns. Tavian Trujillo, twelve yards. Chris Bennett with eleven. And Benjamin Romero with six yards and a touchdown. Receiving Carter Vance, one reception for 50 yards. And then Andre Palafox, 20 receiving yards and a touchdown on one reception. Uh, Defense, no tackles, no defensive statistics. Just pure offense when it comes to what has been entered. But solid, solid game from Frutamani. And a very, very good job there to put in the win over Skyline. Next up, you have Gateway falling too far northeast. Gateway has not uploaded stats yet, but they did lose this one 6-55. And then you have Windsor beating Fort Collins for the second year in a row, 26-24. I'm only going to be going over Windsor's part, but it does start with Kyle Phelps here. 9-12 for for 158 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Uh, Phelps, he also had 18 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, Also rushing, you have, um, I want to say Brady Lichtenberg. Uh, Just going to check that here, but no, Mason Moore. Mason Moore, um, he had 108 rushing yards, and then Kyle Phelps, 18 rush yards, or no, Sam Cooper, 19 rush yards and a touchdown. Receiving, you have Trip Thomas with 131 yards and two touchdowns, Gavin Helm with 11 yards, and then Moore again with 10 yards. On defense, you see Colton Piper with 11 tackles, Rylan Renton with 11 as well, uh, Brock Paquette and Brody Klein with 9, Drew Miller with 8, Hunter Dorrance and Henry Jones with 6, Mikey Munn with 5, and then Ethan Schneider, the sophomore, with 3. Uh, you have Rylan Renton. He also had uh, a sack and two hurries. Uh, Colton Piper, he had two hurries. And then Brody Klein, he also had one. And then uh, also you have Bryson Pendleton. He had two sacks and three hurries. Uh, Rylan Renton, he had a forced fumble as well, continuing his dominance on defense. Uh, Landon Scruggs, he had a pass deflection, as did Drew Miller. Drew Miller also had an interception for 11 yards there. Uh, Hunter Dorrance and Ethan Schneider both had two pass deflections, and then Henry Jones had a fumble recovery. Helm, uh, Gavin, that is, he had... Now, this sounds kind of insane, but... 
five kickoffs for 300 yards, five touchbacks, which is crazy. And then punting, he had four punts for 161 yards, 40.3 yard average. Three of his four punts went into the 20. Um, kickoff return wise, uh, Landon Scruggs, he had 50 kickoff return yards. And then Trip Thomas, he had two punt returns for 23 yards. Uh, PAT-wise, Gavin Helm, two for three on PATs. And then, uh, yeah, all around pretty pretty good for Windsor to beat a 5A team. So very, very good job there. Then Monarch over Centaurus, 34-7. to uh, Looking at this, Centaur- Monarch hasn't input stats yet, only Centaurus. But for the, for, I want to say Warriors, yeah. For the Warriors, Chance Wood, 13 for 25, 126 yards. Uh, Rushing, we have um, McCormick with 62 rush yards and a touchdown. Receiving, uh, Travis Mine, 75 receiving yards. Gage Muntz, 41. Jack Piranha, 8 receiving yards. Uh, And that is all for the stats in that game. So... Uh, okay game for the uh, for the Warriors against Monarch, but Mohai certainly certainly took it there. Next up, we have Vista Peak Prep against Broomfield. Broomfield winning this one, forty nine to six. Broomfield also has actually input stats for this one, and it looks like uh, the Eagles were splitting snaps between C T Worley and Darian Jackson. So Worley he went four for eleven for twenty seven yards and an interception. And Jackson, he went 5 for 10 for 69 yards and a touchdown. So it looks like Worley had a bit of a tough night. He did have 32 rushing yards, but still not great. Now, Joseph Larson, though, he did fill in a bit there, helping to really run the offense. Uh, He had 215 rush yards and a touchdown. Elliott Less, 35 yards and a touchdown. Caleb Meehan with 30 yards and two touchdowns. And then Jackson with eight. Receiving, you see Mihan with 52 receiving yards, Elliot Less with 31, and then Burke Freeze with 13. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they do have defensive stats input now. So Noah Biller, seven tackles, one for loss. Mason Smiley, five. Joey Lipshaw. Okay, you got Joey Lips, Lipsaw, who all four of his tackles were for loss. You have Kyle Clay, Brent Harris, and Scarpella. All had four tackles. Uh, Harris had one for loss. Gio Toledo, Caleb Mihan each had three tackles. Mihan, all three of his were for loss as well. Mihan had two sacks, and then Lipshaw also had two sacks. So really strong defensive performance there. Looking at it, Gio Toledo had an interception for two yards. Mikhail Benner, good to see him back on the board. Two interceptions for 35 yards, two pass deflections. Joey Lipshaw, a pass deflection, and Mason... Mason Smiley, an interception for 23 yards, a pass deflection, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery, and Noah Biller with a fumble recovery for 32 yards. Kickoff-wise, Max, Max Marchie, uh, six kickoffs for 216 yards. Um, the only real impact guy on kick on kick returns was Gio Toledo with 24 kickoff return yards. Um, C.T. Worley, he did have a conversion there. And then Marchie went 4-for-4 four four on PAT. So very good to see here. 
from Broomfield getting back on track. Next up, we have another big game for Friday, which was Erie versus Montrose. Montrose hasn't input stats yet, uh, but Erie, we have Blake Barnett going 14 for 21 for 246 yards and three touchdowns. He also had 700, not 700, 74 rushing yards. Uh, Raylan Tolliver, he had 43 rush yards and a touchdown, and then Gavin Lusk, 94 yards and a touchdown. Receiving the main guy that we see is Gavin Lusk with 85 receiving yards and a touchdown. Donovan O'Brien, 65 yards. Josh Levine, 31 yards and a touchdown. Alex Sweeney, 23. Cave Meredith, 22 yards. And then Mason Cowgill, one reception for 20 yards and a score. Looking defensively, Carson Hageman, uh, 16 tackles, one for loss. Blake Barnett, 16 tackles. Um, and then you have, you have three guys with six. Braylon Tolliver, Gavin Lusk, and Terra Nova all had six tackles. He had three guys with five. Jackson Cowgill, Cabe Kobolentz, and Ronan Ward. Uh, Cowgill and Kobolentz both had a tackle for loss. Uh, Keaton Strange and Dominique Sama also had tackles. Also had three tackles. Carson Hagman, he had a hurry defensively. See Keaton Strange and Terra Nova each with a each with a pass deflection. And Blake Barnett, one interception for ten yards and a forced fumble. All around really, really good game for Blake Barnett. Uh, that is you you're, as Erie, you are beating Montrose, which is another top 10 team. You're beating them by 10, and that was largely, largely powered by Blake Barnett in this one. So he is certainly at the top of the Playmaker of the Week list as of right now. Yeah, it, Blake Barnett may be Playmaker of the Week. <laughs> um, Don't be surprised if you see that. And then also, I really can't wait to see Erie in person. I'm going to be at the game down in Windsor, and so I really, really want to see how the Tigers and Wizards do against each other, because that'll be really, really fun. Uh, next up, though, we do have Pueblo West falling to Fountain Fort Carson, 19-32, uh, all around... I mean, Pueblo West, still a really strong team. I feel good about them. We'll see how it goes. They did have the lead entering the second quarter. And hell, actually, entering halftime. Yeah, they, they had the lead... Uh, they had the lead until, like, midway through the third quarter. And so, this is a team that can do that to a 5A top 5 team. So, I feel really good about Pueblo West. No stats, though, so I can't comment on that. Next, we have Silver Creek versus Boulder. Silver Creek wins this one 41 to 21. No, uh, no stats yet, but all around half solid. Uh, well, not just half solid. He got the win, but it's against Boulder. So I'm going to have to see some more from, from Silver Creek to like really say stuff. Then we have Thornton falling to North Glen, 35 to 49. Uh, Thornton, Jose Paradis, uh, four for 14 for 56 yards. Uh, David Williams, uh, he had 170 yards and one touchdown. Jose Paradis, 187 rush yards and three touchdowns. Andrew Gomez, 27 rush yards and a touchdown. Uh, then we have receiving Clayton Jones, 27 yards, and then Jordan Aguilar, 
with 22 yards. Uh, Rodriguez with 36 kick return yards, and then Aiden Martinez with 10 kick return yards. On defense, you have Josh Rodriguez, uh, 8 tackles, 1 for loss. Cameron Jimenez, uh, the freshman, 6 tackles. Aiden Martinez and Cavett uh, for 4 tackles each. Uh, then we have David Williams with three and one for loss, and then Rodriguez with three as well. Uh, Josh Rodriguez had a sack, for ch- and uh, which caused a loss of two yards. Then in terms of, yeah, already went through the kickoff and punt returns, no special team stats. Thornton did lose this one, but I, I honestly feel half solid about, uh, about Thornton, like not as bad as other people do about him. I feel like they're going to be a a pretty okay team this year. Uh, then, next up, we have Rampart versus Palmer. Rampart did win this one, 48-12. Um, and honestly, that's kind of what I expected. Uh, we only have defensive stats as of right now, but uh, Meishu Ramaka, four tackles, one for loss. Nathan Boylston, four tackles. Brendan Ward with three. Then you have like 30 guys that have two and a bunch of guys who have one tackle. In terms of sacks, Jaime Valdez and Richardson shared one for four yards. <clears throat> Both of them also had two hurries. And then uh, Nate Isaacson and then Derrickson as well each had a hurry. Uh, Maxwell Rayton uh, with an interception, then Gage Haskell with an interception as well. Uh, Rayton, he had two pass deflections. Carter Leffler had a pass deflection. Josh Newberry had a blocked field goal, and then Derrickson had a pass deflection. In terms of kickoffs, Nate Isaacson, eight kickoffs for 267 yards, 33.4 yard average. Uh, Punt-wise, Damian Deitch and Isaacson each had punts. Uh, Neither went over 25 yards, though. Um... Yeah, Nate Isaacson, 6-for-6 six six on PATs. Mark Suplison, 0-for-1 on PATs. That's all we really have for the Rams right now, but pretty solid game. If Rampart gets a win, gets gets a really solid win over Dakota Ridge next week, I am going to have to consider putting them into my top 10. And then if they do well against Heritage, they're definitely top 10. And they have a pretty tough league schedule. Like, they have... Shine Mountain, who they should beat, and Air Academy, and who I think they should be good against, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, moving on, though, we do have Dakota Ridge, who we just mentioned, beating Mesa Ridge 39-35, to so a real slugfest here. And so, Dakota Ridge, I'm going to go with the Mesa Ridge's stats here first. Bryce Real, 173 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he also had 22 rushing yards. Uh, 26 rushing yards, sorry, and two touchdowns. Isaiah Jones had a 111 rush yards and a tutty. Trayvon Salas, uh, 23 rush yards, and nobody else had more than 10. Or heck, nobody had more than 5. Uh, receiving, Xander Iwanski, Iwans- Iv- sorry, one reception for 47 yards and a tutty. Tanner Wittich, uh, 42 yards. Uh, Sonny Rogers, 41 yards. Isaiah Jones for 26, and then Anthony Smith for 17. Then Wittich, uh, five kickoffs for 296 yards, 59.2 yard yard average, three touchbacks. Uh, Avonski, two punts for 87 yards, 43.5 yards. I'm going to keep an eye on you for our punters watch list next year. 
Uh, kickoff returns. Uh, Cody Kufred, uh, Kufeld. Uh, one kickoff return for 100 yards. Okay. <laughs> uh, Anthony Smith, three kickoff returns for 65 yards. Uh, one punt return for 11 yards. Avant Wright, one kickoff return for a yard. And then Kyle Alfaro, two punt returns for 41 yards. So a lot of Mesa Ridge's damage was done on special teams. Uh, Tanner Wittich, by the way, he had, he went 3 for 4 on PATs, 0 for 1 on field goal attempts. Uh, touchdowns, Kufeld, he had a kickoff return touchdown on that 100-yarder, which he better of. Uh, Bryce Reel, two touchdowns. Conversions, Trayvon Salas, a rushing conversion. Now, for Dakota Ridge here, Blake Palladino, 9 for 17 for 118 yards, three touchdowns. Rushing, you have Paladino with 149 yards and a touchdown. Sam Collis, uh, 113 rush yards and a touchdown. Nobody else had more than 15, but the two who had over 10 were Stephen Price and Cole Ellinger, both with 11. Receiving, Jack Stewart, 63 receiving yards and a tutty. Connor Sawinski, 20 receiving yards and a tutty. Alex Arnold, 14, and Sam Callis with 12. Then, uh, no special team stats. Uh, Jack Seidel, the junior, 4 for 4 for PATs, 1 for 1 field goals for 20, and that field goal was a 29 yarder for 7 points. So, and then Alex Arnold with a receiving conversion. So, Blake Palladino may be a playmaker of the week contender, may not. May not win, but he is certainly up there with this win over Mesa Ridge. Now, we have Vista Ridge playing against Pine Creek. Uh, Vista Ridge has not entered stats yet, but they did lose this one 7-56, which is unfortunately kind of what I thought would happen. That, that Pine Creek team is way too good right now. Uh, and then, finally, we're going to end this off with three straight with uh, these last three games. First, Falcon versus Aurora Central. Fa the Falcons would take down the Trojans 42 to 0, but they are there are no stats for this one as of yet. Uh, on the other hand, we have Thomas Jefferson taking down Greeley West. Greeley West uh, has not input stats yet, but the thing is they got beat 48 to 0 by Thomas Jefferson, who does have stats. Dimitri Haralambopoulos, he went 7 for 9 passing for 134 yards and 2 touchdowns. Rushing, he had 92 yards, but Jake Tapia, he had 2 touchdowns, uh, and Braden Larimer, he also had a touchdown there. Receiving, we see Jake, Jake Scobie with 131 yards and 2 touchdowns, and then Jaleed Coleman with a reception for 3 yards. <laughs> um, defensively, uh, Mr. Tupper Brown, uh, he had eight tackles. Going to check on your first name there. Um, Roman Tupper Brown with eight tackles. Braden Larimer, five tackles. Andy Smith with five as well. Uh, Jake Tapia, Kai Rogers, and Johnson with four. Jaleed Coleman, Keyshawn Caesar each had three. And then Dimitri Haralambopoulos with one tackle assist. In terms of sacks, four sacks of this game, jeez. Uh, so Johnson, he had he had one. Tupper Brown, he had one. Caesar, he had one, and then Kai Rogers, he had one as well. Uh, those those sacks amounted to 21 yards lost, and then also there were six hurries, 
Two of them were Johnson, two of them were Caesar, one of them was Jake Scobie, and one of them was Jake Tapia. Uh, Doran Sacha, he had two interceptions for 93 yards. Uh, DJ Ramos, he had one interception, and then Jaleed Coleman, he had an interception as well. Uh, Ramos's interception was for 60 yards. Coleman, he had a pass deflection. Uh, Javon Morris, he had a pass deflection, and then uh, Harlem Bopolis and Tapia each had a pass deflection as well. And then Eob Iasu, he had a fumble recovery. Um, yeah, all around really solid game. Scobie, he went 6-for-6 six six on PATs. Uh, two interception return touchdowns. Really, really good for Thomas Jefferson over Greeley West. And the final game, which I feel really crappy about, is Adam City versus Hinkley. There isn't a score reported, but I am really, really curious to see what the final score was. Because I, I think every if you are listening to this, you know that these are two of the worst teams in the state. And so I want to see who won that. But in any case, it has been 50 minutes, so I'm going to let you go. let you all go. And hope you're all having a good one. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. Don't die. Peace. And luckily for Gideon here, the showrunner did go ahead and check out that last game. But maybe unlucky for listeners who have to listen. But Adam City narrowly beats Hinkley 6-0. to um, Jamie Ramirez with the go-ahead touchdown, if you want to call it that. Uh, between these two teams and yeah no kind of a bizarre looking game uh, highlighted by Victoria's performance that is let's see his first name is Michael Victoria for Adam City who had 19 tackles and four for loss but uh, yeah very close game here decided by one touchdown Adam City will win that football game but now we're going to be able to toss it over to Simon and then Gino for some recaps on the 5A-ish level for Simon and then 5A total level for Gino coming up. Okay, let's go ahead and recap the Doherty versus Coronado game here from September 7th to 20 or 2023 obviously here on Thursday, Thursday night football here, a cross district game between the Doherty Spartans, a 5A team, and Coronado, a 4A team. Doherty looking to get into the win column. Uh, I believe they haven't won a game up until this point here. And then Coronado in the same position. So whoever would win would go ahead and get the first one of the season. But let's hop into this one. Coronado will go ahead and receive here. And at quarterback is Thomas Buckmiller, which is a little bit different because before uh i think jackson gutowski was the projected starter or i thought was the projected starter there uh gutowski doesn't look like he's hurt i mean he's out there he's dressed um and he would go into this game so it looks like buck miller is just the starter here but without further ado let's go ahead and hop into this game cordado uh gets the ball here and they go ahead and they hand it off 
to number 20, um, but it, they don't get too much there. Second 11, uh, a tough delay of game kind of pushes them back a little bit here as they struggle just a little bit to start this game. But here we go after all of that. Buck Miller on the next play goes ahead and aims down the left sideline in one-on-one and finds his receiver, the junior, number two, Zen Groves for a big catch that would go ahead and put them on the 50, about a 20-ish yard gain here uh, for a first down, obviously. But another tough penalty on Coronado makes it first and 15 before this uh, next set of plays even gets started here. So they're already in a tough spot. After a couple of throwaways or a throwaway, it's third and 15. They just go ahead and run an outside zone play left, handing it off to number 20. That would be Donnie Bigford here. It looks like their senior running back, and he would be stopped uh, actually for a loss of four, and so they would punt it with about 10 minutes here. Now, Doherty is fielding this punt and here's what happens they go ahead and I, I didn't quite get a good look at it but it looks like the ball bounces off the foot of a Doherty defender and Coronado goes ahead and recovers this one and so in a crazy change of events Coronado basically flips the field I mean they're at midfield already but they get about a 20-30 yard gain off of a blunder off of Doherty's special teams here and so here we go they're on the 25 uh, about 9-24 left here in the first quarter they go ahead and run an inside zone play to Donnie Bickford again the running back he gets about six making it second and four there but a read option play on the next play uh, Buck Miller keeps this one and he's stopped by a gang of Spartans here led by Micah Jacobs so that makes it third and six here they run the ball one more time which is interesting they only get three yards here right up the middle so it's fourth and three but they are going for it and here's what happens Buck Miller drops back and he finds number seven that is Thomas Sanchez I want to say he finds him on the out route so good throw good play here and he goes ahead and reaches it out and gets the key first down that puts them in the red zone here with a fresh set of downs. Couple plays later, let's go to third and 11 after a short run and a screenplay for loss here. They go ahead and throw it up the middle here. It looks like up the seam to their star receiver, number one, Reality Smith, but it is overthrown and incomplete. So once more, we are in a fourth down and 11 situation. Coronado. Takes a timeout at 531 to talk this over, but they are going for this one regardless. And so here's what happens. Fourth and 11 in the red zone. Buck Miller drops back and he throws the corner out to Reality Smith, who is wide open as Coronado takes the 6-0 lead to start here. Now they would go for two, which is interesting here. Wasn't a fake. They just lined up a uh, play here. And so they roll out uh, Buck Miller, right? And they find Reality Smith, who makes a nice catch. And so just like that, they lead 8-0 over Doherty. Now Doherty, they take over on the 23 here. But comes down to a third and five. They hand it off. And it's not a great snap. The ball kind of just goes directly to the running back and happens to land in his hands. And so he gets a first down. But right after that, Doherty fumbles the snap. And that is recovered by Coronado. And so here we go. Coronado looking to take an early lead here. But after a tough penalty on Coronado, which is declined, uh, and 
it is now fourth and ten. But on fourth and ten, Doherty, they bring the pressure. And number 53 for their squad. That's Thomas Gillespie. Gets a huge sack off the edge. That gives Doherty the ball back, just like the fumble never happened. And so here we go. 3.53 left in the first. About on the 42. Uh, let's go ahead and fast forward a couple plays. It's third and four. They call a draw play to number 20. That is Jaden Campbell. He is... Yeah, stop for a loss. He gets three yards, almost gets the first down. And so it's fourth and one now. They hand it off to Jaden Campbell again, but he's stacked up. So that's another turnover on down. So a couple of turnover on downs here to start um, the second drives for both teams. So Coronado takes up the ball here around midfield with about 2.43 left. They will basically go three and out as well. Buck Miller getting sacked a couple times here, it looks like. Uh, well, sorry. Gets tackled by number nine, uh, Buck Miller, on a scramble. That is, I want to say that's Zachary Knoll there. And then he gets sacked after that by number 27 of Doherty on third down. That is Leron Donald. And so they go three and out. And so when Doherty takes over here, they have about a minute 30 uh, left here. And so here's what happens. They call an end around play to Solomon Latimer, and he takes it to the house for a 50-yard touchdown. But there is a penalty here uh, holding on Doherty. And so that brings it all the way back. So now it's second and five here. After a tough run play, um, actually, it becomes third and 12. And so on third and 12, here's what happens. Their sophomore quarterback, Leland Friscaz, he drops back and he throws a beautiful pass down the right sideline in stride to Logan Hutchin here, who goes ahead and takes it in for a big-time touchdown. Uh, PAT is good, so now Doherty just trails, just trails Coronado 8-7 to at the end of the first quarter. Now, moving on into the second quarter, Coronado, they have the ball. They're moving it relatively well here. Thomas Buckmiller throws a nice pass over the middle. That goes for a first down. Following that, a couple more handoffs. Brings up a third and eight situation. On third and eight, they throw it, but it is incomplete. So that brings up fourth down, and Coronado will punt it. Now, Doherty, they get a nice return, so they take over near... Uh, the midfield here around the 46 and so here is what happens let's go to second and 10 here they go ahead and hand it off to the running back brian valdez puts a move on a couple defenders make a couple more miss and then he rips off a huge 40 plus yard run to the house for a touchdown as doherty takes the 13 to 8 lead the pat is no good so it stays at 13 to 8 here now, Coronado, they take over on the 30 after a nice return by Reality Smith, but it looks like Reality Smith gets hurt on this play, and he would not come back into this game, which would be a game changer here. So, there you go there. Now, here's what happens. Coronado, they have the ball after a tough penalty. It's first and 15. They go ahead, and it looks like it's a quarterback uh, design run here right up the middle, but he gets lit up. Buck Miller gets lit up, and he fumbles the ball, and that is recovered by number 73 of Doherty, Jay Sean Cooper, who gives Doherty the ball back here as it feels like they have all the momentum. Moving on to second down here, uh, second and six. 
Leland Friscaz drops back, and he throws it right up the seam to a wide-open Logan Hutchin here, who walks it in for his second touchdown of the game. They also get a two-point conversion to Solomon Latimer, who gets it in the flats and then makes a move to make it a 21-8 game as Doherty is riding this wave. Now, following that, Coronado, they get the ball, but they go three and out. They're trying to run the ball here, but they're just not getting th getting anything. This Doherty front seven just taking over over this game here forcing that three and out now Doherty actually takes over on the 25 thanks to a great return by number 20 Jaden Campbell but a holding penalty is thrown on Doherty so that moves them back to the 40 it does not matter though as they go ahead and call a swing pass to Solomon Latimer he breaks the ankles of the first defender and then he goes 62 yards to the house to take a 27 28 lead make that 28 to uh, 8 lead with 5.15 after the PAT as Doherty has all the momentum here. But Coronado, they're not out of it just yet. They take over on the 20 and on the first play, Thomas Buckmiller takes a shot down the right sideline. It is 101 and he finds Johnny Geshke here. Uh, hopefully I'm saying that right. Excuse me if I'm not. For a huge touchdown, Johnny Takes this one to the house, making it 28 to 14. They go for two here, but it's no good. So it stays at 28 to 14. Coronado stopping the bleeding momentarily and getting a key touchdown to make this one close in the second quarter. Now, Doherty, they'd get the ball back looking to respond here. About five minutes left in the second quarter. A lot of explosive plays so far, and it would not end there. Doherty gets to the 45 second down here. They hand it off to Brian Valdez. He bounces this one off right here and rips off a 45-yard touchdown, ending this one with a tough finish there, running over somebody to go ahead and get in and make it a 35-14 to lead after the P. A.T. So just a great play by Doherty. Um, well, great play, honestly, by Brian Valdez and a great response by Doherty as they go up a couple here. Now, Coronado would get the ball, but nothing would work here. Uh, it looks like Thomas Buckmiller maybe gets hurt for a little bit as Gutowski does go in. Throws one pass, but it's incomplete. And so it's a fourth down and a punt. Doherty gets the ball with about 58 seconds left, and they just run out the clock here. And so just like that, Doherty leads 35-14, to 14, and they really wouldn't look back. This game would not be close here. Coronado would drive um, down into the red zone, but they would not be able to get anything. A nice pass deflection in the red zone by a Doherty defender would end that drive, and then Doherty would basically just run out this clock until we get to the fourth quarter here, and they would go ahead and hand it off to Jaden Campbell, who ends a pretty long drive and makes it a 42-14 to game here with about eight minutes left. At this point, this game is over. I mean, Coronado, they don't have reality. Smith and Doherty, they are just dominating up front on defense final score of this one 56 to 14 Doherty gets their first win of the season while Coronado remains winless here uh, just going over some stats Leland for 11 of 18 282 yards three touchdowns no picks another great game by him for the second week in a row but a lot of credit to 
their running game as well. Brian Valdez, the senior, 12 carries, 138 yards, two touchdowns, uh, two long touchdowns, by the way. Jaden Campbell uh, really got going in that fourth quarter, nine carries, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Receiving-wise, Logan Hutchin turned up five receptions, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Solomon Latimer was focused on this game, but he still got his four receptions, 98 yards, and a touchdown as Doherty, like I said, blows out Coronado, 56-14. to Feeling good about this one as they get their first win of the season. Hello again, everyone. Gino here, and I'm back here with a recap of a game where I traveled to Castle Rock, Colorado to see a great matchup between the Legend Titans and the Castleview Sabercats. This was a game between two potential playoff teams, and with Legend coming into the game, coming off of two blowout wins over Vista Ridge and Pomona, we had them all the way up there at three in our power rankings prior to the game. They are a dynamic squad with depth all over the field and some excellent chemistry to go with that. That makes the Titans easily one of the better 5A teams this year. For Castleview, they came into the game also unbeaten with some college-level talent spread around the roster, but they were a bit of a question mark as they finished the last season with a record of 2-8. and eight. With that in mind, there were definitely some concerns surrounding Castleview coming into this one, especially against a strong opponent in Legend, but those questions went away rather quickly, as you will see in this recap. Legend on offense is a team that uses a variety of packages to get their two running backs, Jaden Lawrence and Alex Martinez, involved as much as possible in both the pass and run game. We heard coming into the game that there was a bit of a QB battle going on between sophomore Michael Marcinich and junior Nick Farley, with, Marci- with Marcinich appearing to have the edge statistically. Legend had used both QBs in their prior games, so there were some questions coming in as to who would they who would they let get the ball, but Legend ended up going with their gut and started Marcinich. Who would end up playing the entire game for the Titans? On defense, you have a very deep, cohesive unit that is one of the best in the state. A lot of the playmakers on this defense are seniors and have been playing together since they were dominating in middle school. So that type of chemistry is extremely rare to find and makes them even more dangerous. For Castleview, they are a team that doesn't rely too heavily on the run or pass on offense. They run almost strictly out of the shotgun and tend to run on first and second down to help set up the pass on third down. This formula works well for them because their QB, Derek Gordon, is one of the most efficient and clutch QBs in the state. You'll see in this game how amazing he is on third down in other clutch situations, which are telltale signs of an elite QB. On defense, they are led by Wyoming commit Jordan Ochoa on the edge and linebacker defensive tackle Jonathan Nieto-Vila, with both of them making huge impacts in this game. Both crowds for both teams showed out to Douglas County Stadiums for this game, with Castleview's crowd rocking a construction theme with their dad's orange and neon green vests and hard hats littering the student section. They made sure to stay loud all game, as I don't even think they or anyone in the crowd could have prepared them for the game that was about to take place. Let's go ahead and get right into the recap here, starting with the first quarter. Legend would start with the ball in this one after a touchback from sophomore Christian Montero, who would go on to be a key piece in this one as Castleview showed off their elite special teams all four quarters. Castleview set the tone early on defense after a couple runs for small games for Legend and a Weston Vildebill pass deflection on third down would would force Legend to punt. After a weak punt, the Sabercats go on to start on the 50 and would establish their scheme early in this drive. 
After a quick pass to Sam Harry on first down, the Sabercats would pull off a sweet triple reverse trick play with the ball ending up back in Derek Gordon's hand as he hits six foot four receiver Jackson Blanchard deep on a beautiful touchdown pass. Montero nailed the PAT and that puts Castleview up 7-0 here early in the first. Legend would actually answer that touchdown with a scoring drive of their own here on the next drive, starting on the 40 after the kickoff goes out of bounds. After a Marson's pass is complete to Noah Archuleta for seven yards, the Titans would start to get their running back duo involved. Lawrence would get a first down run on the next play, followed by Martinez, who would also get a first down run. Legend continued moving the ball as they would get their running backs involved in the pass game as Marcinich would hit sophomore running back Riken Banks for a first down pass, and then another first down pass to Jaden Lawrence to help set up first and goal for the Titans. After a couple of stops for Castleview's defense, Alex Martinez would punch it in to make the score 7-7 after the PAT, still here in the first quarter. After that, chaos would ensue in the next couple of drives as Castleview started on the legend 10-yard line after the returner messed up the punt, the kick, excuse me. After that, on second down, senior running back Ethan Gonzalez would fumble the ball and legend would get the ball back on their three-yard line with a massive opportunity to take the lead and switch the momentum of this game. Unfortunately for Legend, Castleview would end up picking up a Jaden Lawrence fumble in the end zone, giving them the ball back and moving them up all the way to the 20-yard line after the touchback. Lucky for Legend, though, they would end up forcing a three and out on that Castleview drive, and uh, Castleview tried to trick play there to no avail. Montero, the punter, would have an incredible punt here, putting Legend all the way back to the Castleview 16-yard line. That would be his first of two punts inside the 20. Uh, Legend came out looking great on this drive again as Martinez put together a couple of solid runs for a first down and that was followed by Jaden Lawrence who would get a nice eight yard run of his own. After a short run for Martinez, Marcinich would again find Riken Banks who led the team in receiving yards and receptions in this game on a wheel route for a nice game for 25 yards and that puts Legend in their own territory. After a couple failed screens, Marcinich would fumble the ball and that gives it back to Castleview that fumble and the one before that ended two very promising scoring drives for Legend and completely changed the trajectory of this game. And that's the end of the first quarter. Moving on to the second quarter now. Castleview started this drive on the attack as Gordon would hit Blanchard for a couple of nice first downs to move the sticks. With the second one being a beautiful fadeaway pass as Gordon was nearly sacked on the play. Plays like this is what separates Gordon from other QBs in the state. Then after that, you had Ethan Gonzalez, who had a nice uh, run for eight yards to help set up a Christian Moreno field goal, which he nails to make the score 10-7. And Castleview would not give up this lead for the rest of the game. Special teams masterclass continued for Castleview on the very next play, as they would shock everyone, including myself, and recover an onside kick to give them the ball back on their own 40, with a lot of time still left here in the second quarter. Castleview would start to separate themselves after, the, after that massive momentum-changing onside kick as they put together yet another scoring drive. An incomplete pass on first led by a short run would take us to third down where Derek Gordon shines yet again as he hits wide receiver Sam Harry for a 39-yard touchdown to take the lead 17-7 here still in the first half. 
Things started to look up again for Legend, though, as number three, Jeff Baca, would get a nice return on the kick, taking it all the way to Legend's 40-yard line. This hope, however, was short-lived as a bad snap was fumbled by Marcinich and recovered by Castleview to make it three turnovers in the first half for Legend. Well, if you include the onside kick, that's four massive turnovers for Legend just here in the first half. Castleview would get a first down after a couple runs for a first down, and they would end up punting on this drive to give Legend one more shot at cutting the lead, uh, cutting into the lead before the half. After a six-yard run on first down, Lawrence would break free for a massive run, all, almost scoring in the process, and he puts Legend on their own four-yard line with plenty time to score. On the angle drive for Legend, they would give the ball to Riking Banks on back-to-back -back runs for no gain, as Jaden Lawrence appeared to be a bit shaken up on that massive run, so he wasn't able to get the ball there. He would return in the second half, however. So on third down, we get an incomplete pass, and that forces Legend to call a timeout as the clock ticks, and it is fourth and goal on their four-yard line. After the timeout, Marcinich drops back to pass, finds a receiver, lets it go, and... It is batted down by number 31, Keegan Dianito, who makes an amazingly clutch play to keep Castleview up 17-7 going into halftime. Now heading into the second half, we have Castleview, who would start with the ball, and after a short Gonzalez run on first and an Aaron Perry run on second is stopped by number 8, Billy McGuckin, on legend for a loss, Derek Gordon gets another first down pass on third down. This time to number 16, Tyler Adair for 11 yards. On a similar set of plays involving short runs on first and second down, Gordon would yet again move the sticks on third down, finding Blanchard for a nice gain. They were stopped on their next set of plays and were forced to punt. Legend got the ball on the Castleview 27 and would start to put together another solid drive here. They got Martinez involved again as he would run for a first down for Legend on third down, and that was followed by another first down play, this time a screen pass to none other than Riken Banks. As Alex Martinez runs for yet another first down, and that would put Legend on their own 25, with yet another opportunity to cut into the Castleview lead. Unfortunately for the Titans, however, they would not score any points on this drive, as they would try and go for it on fourth down again, to no avail, again, still 17-7 Castleview in the third. Castleview would get the ball back, but that would end, they would end up punting after three straight passes, couldn't get them a first. And then Legend would get the ball on the 50, but a holding call on second down would make it second and 16. And then another holding call on third down after an incomplete pass would be declined by Castleview to set up a punt from Legend. And that would move us into the final quarter of the game, where Castleview would try and put together another scoring drive to add to their lead. But it didn't happen this time. They would go for it on fourth, and they got the first, but then the next set of plays would set up a punt for them. This would lead to another Montero punt inside the 20, and give the ball to Legend on the Castleview 12-yard line. We actually started to see what this legend offense was really supposed to look like on this drive as Michael Marcinich put together by far his best drive of the game. First, he found his favorite target, Jaden Lawrence, for a first down pass. He followed that by a seven-yard completion to Brian Doyle, and then a design QB run got them a first down. Marcinich would then find Alex Martinez on a play-action pass over the middle, but Martinez ended up dropping this absolutely beautiful pass 
that would have put them in scoring position, and that makes it second down. Martinez, however, wouldn't give up on this drive as he would eventually get the first down after a nice couple runs immediately after that drop. Marcinich then hit Peyton Auckland for a couple yards after an incomplete pass on first down to make it third. This was followed by a run to Martinez, who was stopped by Jonathan Nieto-Vila for a loss to make it fourth down and medium. Legend would go for it here. Marcinich drops back to pass on fourth down, but this pass is batted down by Vildebil once again, who makes another massive fourth down stop for Castleview. After a couple short runs and a helmet-to-helmet -helmet flag, Castleview would get a first down to start this drive. Gordon would hit Hudson Stasiak for a first down on the next play, followed by another first down to number 33, Aaron Perry, only two plays later. A Gonzalez run after that puts them at first and goal, and Castleview would, would try a, a couple running plays, but both are stopped for either no gain or a loss. And then they call a timeout. This is followed by yet another run play on third down to set up a field goal for Montero, who nails it to make it 20-7, to and that would be the final in this one. Legend would try and get something going after a kick is returned to the Castleview 40-yard line, but a hand-to-the-face penalty and another massive Nieto Villa tackle for a loss would wrap this game up here at Douglas County Schools Stadium. So now it's time for some final thoughts on that game. First, I'll give some general thoughts on the game itself and then some individual thoughts for Legend and Castleview. Starting with the game, while most people will look at that score and see this as a massive upset, I think this recap tells a different story. Being there at the game, I didn't really see an upset. I saw a very legitimate, talented Castleview squad prove to the entire state that they are not only a playoff team this year, they are a team to be feared. Now, Legend is still going to be a huge threat this year, as this was still a very winnable game for them if it wasn't for some bad turnovers and clutch play from Castleview on both sides. This is simply one of those games where score does not tell the whole story. So let's talk about Legend. Um, this was a very, very bad loss for Legend. There's no doubt about that. Despite big plays from Lawrence and some very favor favorable field position at the start of multiple drives, Legend, for one reason or another, just could not put the ball across the goal line for the life of them. Even the Alex Martinez touchdown required the refs to get together and decide if he made it across the goal line or not. What happens if they don't fumble on the goal line and score? What happens if they recover the onside? What happens if they kick the field goal instead of going for it at the end of the first half? There's so many things in this game that I could point out that, I, that could have easily switched this game for Legend but it just didn't happen, ever. I was left quite disappointed with their pass game as Lawrence, the leader in receptions and receiving yards, only got those two receptions with both of those for nice gains. I was excited to check out the variety of packages and plays they had ready for him, but it felt like they either couldn't accomplish them or Castleview just had them covered. Lawrence and Martinez is a running back duo that can take you far this year, especially when you consider how good that defense is. But for me, I really want to see more trust in Michael Marcinich in this offense and let him put the ball in his playmakers' hands. If teams start to fear that pass game, that will make the run game that much more deadly. I don't know, it just felt like every flat route and every out route they tried was incomplete, and those were basically the majority of Marcinich's passes. I don't know if that was by design or because Marcin Marcinich was indecisive, 
but more throws over the middle and more plays to get Martinez and Lawrence in space is going to take this team to the next level. And I think they're very capable of that. Next week at Ponderosa is an absolutely crucial game for the Titans for multiple reasons. Now let's talk about Castleview. This was a statement win for the Sabercats. They came into this game as a relatively unknown, especially considering their 2-8 record last season. But those who know, know that this is a Castleview squad that is a top team in the state with playmakers all around on both sides. Their ability to win on third and fourth downs, plus their amazing special teams unit, are two things that are extremely rare and important for a winning team here in 5A. That's not just talking about Derek Gordon's relentless ability to extend plays and to move the sticks on third and fourth down. I'm also talking about the defense and how they're able to stop multiple potential legend scoring drives in red zone territory on fourth down. Then you add in some punts inside the 20 and multiple clutch plays from Jonathan Nieto Villa, Jordan Ochoa, and Weston Vildebill on defense. There's simply no question that Castleview is going to be a top squad in 5A this season. I love the way that Derek Gordon controls this offense. It seems like he has a lot of trust in his receivers and vice versa. I don't think their run game is elite by any means necessarily, but Ethan Gonzalez is a solid complement to Gordon as he can run out of the shotgun and he rarely loses yards. I can't stress this enough, but please people, please keep your eye out for Castleview this year. They are the real deal and will be good for a playoff spot this year at the very least. So do you want to know what the best kept secret in running back training is? It's Mad Skills RB1 training. Coach Vaz is flipping the script and leveling up running back training in Colorado by implementing his proven nationally recognized system of training. Don't be fooled by the name. Quarterbacks and receivers become fundamentally sound juke artists as well with his training. It's evident the athletes he trains love him. Each progressive training session arms the athlete with a new skill set that prepares them to be shifty, powerful, and elusive. Parents love Coach Vaz because with his training, they receive free college recruiting tips, no contracts, and no drama. Message him on Instagram at madskills underscore RB1 training or at Coach Cut Creator on Twitter X for more information. Offseason runs from January through July, so get in the cut and get some mad skills this offseason. What's good, y'all? Welcome back. It's Coach V here, and I got your 5A recap for week three. Let's go ahead and hop into it. September 7th, 2023, Thursday. Have a handful of games here. Westminster versus Stanley Lake here. Westminster playing for a Stanley Lake, and Stanley Lake getting away with this one, winning 34-29 to over Westminster. Their high-powered offense still going, but some struggles on defense resulted in that loss so there you go there thunder ridge versus lakewood thunder ridge wins big here 52 to 2 ryan gonzalez once more having a solid game 13 of 23 145 passing yards two passing touchdowns also adding on 139 rushing yards plus the thunder ridge defense dominated seven sacks two picks and two forced fumbles by the squad as they go ahead and get another win in a row for them then we got Douglas County versus Fair, uh, Rangeview here. Excuse me, Douglas County versus Rangeview. Douglas County wins this one pretty easily, 44-7 to on the back of Davis Lish, their quarterback. 11 of 16 for 242 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. Then we got Pomona 
playing for a Loveland here. Pomona almost winning this one, but not quite losing 26 to 27. That would have probably been a pretty big win for Pomona, but still a solid game to have and a good confidence booster moving forward, almost beating a team like Loveland, who is pretty good. Then we got Mullen versus Mountain Range. Mullen winning their first game of the season, 39 to 7 here. Koa Dietrich, 19 of 31, 277 passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks as he continues to play well for them. Then Doherty versus Coronado. By this point, I would have already recapped that one, I believe. But let me just give you some stats here. Leland Frascaz, 11 of 18, 282 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. Logan Hutchin, five receptions, 166 yards and two touchdowns. He was unstoppable this game. And then Solomon Latimer still getting his four receptions, 98 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. Plus a whole bunch of rushing touchdowns, which were got in well, I'd say a half of them were in garbage time, but Doherty wins this one 56-14 over Coronado. Let's move to the Friday set of games here, September 8th. Arvada West versus Horizon looks to be a little bit of a shootout here. Uh, let me go ahead and break this down just real quick. It looks like Horizon led at halftime. Jeez, 37-27, and then Arvada West would score 27 points to Horizon's three points here in a big time 54 to 40 win for Arvada West as they continue to roll here now 3 and 0 on the season Horizon unfortunately the opposite at 0 and 3 on the season here let's talk stats here Logan Tuhacek 12 of 17 165 yards three touchdowns his best performance to date here at quarterback for Arvada West. And then the running back, sophomores, Jaden Green, 221 rushing yards, three touchdowns. Adrian Samala, 131 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown as they pull out a good win in a shootout. Then we have Columbine versus Cherokee Trail. Uh, Columbine does not want us to use their name anymore, so we will be referring to them as Littleton West. And so Littleton West wins 35-7 over Cherokee Trail. Uh, Cherokee Trail, they had two quarterbacks play in this one, interesting enough. Tyson Smith, uh, Tyson Smith, excuse me, 15 of 23, 91 passing yards. Elliot Ming got in there, went 2 of 2 for 56 yards and one touchdown. And remember, no Peyton Summers as he is out for the season. So another tough loss for Cherokee Trail. Then we got Fairview versus Valor Christian. A classic game here. Here's how it went down. Fairview. Went up 28-0 at half after scoring three rushing touchdowns and one long 50-plus yard passing touchdown. Looking to end, maybe not end Valor season, but put a pretty definitive nail in Valor season as I don't believe they've started 0-3 in a very long time here. But then Valor Christian said never back down, never what? And they go ahead and go on a tear in the second half. Gabe Sawchuk ending a nice drive with a one-yard touchdown with eight minutes left in the third. Right after that, they would go ahead and stop Fairview, get the ball back. He would then rip off a 37-yard rushing touchdown to make it 28-14 with five minutes left in the third. After yet another failed Fairview drive, Cash Spence would then get in on the party and runs for a 30-yard touchdown with eight minutes left in the game to make it a one point or sorry a one score game here trailing 28 to 21 
Then with five minutes left in this game, very few kind of trying to ice the clock here, but obviously too much time is left, and they would make a crucial mistake. Lane uh, Gagan, I want to say, for Valor Christian, gets a key interception off a tipped pass with five minutes left in this game, and Valor would march down the field until they're in a fourth and goal situation on the two-yard line. And yet again, Gabe Sawchuk delivers and clutches up, punching it in to make it a 28-27 lead here before the PAT. Fairview still leading, but instead of going for the PAT, they go ahead and go for the two. And Cash Spence completes a pass to Garrett Dial, giving them the 29-28 lead with about two minutes left in this game. Fairview still with a chance, but a couple of batted down passes, including one that was almost intercepted, intercepted would basically end this game as Valor completes the 28-point comeback, the largest comeback during this 2023 Colorado high school football season here, and saves their season, or at least in my opinion, they saved their season with a big-time 29-28 win over Fairview. Let's go over some stats here. Gabe Sawchuk, 23 carries, 111 rushing yards, 3 rushing touchdowns as he comes alive and puts up a playmaker of the week performance here. Have been critical of him in the past here, but he really stepped up here, so a lot of credit to him. Now, Fairview here, some struggles throwing the ball. Rowan Reisner, 9 of 19, 151 passing yards. He had that one touchdown in the first half, but two interceptions, including that costly one in the fourth Jordan Rochelle, he had 13 carries, 91 rushing yards, one touchdown. Jace Hines, he had 74 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown in a losing effort. So Valor Christian wins their first game of the season while handing Fairview their first loss of the season here. And the craziness does not stop there, as it was a pretty crazy week for 5A. We have Fort Collins versus Windsor playing 4A Windsor, and they lose a close one here, 24-26 to to Windsor, as Fort Collins continues to struggle here. Then we got Cherry Creek versus Chatfield here, a uh, highly anticipated game, but Cherry Creek dominates this one winning 34 to 17 here there are about i would say there are like 14 i would say garbage time points as it was a 34 to 3 lead for cherry creek here to start the fourth quarter but you add on and jake jones rushing touchdown and an, well two jake jones rushing touchdowns i should say and that made this one look a little bit closer but cherry creek really dominated this one here no cherry creek stats here just yet but jake jones 11 of 25 160 yards two interceptions but he did have those 49 rushing yards and two touchdowns um a story to look out for here brock narva only two carries here. Obviously, I don't think he'd be only getting two carries if he wasn't maybe hurt. And so that's something to keep an eye on as he is a big part of that offense. And so definitely a struggle here. But Cherry Creek remains undefeated here while I believe Chatfield gets their first loss of the season. Not a bad one, though, against Cherry Creek. Now, moving on, we have another thriller, Regis Jesuit versus Arapahoe. It was 21-7 Arapahoe at halftime, thanks to two big Trajan Frazier uh, touchdowns, uh, including a big, like, 70-plus yard rushing touchdown. 
and one passing touchdown from the quarterback Moynihan to give them those 21 points. Peyton Liddell, the quarterback for Regis Jesuit, would contribute, uh, I want to say, a passing touchdown there to make it 21-7. to But in the third, Peyton Liddell would go ahead and pass for a touchdown here uh, in the third to tie this game up here. I think he would pass for two touchdowns to tie this game up in the, um, or just before the fourth, but in the third. But at the top of the fourth, Trajan Frazier punches in another touchdown. Following that, they get a Regis stop. And then Michael Moynihan, a couple plays uh, later here, would go ahead and throw a touchdown with about two minutes left. That would basically put this one away. Regis Jesuit would score a rushing touchdown at like the very end of this one. But this one would be over as Arapahoe wins big 34-27 to on the backs of Trajan Frazier here. 172 rushing yards, 3 rushing touchdowns in this one. Michael Moynihan, another efficient game here. 16 of 21, 193 passing yards, 2 passing touchdowns, and only 1 interception. For Regis Jesuit here, Albert Medina really struggled on the ground here. But still contributed, 42 rushing yards, but 5 receptions for 75 receiving yards and a touchdown. Peyton Lindell for Regis Jesuit did not play bad at all and, you know, showed really good signs and uh, positive improvement here. He won 17 of 26, 186 passing yards, 3 touchdowns and a pick. But moving forward, they'll probably need him to do a little bit more if Albert Medina struggles on the ground. Uh, but nothing you could do about it now as Arapahoe wins here 34-27 to and continues to stay undefeated on the season here. 3-0, Regis Jesuit getting their first loss here. Then we have Foster Ridge versus Bryden, another close one here. Bryden wins this one 32-20 to weight in a good win here. Fossil Ridge now dropping to 0-3 for the first time in a couple years here. Nick Kubat, though, did, uh, he did play well, 16 of 21, 222 passing yards, 3 touchdowns. Colton Pollock, 132 rushing yards and a touchdown, but he did have a couple fumbles, and you can't have that in a close loss. Moving on, we have Eagle Crest versus Highlands Ranch. Eagle Crest stays undefeated, winning 51-7. Joe Steiner, 14 of 26, 198 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, 41 rushing yards. His running backs, though, contributing big time here. Josh Riley, 81 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. And then, hey, shout out our guys, sophomore running back Sterling to four, 12 carries, 87 rushing yards, and a big time win over Highlands Ranch. Then we got Pooter versus Prairie View. No stats here, but a close one here. Uh, Prairie View beats Pooter 21 to 19. Rock Canyon versus Denver East. Rock Canyon gets a key win here, 26 to 14. Then we got Legacy versus Rocky Mountain. Legacy wins their first game of the season, 42-0. Uh, Cullen Lerma, 4-5, 65 passing yards, 51 rushing yards, and three rushing touchdowns. Mountain Vista will then get another 60-point win here, or score 60 points in a win, I should say, against Chaparral, where they won 63-7. No stats there yet, but it looks like maybe no Tevin Stokes for Chaparral. If that is the case for the rest of the season, or even more games, it's going to be an even longer season for uh, Chap there, so we'll just have to see what happens. Boulder versus Silver Creek. Boulder Continues to stay uh, winless here as they lose 41 to 21. North Glen beats Thornton for a Thornton 49 to 35. Grandview versus Ralston Valley, another big time ranked matchup. Ralston Valley hammers them 30 to 15, but those 15 points were 
basically garbage time points in the fourth quarter. So uh, Ralston Valley, I want to say, went into the fourth up 30-0. to zero. Tagging on another quality win here. Logan Madden, a masterclass performance. 20 of 28, 290 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. His receivers did really well. Jackson Hansen, nine receptions, 120 yards. Anthony Bonallo, five receptions, 111 yards, and a touchdown here. As like I said, they did lead 30 to zero. About nine minutes left here. We'll update this though. It looks like Liam Beattie for Ralston Valley will be out for the season. So we'll continue to see how well they play moving forward. Then we have Legend versus Castleview. Gino recap this one, so make sure you go ahead and check that out here. But Derek Gordon for Castleview plays very efficiently here. 19 of 25 for 207 passing yards, two touchdowns. As Castleview does beat Legend here in an upset, 20 to 7. Uh, Jaden Lawrence in this game, 12 carries, 103 yards, two receptions, 40 yards, but not enough to overcome their early mistakes. Uh, by the way, Derek Gordon, a playmaker of the week candidate. Then we have Fountain for Carson versus Pueblo West. I apologize. I was supposed to go to this one, but I guess there's a mix-up with the locations and whatnot. We thought we had it nailed down, but apparently we didn't. Fountain for Carson, though, wins this one 32-19 here without their uh, original starting quarterback, Colton Camba, who is now confirmed as out for the season. So with a new quarterback, they go ahead and beat Pueblo West 32-19. Matthias Price continues his MVP slash Opoy type season here with 22 carries, 151 rushing yards, and 4 rushing touchdowns. Let's go ahead and go to the Saturday slate of games, just two here. Pine Creek versus Vista Ridge. Pine Creek dominates 56 to 7. Not much to say there. Overland versus Smoky Hill. Very different games here. Uh, Smoky Hill gets their first win of the season. A close one, 7 to 0. So there you go. That is your week three recap of 5A. Next week, I will not be recapping 5A. So to all my 5A listeners, thank you for listening. And I will catch you later. What's good, y'all? Coach V here. And we got our week three power rankings uh, for this 2023 season let me go ahead and run down how we do this so myself cody gino and gideon rank our own teams one through ten for 5a 4a 3a 2a and 1a and how that works is that if we rank a team any one of us ranks a team at number one then they get 10 points number two nine points number three eight points and so on and so on then I go ahead and add up all the points that each team got from each of our four votes. And the team with the most points is number one, and then so forth and so forth. So there you go there. That's how we kind of average it out for our rankings. And so as I go through this, I'm going to talk about our personal rankings, which may be different from each other. It is different from each other compared to our PMC rankings, which is the average of our four rankings there. Alright, so just wanted to go ahead and break that down one more time. As we go ahead and head into this, per usual, we will start on the 1A level and talk about our rankings first from last week. So, uh, last week, we had Centauri, or sorry, let me start with the teams just out. We had North Fork, Buena Vista, and Colorado Springs Christian getting top 10 votes. Then at number 10, we had Centauri, number 9, Yuma, 8, Meeker, 7, Rye, 6, Gunnison, 5, Banning Lewis Academy, 4, Strasburg, 3, Ray, 2, Holyoke, and number 1 was Lyman. Now, this week, 
here's what happens. Yuma and Rai uh, go ahead and drop out of our top 10 here, but they do get votes. Let me make sure that I go ahead and read off some of the reasons uh, why they dropped here for us. Um, Gideon actually had Yuma here still at 9. I want to say he was the only one to still have Yuma in their top 10 after they lost. He did not have any reasons for them there. Now, he also had Rai just outside his top 10. He made sure to say that. Uh, Cody had Rai outside of his top 10 as well. But Gino did have Rai in his top 10. At 10, he said Salida is a good 2A opponent, but the ranking of 6 feels high, especially after the games Meeker and Buena Vista had, so he had to drop down Rai there. So, there you go there, Yuma and Rai just looking outside here. But let's go ahead and go into our PMC top 10. At number 10, we have North Fork. This is what Cody has to say about North North Fork here. He said their only loss is a 1-point loss to another top 10 team. And that qualifies, uh, and that sorry, and that quality of loss combined with their dominance elsewhere will land them here in his last spot. Uh, Gideon did not have North Fork in his top ten; they were just outside. And same with Gino. I kept North Fork in there personally, just because I mean I had them there. Um, well, I don't think I moved them. I had them at ten. And then I moved them up a couple of spots here. I mean, they continue to win. I like what they do over there. Like Cody said, had a really close loss. So I do believe they are a top 10 team easily. So there you go there. Now, tied at eight, we have two teams. Let me start with one of these here. One is Colorado Springs Christian, who was previously unranked. This is what Cody has to say about uh, CSCS. He said, they have just been pouring on too many points to ignore for any longer and break into my top 10 with an undefeated record so far. They should re remain undefeated heading into major league uh, matchups against Rye and Banning Lewis Academy, where we will learn more about this team. Absolutely agreed. Gideon moves Colorado Springs Christian into his 10th uh, spot here. He said, I could give the spot to a number of teams. North Fork, Centauri, Ryan Wiggins come to mind. However, CSCS barely take it. I think that Jace Velasquez is proving himself, and the Lions defense is so much better than I thought without Nathaniel Tonneson. Yep, absolutely have to agree there. Uh, Gino has Colorado Springs Christian ranked the highest out of all of us here. He has them at 5. And by the way, I don't have them ranked just yet. They're just outside for me. But he's had another game with over 40 on offense. Put CSCS in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, can't deny all the success they've been finding here so far. They are undefeated. And so for them to be tied for 8th, I think is a very fair. Uh, but for me, they're just outside. Now... The other team here at 8 is Buena Vista, who comes back into the top 10. This is what Cody has to say about them, who he put at 9. He said Nolan uh, Verrier, I want to say. PATs ended up being the difference as Buena Vista grinds out a quality win and takes the spot of the team they beat to get into the top 10, which is Centauri. They beat Centauri. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon has Buena Vista at 8. 
who stays here. He said BV did win, but their win did less for me than some of the other teams here. Uh, Gino had this to say about Buena Vista, who moves up two spots for him from 10 to 8. He said they held a Centauri team that is just outside the top 10. It's only 12 points. Solid introduction to 1A teams for them uh, this year so far. And yeah, I absolutely got to agree. I have Buena Vista still, or I moved them back into my top 10 here, sorry, to number 8, which like I said, that's where they are in our PMC rankings. Uh, good win over in Centauri. That's not a tough, or that's not an easy team to beat, and so I definitely respect that win. I think that's enough to get them back into the top 10. Now, we have another tie here. Tied for sixth, we have two teams, uh, and one of them is Strasbourg. Strasbourg coming off a tough loss to Lyman here. This is what Cody had to say about Strasbourg, who drops three spots for him from four to seven. He says, Strasbourg showed the ability to move the ball, and I'm not sure about their status as a heavyweight, uh, and they are ranked behind someone who just performed better against Lyman. In his personal rankings, they are ranked better, so that's what Cody had to say there. Uh, Gideon has Strasbourg still, or he has them dropping a spot to six. Didn't have anything to say about them. Gino has Strasbourg here dropping from five to seven. He says losing to Lyman is simply going to happen. Putting up 21 points uh, shows that they still have a pulse despite their one and two start. And yeah, I have to agree. I mean, they've had a really tough schedule. Played Holyoke, who is ranked really high here. Uh, played Lyman, who's the other team ranked up here as well. And then Wiggins is always going to be tough. Uh, and Wiggins is a team that is, I think, mostly outside our top 10 for all of us. Not ranked yet, but they are outside our top 10. So there you go there. Have, a, have had a tough go, but they will be finding their stride here soon. Now, the other team tied at sixth here is Meeker, who does move up a spot. Cody had this to say about Meeker, who moves up from eight to six. He said a solid two-touchdown win over Aspen, and their prior performance against Lyman sits them here square at six as a team, uh, as teams have started to play similar opponents this season, and that is being taken to more, being taken into consideration for me. Excuse me there. So, there you go there. Uh, Gideon has Meeker at 7, who doesn't move up or down. And then Gino has Meeker at 9, who re-enters his top 10. Gino said this, they re-enter my top 10 as they get back on track with a win after the rough game against Lyman. Yep, gotta love that here. Meeker does move up one spot. Uh, I believe I have Meeker in the same spot as last week here. I mean, they're a good team, no doubt about that. They played Lyman the closest, I want to say, and so that is definitely a green flag. Now, moving on at number five, we have Gunnison, who does move on. Uh, Cody has Gunnison at five in his personal rankings, moving up two spots. He said, Monta Vista is not a bad squad, but Gunnison made them look silly and are undefeated so far. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon has Gunnison at three now, moving up a spot. He said, Gunnison is on a great streak and won over a talented skier squad. So there you go. And then Gino has Gunnison at six, who moves up two spots. He said, big dominant win moves them up a couple of spots. And yeah, this Gunnison team, I mean, they play tough football over there. They are definitely a top five team, I would say. So um, for sure, agree with that. 
Now, moving on at number four, moving up a spot here is Banning Lewis Academy. This is what Cody had to say about them. Um, who, by the way, he has at four moving up a spot in his personal rankings. He says, winning against Yuma tells me that Banning Lewis Academy is ready to be taken seriously this year and not be in their own way. Absolutely agree there. Getting has Banning Lewis here. Um, actually slightly moving down a spot, and that's because he moved Gunnison up a spot. He said Banning Lewis showed grit in a 14-0 win over Yuma. They are starting to prove that they belong. Gino had this to say about Banning Lewis, who moves up a spot. He said shutting out Yuma is a huge statement for them and moves them into the top three this week. For myself, Banning Lewis Academy moves up a spot here. And yeah, this was a game last year, last season, where... You know, I predicted them beating Yuma in Yuma, and instead they got blown up, blown out, excuse me, by 40 plus points. And so for them to win this one, they were at home, but for them to win this one, 14 out, that's a tough win right there. You gotta love that. That looks great for the resume here for their top 10 status. And eventually, I mean, you gotta start thinking how serious of a contender is this team here, and can they go all the way to state despite not even making the playoffs yet? Um, in their program history, and so in their young program history, I should say. So we will see. Now at three is Ray, who stays right here. Cody says this about Ray: This Scott team is revered everywhere, and they were able to score this year, uh, which is better than last year, despite their defense uh, performing worse. No punishment though for Ray. So there you go. Gideon has Ray at five, who moves down. Uh, or sorry, moves up a spot, actually, says, Ray continues to impress me. I may have underrated the Eagles. Uh, Gino has Ray at four, just moving down one spot. He said, bad loss to an out-of-state squad, but the team they lost to is very good, so they only fall one spot. Uh, for me, Ray just drops a spot. Like Cody said, like everyone has said, they played a good Scots team over there uh, from Nebraska, and so got to respect that, you know, love the matchup there. But just a tough loss. And so for that, they do move, or sorry, they stay here, really. But for a lot of people, they move down here. Now, at number two is Holyoke, who also stays here as well. Cody had this to say about Holyoke. Uh, they clobbered an out-of-state team. Gideon had this to say about Holyoke, who he has a two. Uh, well, actually, he didn't say anything. They are just still at two there. Uh, Gino also has Holyoke still here at two so no big changes there uh and same with me i have holyoke too now lyman for the like fourth i guess third straight week is number one here all of us have number one or lyman number one in our rankings cody said this about lyman a win in, against another top 10 team in a dominant fashion shows that they are still the gold standard Gideon said this about Lyman. Lyman and Holyoke are still my clear-cut one and two. Gino did not say anything about Lyman, but he kept them there. So, yeah, there you go. Not too much changes in the top three, but some movement uh, everywhere else, basically. And so, to go ahead and review here, just outside, getting top ten votes, though, is Yuma and Rye. At ten, we have North Fork. Tied for eighth, we have Buena Vista and Colorado Springs Christian. Uh, tied at six is Strasburg and Meeker. At five, we have Gunnison. Four, Banning Lewis Academy, who moves up here. At three, we have Ray. Two, Holyoke. And number one, Lyman. So there you go there. Those are your 1A power rankings.
Okay, moving on here, we have two-way. Let's go ahead and talk about last week here. Just outside our top 10 last week was Arvada. At 10 was Englewood. 9, Eden. 8, La Hunta, 7, TCA. Tied for 5th was University in Basalt. 4, Rifle. 3, Berthed. 2, Elizabeth. And number 1 was Delta. Now, for this week, there was one team that was just outside that got top 10 votes, and that was Wellington. Uh, Gideon voted for Wellington here at number 10. He had this to say. Wellington has proved that they are not here to play. With Cash, Altschwager, unlimited snaps, the Eagles are dominating their competition. I can't wait to see Wellington take on Timnith next week. So, boom, there you go there. Now... Let's go ahead and get into our top 10. At number 10 is Eden here. Uh, Gideon had this to say about Eden. He said, I feel bad having Eden outside the top 10, but they have not done anything to show me that they mean business against a team I take seriously. Platte Valley is solid, don't get me wrong, but did anyone have the Broncos winning this game? The teams in front of the Reds are the teams that have shown me more with much less. So there you go there. Eden is outside of his top 10. He does not have them ranked there. Now, Cody has Eden ranked at 10, and he says Eden finally gets in the win column and by a substantial enough margin to provide a breath of relief, but their spot is far from safe. Gino said this about Eden, who he has at 9 still here. He said, with how stacked 2A is this year, Eden is going to have to show out against Severance if they want to be able to move up next week. Absolutely agreed. Um, I have Eden moving down, and that's because I have another team um, moving up ahead of them that previously wasn't ranked for me. But, you know, I do have to agree that was a good win for Eden to win against Platte Valley. They should have won that one, though. And so, moving forward, we'll see what happens. If they win against Severance, like Gino says, that'll be a really big win for them and some signs of life as that Severance team has a very explosive offense. Now, moving on here, at number 9, for the first time this year, they are ranked in our top 10. This is Arvada here, and this is what, uh, let's start with Gino. This is what Gino has to say about Arvada, who moves into his top 10. He says, they replaced the team that they just beat at 10 this week, easily a top 5 offense in all of 2A. Gideon had this to say about Arvada, who moves up to 9 for him. He said, since Arvada down to Inglewood, a top 10 consideration team, I feel comfortable putting them here. Cody has Arvada at 9, who was previously unranked for him. He said, after being the number 9 ranked team, the Dogs will take their spot as their offense continue to just be a fireworks stand going to work and carrying them to dubs. And yeah, no, absolutely have to agree. Arvada has gotten good win after good win, beating Littleton, uh, beating another 3A team as well here, I want to say. And so they're on a roll. You know, Arvada is playing very good football. Trevor Lucero, I believe, is one of the front runners, I would say, for MVP or Opoi. You know, and so Arvada is cooking right now. We'll just have to see what happens as they move forward. Now, at number 8, moving down a spot for all of us is TCA here. Or at least for our PMC rankings, TCA moves down. Uh, Cody has TCA at 6 still, though. He said the Titans squeak by against Alamosa, but it is, it is always good to pull out those close games since that's how it will become November. So there you go there. Cody keeping TCA where they are ranked. Uh, Gideon moves down TCA four spots here, uh, back down to eight, and then he doesn't have anything to
to say about that. Gino has TCA at eight. They moved down a spot. He said they fall back a spot this week after barely beating Alamosa. And then for me, I had TCA uh, basically in the same spot. I'm not going to move them down. I mean, they still beat Alamosa, but a one-point win against a team that is not ranked in the top 10 is a little concerning. You know, is a little concerning. Plus, I'm pretty sure they played them at home too. So I don't know what's going on there. But TCA is still top 10 regardless. Now, moving up a spot in place of them is La Hunta, who is at number 7 according to our PMC rankings. According to Cody's personal rankings, he has La Hunta still at 8, not moving up or down. He said, what a solid win over 3A Pueblo East, where this Tiger team has shown that they can play with anybody. Yes, absolutely agreed there. Uh, Gideon. As La Hunta at 7, moving up two spots, he said, La Hunta down to 3A squad we had in our top 10 after week 1. Luke Garner is a must-watch. That's their quarterback. So there you go there. La Hunta moves up a spot for Gino. He says, they continue to slowly rise as they get a huge win against a good A team. And yeah, absolutely have to agree. This was a game that I wasn't sure that they could win because Pueblo East is a pretty big squad. And so for La Hunta to win this one, it almost signals to the rest of the state that they are here to contend, I would say. But there are plenty of great teams here in 2A that I think will contend. And it's almost anybody's game. And so, moving on from here on out, it, this is really the group of teams here that we all could see winning state, I would say. Or at least I could see winning state. Now, moving on here, we have University uh, at number six, and according to our PMC Power Rankings, they do move down a spot. This is what Cody has to say about them, uh, who he has at number seven still. He said, a pleasant bye week and extra week to prepare for Elizabeth will show us the most about the Bulldogs. So there you go there. Gideon has University at five here. Who stays here? He said, neither University or Basalt played this week, so neither moved for Gideon. So there you go there. Gino has University still here at 6. He said they get a bye week to help them as their tough schedule continues next week with a tough game next week against Elizabeth. Um, I had University move down one spot because I moved just one team ahead of them, which we'll talk about later here. It wasn't because they won or lost, obviously. Um, but going into this next week, they play Elizabeth. That is a game that I will be at. It will be in Elizabeth. And so that's a tough game. If they could win that one... That really will shoot them up, these rankings, obviously. But I still think that they are contender regardless, though. So there you go there. Now, at number five, according to our PMC rankings, is Basalt, who stays here at five. Uh, Cody has them at five here. He said Basalt has a week to rest and come back to a Glenwood Springs team that is hungry and pissed off looking for a win. Uh, Gideon has Basalt staying there. He said they had a bye, like I said earlier. Uh, Gino has Basalt at five still. He said they have potential to rise next Friday as they play a ranked team, uh, 3A team, that is, in Glenwood Springs. And yeah, I would agree. That would be a big win that could potentially move them up here as well. So there you go there. Now, moving on here, tied for third. We have two teams here. Uh, one of those teams is Rifle. And so, Cody got to see Rifle play, who he has set three. He said the game against Glenwood took patience, guts, and physicality that the Bears all delivered on, and the players uh, are fiending for the number one spot when they play Delta, which they will hear soon. So, there you go. Uh, Gideon has this to say about Rifle. 
who moves up four spots for him. You said Rifle was the team that I want to say proved, uh, proved, excuse me, they can hang with the big boys after topping Glenwood Springs. Similar reasons for putting them above Elizabeth, but I need to see the Bears take on a top five squad before I could justify that. Thankfully, they play Delta on Friday. So there you go there. Gino has Rifle at three here, moving up a spot. He said Glenwood Springs is not an easy opponent. And Rifle came out and confirmed that they are going to be a top team in 3A. Sorry, I think he meant 2A this year with that win. Sorry, they beat a 3A team in Glenwood Springs, but are a top team in 2A this year. And yeah, absolutely have to agree. Logan Gross uh, looked like he was doing their thing. Their pass rush looked really good over there. Rifle will get a chance to take out Delta here, who, spoiler alert, is currently number one still. So there you go there. Now, uh, the other team tied at three is Elizabeth. Um, this is what Cody has to say about Elizabeth, who he has a two. He said they took care of business against a sliding academy team, but we will see what they are really made of when they play university next week. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon has Elizabeth at four still. Not much to say there. They do move down two spots, which is interesting here. But I digress. Gino has Elizabeth at four as well, moving down a spot. He said they could get their top three position back in my rankings if they win against University. That will be a look into what could be a potential playoff matchup. And yeah, would definitely have to agree there. That could be a deep playoff matchup. Like I said, I will be at that game this week on Friday. Should be a good one. This will be a chance for both Elizabeth and University to potentially move up here. But a clash of the Titans here for Elizabeth will be a fun one. So there you go. Rifle and Elizabeth tied at three according to our PMC rankings. Now Berthed moves up one spot to number two. Cody has Berthed at four. He said Berthed continues to play their best ball when it matters after they, after they defeat a quality 3A team. I'm not sure how you can still be sleeping on this squad. I will address that later. Uh, Gideon puts Berthed at one here for the first time this season, replacing Delta. He said Berthed has proved that they can beat a top 7-3A squad, a team that I have making a potential Final Four run. That's in Thompson Valley, by the way. Since Delta heavily struggled in the first half against a middling Palisade team and Elizabeth struggled against Burlington, I only see Berthed, who proved their medal against one of the best squads in the state, as the top team in the classification of two-way. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon, or sorry, Gino has Berthed at two here still. He said they are breathing down Delta's back for the one spot, holding a top 10 3A team to only 14 po points. Uh, shows that their defense could be the best in all of two-way. And yeah, absolutely have to agree. I have Berthed right now at two. I've had them at two for, I want to say, a while now since week one. I'm just going to throw this out there. There's a certain Colorado media group out there made up of a bunch of newspapers and uh, people like that that think Berthed is number eight. Uh, which is uh, really wrong and shows that they don't watch football straight up. Berthid is definitely a contender, the number two here. If Delta loses, I would think that Berthid would definitely contend to be number one if they're not automatically number one. So we'll just have to see about that. This Berthid squad is dangerous. And if you're following 2A football, 
if you're following 2A football, I don't know how you could have them outside your top three or even four at the at the very least. So there you go there. But at number one is Delta. Cody says this about Delta. Another win will keep their spot, but their biggest game of the year against Rifle Looms on Friday. Gideon has uh, Delta at two here. He just moved Berthed ahead of them. So there you go. Gino has Delta at one, though. He said another win keeps them at the one spot. Delta has to watch out for Berthed stealing their top seed, though. And yeah, I have to agree. I mean, they play their toughest team in Rifle. That is a physical football team, both on offense and defense here. It's going to be a great game. Honestly, it's going to be a great game. It's going to preview what could potentially be a semis matchup in 2A later this year. If not, maybe a state championship matchup in 2A uh, if they land on the right sides of the bracket. So, very interesting storylines in 2A this week here. But once more, Wellington is just outside our top 10. At number 10, though, we have Eden, 9 Arvada, 8 TCA, 7 La Hunta, 6 University, 5 Basalt, tied for 3 is Rifle and Elizabeth, 2 is Berthet, number 1 is Delta here. 2A looking to be arguably the most competitive classification this season? I think so. I think we all agree there. So there you go there. Now, moving on to 3A, who has historically been competitive here. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what our rankings were last week. Last week, we had Severance, Lewis Palmer, and Northridge just out, but tied at 9. We have three teams, which was Pueblo Central, George Washington, and Glenwood Springs. At 8 was Durango, 7 Northfield, 6 Thompson Valley, 5 Resurrection Christian, 4 Green Mountain, 3 Holy Family, 2 Roosevelt, and number 1 still was Lutheran. Now, let's go ahead and talk about our top 10 from this week here, from after week three here. And I'm going to start with the team that is just out, which is Denver North here. Cody has Denver North at nine. Uh, he's the only one that has Denver North rank. He said currently they average 41 points per game and they have their biggest test this Friday against Northfield. So we will see what they are made of as they try and erase the memory from last year where they did get blown out. So there you go there. If they beat Northfield, that would obviously be huge for them. Now, at number 10, we still have a tie here. And let's start with this team here. It's Glenwood Springs uh, as one of those teams that is tied here at 10. Cody did not have Glenwood Springs ranked here. Uh, Gideon had Glenwood Springs at 10. Uh, which moves down two spots for him. He said this, Rifle is a damn good team, and rivalry games flip all the time. Regardless of team quality, still feel good about the Demons, though. So there you go there. Gino had this to say about Glenwood Springs. They entered my top 10 after putting up a very solid fight against a tough Rifle squad, losing in a close one. So there you go. Uh, I have Glenwood Springs at number 10 as well. Uh, they stay here. I mean, they lose to a tough rifle squad by like a score. So I'm not going to punish them just yet. Plus, I just don't think that there are any other 3A team that really deserve to move into this 10 spot. So I'm not just going to put a team here just to be here. Now, the team tied for 10 is Pueblo Central. Uh, no one else has Pueblo Central in their top 10, but I still believe in them. I know they lost. Um, this last week here, which was a tough one, right? It was a tough loss for Pueblo Central, but to be fair, they did lose to a pretty solid team and the Heritage, who is a top 10 team in 4A, 55 to 19. So I'm not going to hold that against them. 
you know. But then they play Coronado, Pueblo County, Centennial after this. I think Pueblo Central is still a team to watch, to be fair. So, and definitely still a top 10 team in my eyes. So, there you go there. That's why I have them where I have them here at uh, 8. And they are at number 10, according to our PMC rankings. Now, at number 9, we have a new team moving up from unranked. And that is Northridge here. Cody has this to say about Northridge. uh, Or, sorry, Gino has this to say about Northridge, who moves up to 9 for him. He said, Northridge is new to my top 10 this week after only giving up 13 against Greeley Central in a 35-13 win. Gideon does not have Northridge in his top 10, but they are just out. Uh, Cody has Northridge at 7. He said, they have been so dominant. And while remaining undefeated, I can ignore them no longer following this efficient win that has Northridge in a great spot to capture the Greeley crown for yet another year and I also have Northridge moving up to number nine here as they continue to play well I mean not against the toughest teams but they've won big against their first three teams here and I've shown that they have reloaded and so I think they deserve to move up at least to our top 10 here so there you go Northridge at nine at eight is Northfield who does move down a spot Cody has this to say about Northfield, who he has at five here, uh, moving up a spot. He said their game against Riverdale Ridge was intense, but the scoring picked up for them in the second half. And by the conclusion, they were healthily in control. Gideon has Northfield at five, moving up a spot. He said Northfield proved their quality against an upstart Riverdale Ridge team. I want to keep seeing what this team can do, but they haven't proved themselves as top or as true contenders oh, uh, in the top four yet. So there you go. Uh, Gino has Northfield at six here, moving up a couple of spots. He said they won a solid margin after a rough first half on offense. This may feel high for the Nighthawks, but they are a sleeper team in 3A and have yet to be truly tested yet so far this season. Uh, I don't have Northfield ranked at all. I need them to win against a quality squad here uh, before I could put them in my top 10, plain and simple here. I think Pueblo Central, for me, is still a team I would put ahead of them. So there you go. Moving on, we have Thompson Valley, who moves down a spot after their loss to Berthet. Cody put them at 10 in his personal rankings here, uh, which is 4 uh, less here than before. He said, losing by two points to birth, it shows me that they have to mentally dial in. And with Loveland coming up, if they aren't focused, they won't be top 10 th- uh, this next week here. Gideon has Thompson Valley at six here, uh, who moves back a spot. He didn't say anything about them. Gino has Thompson Valley at eight, who does actually move up one spot. He said, Bertha is a very good team and they could have beated them, beat them. Excuse me. So I'm going to have to bump them up a spot this week. And that's fair. I mean, they only lost by a handful of points here. It was a winnable game, right? Uh, I only moved down Thompson Valley one spot, I'm pretty sure, compared to last week. And so it wasn't the worst loss. I think Berthet is that good. And so I wouldn't panic just yet here. We'll see what happens. I think Thompson Valley is fine. They play a tough Loveland team. I don't expect them to win that one. Loveland's really good. But, you know, if they do, then potentially they'll move up. Now at six is Resurrection Christian, who moves down a spot after losing to that team in Wyoming. 
Cody has this to say about them, who drops three spots. He says, while getting shut out is not great, this is still a solid Wyoming squad that Rez barely beat last year, so I will not completely punish them yet. Gideon has Rez at eight here, moves down in spot. He said a loss to Buffalo definitely drops Rez, but I need to see how they look next week to drop them out of my top 10. Jeez. So there you go there. Uh, Gino has Resurrection Christian at seven, who moves down in spot. He said getting shut out is never a good thing, but I'm going or I'm not going to drop them too drastically because Buffalo is a good team. For now, they fall one spot for me. So, yeah, no, agreed. I mean, Buffalo is a good squad, uh, and it is an out-of-state team, so I'm not going to weigh on it way too uh, heavily here for me. I believe they only moved down one spot, so there you go. Now, Durango is at number five here, and they move up three spots for us. Now, Cody has Durango at six in his personal rankings. He said, Tyler Harms put together an efficient four-touchdown performance, and the Demons were able to be pretty balanced in this solid out-of-state win against a New Mexican team. Uh, Gideon has Durango here at 7, moving back into his top 10. Gino has Durango here at 5 here, who moves up two spots. He says, Durango has found themselves in the top 10 after blowing out Aztec, which is not bad, uh, not a bad out-of-state opponent. The top 4 and 3A are some powerhouses, but Durango is banging on the door right now. And yeah, have to agree. I mean, they always play a couple out-of-state games here to get started just because, obviously, that's the closest teams to them. And so I'm not completely worried here. I moved Durango a bit because a number of teams lost. So there you go there. Now, at number four, still here, uh, same as last week, is Green Mountain. Actually, our top four is the same. Green Mountain at four, Holy Family at three, Roosevelt at two, and Lutheran at one. Let me go ahead and say what everyone else had to say about them. Cody has Green Mountain at four, personally. He said they are the real deal and have not yet been tested. Uh, Gideon has Green Mountain at four. He said, watching the Rams in person makes this a tough decision. But I want every team in my top four to know you're basically tied in my books. If these teams played each other while healthy, those games... Uh, those are games that would be triple overtime. The playoffs are going to be a bloodbath per usual in 3A. So there you go there. Uh, Gino has this to say about Green Mountain. He said, it doesn't feel right having them outside the top three. Or sorry, Green Mountain's at four for him. He said, doesn't feel right having them outside the top three with how dominant their defense and offensive line are. But that's how good 3A is this year. And yeah, absolutely have to agree. Uh, Green Mountain does not move for me here. I mean, they're a tough squad and they went ahead and slaughtered Mountain View as they should. Now, at number three is Holy Family. Cody has them at three as well. He said they need to keep their hot start going next week as Green Mountain is looking to grab their spot in the top three. Or sorry, that's what Gino had to say about Green Mountain. Or well, Holy Family, but also Green Mountain. So there you go there. That's what Gino had to say. Uh, Gideon still has Holy Family at two. Uh, but didn't say anything. Cody has them at three here. He said, great time for a bye week to enjoy their upset win over Broomfield. And now this week turns their attention to the rest of the season. So there you go. That Rose or Holy Family, excuse me, still at three. Now at two here still is Roosevelt. Cody said this about them. Roosevelt continues their win streak of this rivalry game with Fort Morgan, offering slightly more resistance this year, but still only a little bit for the undefeated 
rough riders. So that's what Cody had to say. Uh, Gideon has Roosevelt still here at three. Didn't have anything to say about them. Gino has Roosevelt at two. He said they have been electric this year. And their only reason they aren't one is because Lutheran is that good. And yeah, I have to agree. I wish they played during the regular season. But they may be on a crash course for the state championship once again. And speaking of Lutheran. Once again, they are still our number one spot. Cody said this about them. Blowout win over DCC and the comfortability of this offense instills plenty of confidence in this Alliance squad for me. Uh, Gideon still has Lutheran at one, but didn't have anything to say. And then Gino just said still the top team in 3A. And yeah, I have to agree. They beat DCC. That was a game I considered going to, but I knew they were going to win by at least 40. And they did. So there you go there. 3A, though, is still going to be a bloodbath. Still very competitive. A lot of parity here. But we will see what happens down the line. We have some big-time matchups coming up here soon. So there you go there. Now, let's go ahead and move on to 4A here, uh, which has been pretty competitive. Honestly, all the classifications have been pretty competitive. But let's talk about last week's uh, power rankings. Just outside was Denver South. Then tied at 10 was Dakota Ridge and Bear Creek. At 9 was Heritage, 8 Pueblo West, 7 Mesa Ridge, tied for 5th was Loveland and Montrose, tied for 3rd was Erie and Broomfield, geez. At number 2 was Ponderosa, and number 1 was Palmer Ridge. Now, this week, we have two teams here, just outside, and that is Thomas Jefferson, Monarch, and Denver South. Let me go ahead and get those notes about all of them. Uh, Cody put Monarch here at 10. He said 4-0 will earn the Yotes this last spot for now in his personal rankings. And I, especially under the circumstances of a backup quarterback, they are winning games the best way they can, which is great considering most teams would be uh, would lose at least one of these with a backup. So there you go. R Riley Montemayor is playing really well. Credit to him. Cody puts, or sorry, Gideon puts Thomas Jefferson at 10 here in his personal, but they are just outside in our PMC rankings. He said this spot was tough. I considered giving it to Bear Creek, um, Rampart, Golden Monarch, and Fruit of Monument. All of those teams occupy similar spaces in my mind. However, the team in my number 10 is a, is a squad who has really outperformed what I thought they would do and whose quarterback's last name is uh, deceptively simple to say. I'm giving this to Thomas Jefferson, however, depending how the Spartans do again here, uh, which I believe they play a really good team later this week. And I want to say Gideon will be at that game here. Oh, he said, however, depending how the Spartans do against Bear Creek Bears, and how the Rampart Rams do against Dakota Ridge, this spot is up for grabs next week. How Stanley Lake might have a shot. Sorry, it cut out there. So, there you go there. Uh, Thomas Jefferson for now just outside there. Uh, Gideon also has Denver South at 9 here. Um, who moves up a spot, which is interesting. So, there you go there, but they are not in our PMC Top 10. Now, let's get to our PMC Top 10, and let's talk about Bear Creek, who is right here at 10. They stay here. No movement from them. Uh, Cody and Gideon did not rank them in their Top 10, but Gino and myself do have them in our Top 10. I have them at 10. Gino has them at 7. He says this, Yet another blowout win for the Bears. Should be interesting to see if they can defend this high ranking against Thomas Jefferson on Friday. And yeah, I have to agree. I mean, they're undefeated, or I'm pretty sure they're undefeated. Uh, they've played really good football so far. 
I think they're a top 10 team here. Uh, but for now, they are just right here still at 10. Now, Dakota Ridge moves up a spot here to number 9 in our PMC rankings. Cody said this about Dakota Ridge. Blake Palladino played maybe the best game of his career against a quality opponent. Uh, throwing 33... Or wait, what? That's not right. Throwing three scores and rushing for another one with 150 rushing yards for a win. That has instilled a lot of confidence for me and this team. Absolutely agreed. A masterclass by Blake there. Uh, Gideon has this to say about Dakota Ridge. Moves up to six. Who I believe was previously unranked for him. He said beating Mesa Ridge in the way you did gives you major, major brownie points for me, for him. Uh, Gino has made, or sorry, not Mesa Ridge, Dakota Ridge here at 10 who just make it back in. He said Dakota Ridge has shown that they can compete and win against top 10 teams. For that reason, they finally enter my top 10. And yeah, I have Dakota Ridge uh, personally moving up a spot for me at 9, just like where they're at in our PMC rankings. That's a good win on the road against Mesa Ridge. Blake Palladino played great. That should be a confidence booster for them moving forward. So love that for them. Now at 8 is Montrose who lost to Erie. They moved down 3 spots in our PMC rankings. Cody still has Montrose at 5. He said the Redhawks were winning at the end of the first quarter by 9, but just cannot seem to adapt to adjustments from other teams as they just start pulling away down stretches uh, while is which is not great here, he says. Uh, oof, the grammar there. Gideon has Montrose at 8 here who does move down a couple spots. No comment from him. Gino has Montrose at 8 as well who moves down a couple spots for him. He says Montrose put up a fight against the top 3 squad in Erie. But unfortunately for them, their loss plus other big wins from teams puts them back a couple spots for me. And yeah, have to agree, I still have Montrose here. Uh, ranked kind of high, I want to say. Uh, they're like at 6 or 7. Here, let me see here. 1, 2, 3, 4. Yeah, they're at six here. They've played some tough teams. Erie, Palmer Ridge, those are both teams in our top uh, two right now. Uh, spoiler alert. So there you go there. And they haven't lost them by a lot, right? Those were games that they could have won. But they got to get into the winning column soon. So we'll just have to see there. Now moving up one spot is Pueblo West, who did lose to 5A Fountain for Carson. But this is what Cody has to say about Pueblo West here, uh, who stays in this spot. He said, this was a great opportunity for the Cyclones, who are facing a Fountain team with a fresh quarterback, but they just couldn't quite capitalize. Not going to punish them for losing to a solid 5A squad, but what a missed opportunity. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon has Pueblo West here at 4 who actually moves up a couple of spots here, interesting enough. He said, despite the loss, the Cyclones showed determination against one of the top 5A teams. They showed more grit than every team behind them. Ooh, hot take there. Uh, that's a good one. And then Gino says this about Pueblo West, who moves down, or sorry, stays here at 9 for him. He said, they went out and competed well against the top 5 team in 5A, so they don't fall or rise this week. Yeah, got to agree there. Um, they were in it. You know, they were winning that one, and it just kind of got away from them. Plus, it was at home in Pueblo. And once again, apologize for not going there, but I, I guess there was some sort of miscommunication. So there you go. But Pueblo is still a top 10 team. Moving on, we have Loveland, who moves down a spot, um, which is interesting here. But Cody has this to say about Loveland, who he still has at 4 he said the Red Wolves barely squeaked by Pomona, 
but compared to people ahead of them who lost, I would take a one point win over a loss. So uh, yeah, there we go there. Gideon had this to say about Loveland. We're actually, never mind. Gideon does not have Loveland ranked in his top 10. Gino has Loveland ranked at five. He said, you need to be dominating younger struggling teams like Pomona if you want to continue to be considered a top 4A squad. And yeah, I have to agree. I mean, this is a game that you should have won by at least 20, and they did not. And so, lucky for them, there were a lot of 4A teams that lost and got upset this week. And so, they only moved down one spot when realistically, they probably could have potentially moved down a couple more. So, there you go there. Now, at 5 is Heritage, who moves up a couple of spots here. Cody has this to say about them, who is at six for him, moving up a couple of spots. He said, as was expected, Heritage dominated their first uh, non-5A opponent of the year, playing Pueblo Central. Easily going to be a threat this year. Or Sorry, that was what Gino said about Heritage. Uh, Gideon said this about Heritage. Be Pueblo Central, but not as bad as they should have without their best offensive player. Cody said this about Heritage. It was good for the Eagles to finally get back into the win column and do so in dominant fashion after only being able, uh, after being up only by one point at the end of the first. They stuck to their guns and eventually pulled away. Yeah, Heritage, I mean, they're taking advantage of a couple of teams losing. Uh, I have Heritage moving up a spot, I want to say, for me. But yeah, they do definitely take advantage of a couple of teams losing here. We're sorry, I think I have them moving down just one spot. Um, which is good, but you do have some teams ahead of them that are winning as well. So you got to respect that. So, boom, there you go there. Moving on, though, we have Ponderosa, who drops the four a couple of spots here after an upset loss uh, to Golden. This is what Cody has to say about them here right at six. After jumping out to a 14-0 lead, the Mustangs will not score again for the rest of the night. Their new ranking seems really punishing, but I am not worried because Pondo does this once a year, and I know long-term they'll be fine. They're just punished for now who he has at six. Um, Gideon has Ponderosa at seven. He says, how do you lose to Golden? Golden lost to Green Mountain by 30. As a 4A title contender, you're supposed to be a team that lost their D1 QB and has only beat Silver Creek. So moving them down five spots, Gideon does. Gino has uh, Pondo here at four, only moving down a spot. He said, really, really bad loss. Uh, to Golden, with Legend coming up next week, who is also coming off a bad loss, means trouble for the Mustangs. Uh, yeah, you know, playing <sighs> Golden, they should have beat him. I'm pretty sure they lost to them last year as well. I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure they lost to them as well. So I'm really not tripping here. They're still, you know, a top five team and definitely contender. So they're here at four, but they can't have that happen again. They play a tough squad in Legend. I don't know if they're going to win that one as Legend is really good still, in my opinion. Uh, and so that's not going to move them like a crazy amount up or down. Well, it will move them up potentially, but moving them down, probably not by a crazy amount. So there you go. Now at three is Broomfield, who stays here from last week. Uh, Cody said this about them. A blowout win and reminder of how Broomfield plays football is just the is just what the Eagles needed after that Holy Family game. 
but their schedule in season will get a lot more serious this next week as they play Erie. Gideon has this to say about Broomfield, who he has uh, moving up a spot. He said, knowing how stacked 3A is right now puts Holy Family puts the Holy Family game into uh, perspective. It wasn't a good loss, but it isn't shameful as originally thought. Given that I think Holy Family and Green Mountain are on the same level that Green Mountain dog Golden and that Golden just beat Ponderosa, Broomfield losing uh, doesn't feel t- too terrible. The best of three year are just as good as the best of four A this year. That's uh, yeah. So there you go. There, that's what Gideon has to say about Broomfield. Gino has this to say about Broomfield. He said, "I'm going to slide them back one spot after Erie had a really nice win against Mace Ridge, which is fair enough." There, yeah. Broomfield won as they should have, you know. But their defense has to continue to play well, and they have to against Blake Barnett and Erie this next week. So we'll see what happens there. Now, at number two is Erie, who moves up a spot with Ponderosa losing here. Uh, This is what everyone had to say about them. Cody said, the Tigers skyrocket after an explosive second quarter and a gritty win over Montrose shows me their growth and where they are at this spot in the season compared to last year. They just feel more ready, is what he says. Gideon has this to say about Erie. Erie really showed that they had it with a solid win over Montrose. I can't wait to see them at Windsor, and I may have a surprise. So, there you go there. Uh, Gino says this about Erie. Blake Barnett had a hell of a game throwing the ball against a top 10 team. They're definitely catching a groove right now and are a threat to take the one spot if Palmer Ridge slips up. And yeah, I have to agree. Um, Erie, for me, stays at two here for the second straight week. They get leapfrogged in my rankings as they stay at two. But I think a good win over Broomfield could move them up, assuming Palmer Ridge potentially loses this next week or soon here. So there you go. But speaking of Palmer Ridge, they stay here at one. Cody said this, Palmer Ridge survives the trap game week of football and wins the rivalry game in the battle for Palmer. Uh, I think he meant for battle for Monument. Palmer's not a city for another year. So the battle of Monument, not Palmer. Come on, Cody. Palmer Ridge. Gideon keeps here at number one, doesn't have anything to say there. Gino says this about Palmer Ridge. Putting up 56 on a team in Lewis Palmer that I actually thought pretty highly of is very impressive and keeps them in the one spot. And yeah, I have to agree. I do want to comment on that game real quick here. Lewis Palmer has been more of a solid squad the last couple years, so this was definitely one of the tougher LP squads in recent years, I would say, personally. And so... I love that Palmer Ridge put 56 on them. That's huge. It was a little close, you know, up throughout points of the game. But, you know, Palmer Ridge obviously pulled away here. And so you got to feel good about that. Now, once more, our PMC rankings uh, go like this. Just outside our top 10 is TJ, Thomas Jefferson, Monarch, and Denver South, who all got top 10 votes. At 10 is uh, Bear Creek, 9 Dakota Ridge, 8 Montrose, 7 Pueblo West, 6 is Loveland. Uh, or sorry, I should say this, tied for fifth is Heritage and Loveland. They have the same amount of points, so there you go. At four is Ponderosa, at three is Broomfield, two Erie, and at number one is Palmer Ridge. Now let's move on to 5A, which has proved to be very exciting football for the first time in a really long time here. But let's talk about last week here. We had a couple teams just outside the top ten. Getting top 10 votes. Mountain Vista, Fairview, Denver East, Arapaho all getting votes. 
But at number 10 was Valor Christian, 9 Chatfield, 8 Columbine, 7 Reaches Jesuit. Tied for 5th was Ralston Valley and Fountain for Carson. Tied for 3rd was Grandview and Legend. 2 Pine Creek, number 1 Cherry Creek here. Now, let's go ahead and hop into this thing. We have two teams that are getting top 10 votes, or sorry, three teams in Castleview, Valor Christian, and Rock Canyon. So, a couple of teams here. Let's go ahead and see what everyone had to say here. Cody has this to say about Valor, who he has ranked right here at 10. He said, a 28-point comeback win means plenty of players get recognized, like Gabe Sawchuk, who had the most important rushing outing of his career and this defense just stonewalled a potent offense for an entire second half to get Valor both in the win column and power rankings for him um so he has them there at 10 in his personal rankings now Gideon goes ahead and he puts um Rock Canyon here at eight, he said Rock Canyon has been solid since I saw them at Pooter. They continue to impress with solid wins over good teams. I had Denver East at ten last week, and given all the movement, I feel like the Jaguars have a have got a spot in the top ten. Also, a Jaguars team with a comp to QB quarterback, which they have in Gavin uh, Naria, I want to say, is a team with a Final Four ceiling. He also has Castleview and 9, who's just outside our top 10. He said, Castleview, I had you pegged wrong. I'm very pleasantly surprised by your success. And I continue to believe that Ryder Smith is one of the most underrated players in the state of Colorado. So, boom, there you go. There, two teams he had in his top 10, but we're just outside our PMC top 10. Uh, this is what Gino has to say here. He has Rock Canyon in his top 10. Uh, 10 here. He has them at 9. He says they continue to prove that their defense is no joke. They have potential to rise with some ranked matchups going down that could shake up the rankings just a bit. And then I will say this. I have Rock Canyon, or sorry, not Rock Canyon, uh, Castleview here at number 10 in my rankings. Impressive win over Legend. Knew that this defense was going to, you know, challenge them a bit, but I love what this offense did. Derek Gordon has been very good. If you've listened to the last couple 5A recaps, he's been lighting it up, playing very efficient football, you know, and he's given them a very good source of offense. And so I like Castleview. They have a couple big time teams that they're playing later, which could potentially see them here in the top 10 if they win. But for now, they are just outside the top 10 with Valor and Rock Canyon, but getting top 10 votes. But let's go ahead and get into our top 10. Tied at 9, we have two teams who had the same amount of points. Uh, let's start with talking about this first one here, Regis Jesuit. Cody has this to say about Regis. He said they're able to get a passing game uh, going, but their uncomfortability with not being able to run the ball was painfully obvious. And then their defense got pieced up and broke some of the confidence I had in this team. So there you go there. Gideon had this to say about Regis Jesuit here, uh, which is nothing, actually, as he goes ahead and removes them from his top 10 rankings. So there you go. No Regis Jesuit for Gideon. Uh, Gino will also, I believe, take out Regis Jesuit from his rankings as well from his top 10 uh, considerations. And so myself and Cody have Regis Jesuit here. I have Regis still here in a pretty solid spot here. Have them at seven. I mean, they lost to Arapahoe, you know, um, it's a young team, right? It's a young team. Their quarterback played pretty well this game, 
but they're probably going to need a little bit more from him uh, if they play again later in the season, which would have to be the postseason. But I like what I saw from their quarterback, their running back, Anthony Medina. He kind of got shut down there for 41 yards, but you know, one does have to think if they pass the ball a little bit more, maybe he gets a couple more yards. So there's that as well. Defensively, they did not play good. Um, and you got to play better there. They have kind of been struggling, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, allowed 30-plus uh, points to Rappo, allowed 30-plus points to that Washington team, allowed 20 points uh, to that Valor Christian team. So the defense needs to figure it out for Regis Jesuit sooner than later is all I'm saying. So there you go. Now, the other team tied here at 9 is Mountain Vista, who comes back up here. Uh, Cody did not have them ranked in his top 10. They were just outside. Uh, same with Gideon. They were just outside. He does have to say this. Do I think all three of these teams, which, by the way, that's a Valor Fairview Mountain Vista for Gideon here. Do I think that all three of these teams could beat the teams above them until spot 6? Yes. Have they shown me that? No. These three teams need to show me that they can bounce back and bounce back hard next week. Um, the Fairview loss was a generational sell, and Valor should never be down 28-0 uh, to begin with. And then he said, and Mountain Vista, you guys are clowning on a team whose second best player is their kicker. So, <laughs> so there you go there. Um, he has a little bit more to say here as well. Let me make sure I get that. Uh, uh, second best players, their kicker, honestly, pisses me off. I know you're fighting the reputation of being cupcakes, but you should be less focused on clowning on teams you should be beating anyways, and more focused on talking with your pads. If you beat Legacy by 20 next week, you'll be back in the top 10, but you're just blowing out mediocre teams right now. Fairview likely won't be able to get back in the top 10 since the rest of their schedule is relatively easy. Valor is in a tough spot with a lot of really good teams on the schedule, including a Georgia team in Georgia. So, sorry, I had to say all of that. That's what Gideon had to say there. But <laughs> some uh, strong opinions about Mountain Vista there. Uh, Gino has Mountain Vista here at 7 here, who moves up from being previously unranked in the top 10. He said, they put back-to-back -back blowouts without CJ Reese. We knew this offense was going to be great, but if the defense keep uh, can keep this up, they're going to continue to rise in my book there. Continue to rise in my book there, excuse me. So there you go. Um, I have Mountain Vista moving up. Or sorry, I think they just stay here for me. I'm not moving them up or down. Yeah, they definitely should be blowing out Fort Collins and Chaparral by 60. But I am going to say this. It is impressive that they've been winning uh, by that much. It shows that this offense is really good. Now, it does get a little bit dramatic because I think Gino just said CJ Reese hasn't played the last two games. And they've scored 60 with them. So, does that bring up potential issues or... You know, questions about who should be getting the ball? Potentially. We'll see. But, you know, Mountain Vista showing that they don't have any problems scoring 60 here. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they play Legacy, I want to say, next. So that should be a solid game for them. But I still think Mountain Vista is a top 10 team. I mean, they have like a top 3 or, yeah, I'd say a top 3 or 4 offense. You know, uh, defensively, like Gino says, they do need to keep it up, though. 
Moving on, though, we have Legend here who is at 8. They drop 5 spots. This is what Cody has to say. He has them at 6 personally. He said, I think the tight end defense was great against the run, but Castleview is no longer one-dimensional, and that is what cost the tight ends, along with their stagnant offense. They fall a couple of spots, but uh, how they respond to the loss is more important than the loss itself. Uh, love that. Definitely have to agree there. Uh, Gideon has Legend moving all the way down to 10 here, down 6 spots. He said this, What happened? In all reality, you should have blown out, blown the Sabercats out of the water. If this continues into next week against Ponderosa, who lost to Golden, who lost to Green Mountain, I would be very worried about uh, that there is trouble in Parker. So there you go. Gino has this to say about Legend here, who he puts at 10, moving down a couple of spots. Really bad loss to a good team in Castleview. A bounce back win against Ponderosa next week is absolutely crucial for Legend. And yeah, I gotta agree. I don't know. Well, no, I'll say this. I know what happened. I mean, they lost, right? And they went down big kind of early on. For me, I had Legend at three last week. Now they moved down to six for me, uh, which I think is fair. I mean, look, they're still talented. Just because they lost, you know, doesn't mean that they still don't have talent. Love the running back core. Got a solid line. Got some receivers. You know, got a solid defense here. I mean, they only allowed 20, right? Uh, which is good considering how many mistakes the offense put them in and how many bad positions the offense put them in, to be fair with you. Now, the offense needs to pick it up. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Michael Barsonich. Maybe not being trusted as much, but it definitely seemed like he wasn't. But you got to let the kid play. You got to let him loose. You got to stop rotating quarterbacks in. That's so stupid. I'm just going to say this uh, because why, you know, and it's hurting the team, I think. And that lack of confidence is very obvious, not just to me, but everyone else at the podcast. And I would say pretty much everyone else in the state now. At this point, after an embarrassing loss to Castleview. So, you gotta figure it out. You got to. But they have time, right? And they play a lot of great teams. Pine Creek, Regis. I want to say they also play Fountain Fort Carson as well. So, a lot of opportunities to move up here for Legend. I still think they're a top 10 team. But you gotta get out of your own heads. You need to trust your quarterback to play football. And then, you can't have those mistakes. You know? You just can't. Uh, against really anybody, which shows how good 5A is, uh, at least this year. So there you go. Now, at number 7 is Grandview, who does move down a couple of spots. This is what Cody had to say about Grandview. Their game was not as close as it looked, but I will let them stick here in the top 10 due to talent and allow this loss to serve as a wake-up call. If they don't wake up, do expect the slide to continue Gideon has Grandview at 6, moving down 3 spots. He said, I mean, Grandview lost to Ralston pretty bad. Ouch, that's all he had to say. Uh, Gino, the Grandview alum, said this. Terrible loss to Ralston. That could have been a shutout. Uh, sends the Wolves down to the 8th spot for him. And it wasn't a shutout because they got garbage time points at the end there. Uh, yeah, I have Grandview moving down a spot or two here in mine. Look. I'm going to keep it completely honest. The score doesn't look that bad, but it was that bad. Offensively, you got to do better. Um, that's all it is. And I think they will. They have an experienced quarterback in Liam Zarka. He's a three-year starter. I'm not as worried about the offense as I am the defense. Defensively, to allow 30 points to a team that has lost Liam Beatty for the season, 
uh, and that's no disrespect to Anthony Bernalo over there, that is a red flag. And you got to take a little bit more pride in defense here moving forward, but still very early on in the season. And obviously they play in the Centennial League. Grandview will get more chances to move up here. So they'll be fine. Now at six is Fountain for Carson who moves down one spot despite uh, winning here. And this is what Cody has to say here. Uh, he has them currently at, I want to say he has them currently at eight. Um, which is the same spot as last week. He said, winning with your backup QB is always solid, especially against a competent Pueblo West team. So, Fountain for Carson will remain, despite me not liking their odds as much without Camba for the season. Yes, Colton Camba, their starting quarterback, promising starting quarterback, is done for the season. So, that does kind of contribute to these rankings here. Um, Gideon has this to say about Fountain for Carson, who he moves up a spot here. He says this, he said, while Fountain for Carson is without Colton Camba, however, they beat a really talented Pueblo West team without him. We'll have to see what the Trojans look like, but for now, I have them as a top team in 5A. They do have serious questions to answer, though. And we know what those questions are. It's at quarterback, so there you go. Uh, Gino has Fountain for Carson at 5, still. He said, they stay at 5, but beating a very solid Pueblo West squad even after they lost, uh, after they lost their quarterback, is good for them. And yeah, gotta agree. They moved down a spot because we move a team up here. Um, but it is worrying that Colton Campa is not going to be playing this season here. He's done for the season with an injury, so that's tough. Obviously, he'll be back next season uh, as he's only a sophomore. But right now, they have a junior out there. And they had to rework the offense is what I hear. I mean, he's a running quarterback. And so they're doing a little bit more of that over there for Fountain for Carson. Now, losing the quarterback's important because I think Colton Camber was a very bright star, uh, upcoming star quarterback here in Colorado. And so not having that passing threat could be an issue. Now, they do have receivers. Uh, Keenan Campbell is really good. Darnell Rogers is out there as well. Obviously, you have Matthias Price, who's an MVP candidate right now, in my opinion. Um, but we got to see how sustainable this is moving forward. Now, at number five is a team that was previously unranked, but just out last week. And that's Arapahoe here. This is what Cody has to say about his alma mater, who he puts at three. He said, outside of the first score of the game, Arapahoe never trailed and got all hands on deck for this impressive win. The defense shut down the Raiders' run game, and by the time they tried to pass back into the game, it was too late. Shout out Trajan uh, Frazier, a mad skills guy who went nuts in this game. And what's crazy is, is I don't think the Warriors even used all the tools at their disposal or their entire arsenal of offense this game. So there you go there. Uh, Gideon has a rapo at 7, who was previously unranked for him. He said, A-Rap means business. I like Trajan. And shout out to Coach Vaz here at Mad Skills for putting me on that hype train. The defense also continues to impress. And I can't wait to see what the Warriors do against Rock Canyon. Uh, speaking of, he has Rock Canyon just below Arapaho. That's why. So there you go there. Uh, Gino has this to say about Arapaho, who was at 10 for him. He said the Warriors continue to be tough teams, uh, to beat tough teams. This offense has been a pleasant surprise, and it will be exciting to see how they do against a brutal Littleton West defense. So there you go there. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Um, They play a team in front of them. 
you know, this next week. So that'll be big. Oh, and by the way, I moved up Arapaho a bunch of spots here. I think I have them now at five here. I think this win against Reacher's Jesuit really sold me. They had some solid wins before, but I love this win over Regis Jesuit here. Uh, this Arapaho offense has really showed out here. Throwing the ball really well. Uh, Frazier, Trajan. Got to see him work, in, work out in the offseason with Coach Vaz. Uh, shout out uh, Mad Skills here. And really love what they do over there. And, you know, it translated to the game. So, you know, there's your proof there against a Regis Jesuit squad who is still a top 10 team. So, love what Arapaho is doing. They are emerging as a dark horse. So, there you go there. Now, at number four <laughs> is a team that moves up a couple of spots, and that's Columbine. But Columbine has told us that they would like to not have their name in these power rankings. So we will refer to them as the West Littleton Varsity Football Team. So West Littleton here, this is what Cody has to say about West Littleton, or sorry, Littleton West. He said they won and have not lost. That's all he had to say there as he has them at four. Gideon has uh, Littleton West at three here. Doesn't have anything to say about them, uh, them there. Gino has Littleton West here at two. He said they continue to dominate teams that they should be dominating. Next week against Rappo is going to be huge for them rankings-wise. I do not have them ranked in my top 10. They have not beat a team with a winning record. They have not beat a team that is a top 10 team in, in, in any of our rankings here. And so I don't respect what they have so far. Now, if they beat a Rappo, then yeah, I could give them a little bit more respect here for sure. But you got to beat a team with a winning record to be ranked in the top 10. And I didn't even have them up there in preseason. So boom, there you go there. I don't care. There you go. That's Littleton West. Littleton West. At three is Ralston Valley who moves up two spots here. Uh, Cody has Ralston Valley at five. He said this, uh, this bye week was critical for Ralston Valley to rest up and get healthy, and as stated by Coach Giannisito, return to basics, which was more than enough to overwhelm their opponent and move back up in the power rankings here. Gideon had this to say about Ralston Valley, who moves up uh, a couple spots here, back to four. He said, God, this week's rankings are a mess. All the top teams lost, except for Cherry Creek and Pine Creek. Ralston came in and showed that they are still a contender, despite concerns. I think if they pull it together, they could still be a championship game quality team. So there you go there. Gino has this to say about Ralston Valley. Coming out and beating a Grandview team that was rising fast puts Ralston right back into the top three and confirms that uh, confirms, sorry, excuse me, confirms their championship potential. So there you go. Ralston Valley moving up. Big win over Grandview here. I think they needed that one. I mean, they had some tough games here against Mountain Vista, Cherry Creek. Um, a really tough out of, uh, you know, out of league schedule. And then in their league, they have some guys over, some teams over there too. So there's that as well. But I think winning like this over Grandview is huge. Like I said before, it was a more dominant win than it looked. So boom there you go moving on here we have pine creek who stays right here at two they blew out vista ridge so there you go that's why i have them at two this is what cody said they took care of business against vr gideon did not say anything about pine creek but still has them at two and then gino has pine creek at four he said they fall back a spot this week but that really just boils down to ralston's huge win against grandview they're still a top uh top team and should be in the mix for top three spot all season long so there you go pine creek continues to dominate then 
per usual, we got Cherry Creek at one, still here. Another week and another win against a top 10 team. That was in Chatfield. Uh, Gideon said this, the Creeks are the Creeks. Gino said this about uh, Cherry Creek. Creek is Creek. Beating another top 10 team in a very convincing fashion keeps the Bruins at one. And like I said, that is Chatfield. Chatfield drops just out here. Uh, I'm going to be honest. The idea, and I know I'm talking about Cherry Creek here, but I want to mention Chatfield here. Uh, them losing or maybe not having Brock Narva healthy is definitely an issue. If they could get him back healthy, then, you know, I think they're a top 10 team, but it definitely seems questionable right now. But anyways, Cherry Creek, they're at number one, and that's where they'll stay uh, until they lose, obviously. So there you go there. Now to review over these rankings. Just outside getting top 10 votes is Castleview, Valor, Christian, and Rock Canyon. Tied for 9th is Mountain Vista, Regis Jesuit. At 8 is Legend, 7 Grandview, 6 fans of Fort Carson, 5 Arapaho, uh, 4 Littleton West Varsity Football Team, 3 Ralston Valley, 2 Pine Creek, and number 1 still here is Cherry Creek. So there you go. Those are your power rankings after week 3. And alrighty, folks, if you made it this far, you are here for one thing and one thing only, and that is the PMC Playmakers of the Week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. Good friends here with Cody Rosenthal of Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Call today at 720-979-1914 and get an appointment scheduled so you can work on your mental performance and improve your athletic game here. Once again, you could visit coderedcoaching.com or call Cody Rosenthal at 720-979-1914 and get set up today. But let's talk about the Playmakers of the Week here brought to you by Code Red Coaching. We're going to go 1A through 5A here. I choose 1A. Gino chooses 2A this week. Gideon is in charge of 3A and 4A. And then Coach V is in charge of 5A. So... For 1A here, this was kind of a tough week just because I feel like there was a lot of very strong team performances. And one of the casualties of that, who unfortunately does not bring home Playmaker of the Week, but does get to get mentioned here, is Ben Early. 17 tackles and three of those for loss in their win over Yuma, 14-0. Very strong performance. Uh, very great all-around team performance. But uh, Ben Early especially shined in that Stallions W. As far as numbers go, Sam Patterson's six rushing touchdowns for Platte Canyon on just 10 carries was crazy good. It did happen to happen, did happen to happen <laughs> against Sheridan here. So I will not be giving the crown to Sam. I will instead be giving the Playmaker of the Week crown to a player that I mentioned in my 1A recap. Make sure that you listen to that. But that's going to be Amon Wingo here who not only had 17 total tackles and three for a loss, but a fumble recovery that would prove crucial in this game. Buena Vista barely tops Centauri 14-12 to to get back in the win column and to hopefully get on a bit of a roll here, getting a little bit of swagger against another team that's considered pretty good. And, you know, I think that this is a critical win to both their playoff hopes as well as just their power rankings as mentioned by Coach V, be sure to listen to that. But the 1A Playmaker of the Week is Amon Wingo out of Buena Vista. Now, heading over to 2A, we have a couple of candidates here from Gino. One of them is Ethan Leba out of Denver West. They got another win this week. 
20 carries, 104 yards, two receptions for 31 yards, and a receiving touchdown. And then also two picks on defense. We'd love to see the two-way action here on the 2A level. And then we have some pretty dominant defensive performances here. Aiden McGrath out of Berthoud in their win, upset win, I'd even say, over 3A Thompson Valley, notched 15 tackles. Three and a half of those are for loss and another 1.5 sacks on the night in a huge win for Berthoud. Delta here still remaining undefeated at number one in our power rankings. Had a great performance from Tucker Johnson, one of the best linemen in Colorado. He notched 11 tackles, two TFLs, a sack, forced a fumble, and recovered it as well. So just a great performance out of one of the best players on one of the best teams in state. But Gino is going to crown Cooper Connolly the W here and the Playmaker of the Week honors for the 2A Playmaker of the Week. And I quote from Gino, quote, an absolutely monster game against the Academy. Rushing the ball, he had 181 yards plus three touchdowns on only 11 carries for 16.5 yards per carry. On defense, it was also a monster game, leading the team in tackles with nine while also adding four TFL and a sack. On special teams, two punts for 60 yards with the longest going for 32, and one was inside of the 20 on top of that, end quote. Obviously, Elizabeth, one of the top teams in 2A, once again, as mentioned in our power rankings, and Cooper Connolly, a part of that formula this week for Elizabeth here, getting it done. Like I said, great candidates here. It's good to see some defensive love, but the 2A Playmaker of the Week is going to be Cooper Connolly. Now, 3A, we have a decent list of candidates here. You got... Chase Pruitt, 300 plus yards, three touchdowns. The Lions win their first game of the season. Ryan Stankovich out of Sierra, who had 285 pass yards and three touchdowns to only one pick in a win over 4A Liberty. Tyler Harms for Diego here goes for 250 total yards and four touchdowns in a win over a traditionally solid Aztec team that for Gideon puts Durango back in his good graces. He is also going to mention here Riken Doggard, who had five touchdowns to just one pick, 360 yards, and a rushing touchdown over DCC. And then Christian Heiner out of Meade, who had 235 pass yards and two passing touchdowns in the win over Severance. But all of that will fall short of maybe the very first Skyview Wolverine to win Playmaker of the Week, Sam Cortez. Just doing whatever you needed him to do. 17 receiving yards, receiving touchdown. Two interceptions, one of those being a pick six. One for one on field goal attempts, one for two on PATs, four tackles, two pass deflections, three punts for 178 yards, scored all 16 of Skyview's points against Niwot. Wins are hard to come by for Skyview, and Cortez did everything for the Wolverines to eke out a two-point win over a strong Niwot battalion. So Sam Cortez, like Gideon said, two touchdowns in this game, also kick for three, and the PAT literally carried this. There's not really a better way to say that a player, an individual playmaker of the week, carried their team to victory the way that you can for Sam Cortez in this performance against Niwot, just absolutely going ballistic for 16 total points. That is going to be our 3A playmaker of the week. 
Now in 4A, we have quite a few options here. We got, you know, Rylan Renton out of Windsor, 11 tackles, sack, two hurries, forced fumble, and a two-point win over 5A Port Collins. Liam Graham continuing to get a few shout-outs here for Stanley Lake, 287 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, 11 receiving yards, three tackles, and a five-point win over Westminster. Colby Holmes of Longmont throwing for over 300 yards and rushing for another 130 yards and a pair of touchdowns in each regard in a almost comeback against D-South. Troy Harold of Cheyenne Mountain had 244 rushing yards and two touchdowns, 14 tackles, one for loss in Cheyenne Mountain's first win of the season and did all this to make up for the lack of Bruce Archambault the fourth here. Way to step up for Troy. Blake Palladino, who had 118 pass yards, three touchdowns, and then 150 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown in a win over Mesa Ridge. But Gideon's 4A Playmaker of the Week is going to go to a different Blake and one of the most popular Blakes in the state, Blake Barnett of Erie, 246 pass yards, three passing touchdowns, 74 rush yards, making for a net of 320 offensive yards. And then on defense, doing his thing, 16 tackles, one forced fumble, and one interception for a return of 10 yards in a win over top 10 Montrose. And for Gideon, making Erie his number two team in 4A. That was also my number two team in 4A. Be sure that you listened to our power rankings and our reasonings there. But Blake Barnett, as one of the most dominant playmakers in Colorado, puts on a dominant playmaking performance for Erie in their win over Montrose. Now, last but certainly not least, we got 5A here with Coach V. He has a couple of candidates here. He has Derek Gordon a quarterback over at Castleview who went 19 of 25 for 207 yards and two touchdowns in an upset win over legend here. Castleview pulling away with a 20 to seven win and Derek Gordon showing very few limitations as he has been handed the keys and trust of this offense. Speaking of regaining trust, Gabe Sachuk, who just had a really slow start to the year finally comes to life 23 carries, 111 yards, and three rushing touchdowns in the Valor Christian 28-point comeback win over Fairview. Valor wins 29-28 after being down 28-0 at half, and a huge part of this comeback, an integral part of this comeback, is Gabe Sawchuk coming to life and clawing the Eagles back into this game. But he would be outshined by only one other back this week, and that is going to be from my alma mater. Thanks, Then I swear I didn't have any influence on this with Simon. But, uh, you know, it's always good to see a warrior here. And that is Trajan Frazier here, who had 172 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. And he is a junior tailback at Arapaho. And he did all this in a 34-27 win over Regis. And Simon says, quote, ripped off a number of big-time gains against Regis Jesuit that kept the momentum on the side of Arapaho. He was the engine to this offense for Arap and came with big play after big play throughout the game to knock out Regis Jesuit, end quote. I gotta agree with Simon here. Frazier's performance was nothing short of epic on Friday. Uh, Coach Vaz of Mad Skills RB1 Training was out there because that's one of his guys and even showed us a clip of other big runs that were unfortunately called back due to penalties. So he really could have had upwards of 200 yards in a performance against a top 10 team helps escalate Arapaho and everyone else's eyes. I've been 
pushing them up just a little bit week by week here and really sold me on them as a top five team. So once again, our Playmakers of the Week brought to you by Code Red Coaching goes as follows, and I'm going to read them backwards. Trajan Frazier out of Arapahoe, Blake Barnett out of Erie, Sam Cortez out of Skyview, Cooper Connolly out of Elizabeth, and Amon Wingo out of Buena Vista are your Week 3 Playmakers of the Week. And that'll do it all on this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for our Games of the Week that is released on Thursdays, and you can find those on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And we are on all of those at Playmakers Corner or two separate words, Playmakers Corner on Facebook or at Playmaker Corner on Twitter or X. So be sure to follow us on all of those. If you're looking for notifications for episodes, we post the graphics to new episodes on those social media platforms. Or you could just get notifications wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to toggle on that bell or subscribe and you will get notifications whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. We are also on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to us on there so you can see the new episodes on there as well. And then if you want even more PMC content, be sure to follow us on TikTok where we post highlights to games that we attended. And yeah, go ahead and interact with us. Let us know your thoughts on those games and just go ahead and comment on our posts as well. We will have our power rankings out as graphics as well. So you always do feel free to voice your opinion. Uh, Don't stop now. But I have been your showrunner joined or accompanied by Gino, Gideon, and Coach V at various points. And I'm Cody Stoffer signing off. Peace.